everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 376. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, we got a really fun show this week. Uh, we've Last year, we talked about the week after this week. So now we have the week that we're doing right here. So if you remember last year, some of the stuff is brought up in that show in a way, but now we're going to talk about it in full context, especially our lead story. Yes, lots of Randy Savage this week. Yeah, if you love Randy Savage, it's a show for you, I'll tell you that. But anyway, we are joined by one of our dear friends and multi-time guest. Been a minute since he's been on, and he's had a lot going on since last time that he's joined the show. Um, he's done his uh, baseball tour of uh, North America, which has made, made me extremely jealous. Of course, he has his own podcast the territories he has all the research he does and he is now an author with his book which we'll definitely be talking about as we are joined by our dear friend al gets al welcome back hey thanks for having me so i guess i'm a baseball fan slash podcaster slash author that's more slashes than when the ecw music producer opened for guns and roses <laughs> And had a run-in by uh, Jim Mitchell and the New, and the new Church. <laughs> a lot of slashes. And God, and Lord knows, there's not enough baseball fans slash podcasters slash authors around. <laughs> you can't you can't go to a wrestling convention and throw a rock and not hit a baseball fan slash podcast. <laughs> We're all I, I think Bix is one of the few that's not. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Uh, yeah, hey. but but he gets rocks thrown at him for other reasons, so don't leave it out. <laughs> he's podcaster slash author, so yes. Uh, yes. he's got that, that two part down. But yeah, man, talk about your book. Let's go ahead and talk about it real quick at the beginning of the show. Uh, right, tell about yeah. what you got going on. Well, this is uh, – so my podcast and website are called Charting the Territories, and this book right now is planned to be the first in a series of books, and it's uh, – the 1971 to 1973 Leroy McGurk, Oklahoma slash Louisiana Wrestling Almanac. And it's – I consider it more a reference manual than a book per se, uh, but it covers Leroy McGurk's territory that encompassed parts of seven different states, not just Oklahoma and Louisiana, but parts of five other states as well. It's got the most complete listing of house shows for the territory you'll find anywhere. Listen to this, Chris. In a three-year period of time – I have listings for, from one territory, 2,499 house shows. I can't believe it because, you know, I'm, I'm doing the research on, on things. And, of course, I haven't done a whole hell of a lot of 70s. Mainly my, my main focus is 80s. But, I mean, just look at the 70s stuff that I've looked at over the years and look at the newspaper websites – I mean, the McGurk territory is—it's massive, and they're running. I mean, they're running sometimes what four or five crews a night. I—the I, most I've seen in one night is four. Uh, yeah. Four shows, but typically <laughs> they're running three. And based on my estimates and and using the data, I can estimate that that number I have of two thousand four hundred ninety-nine house shows is about eighty-five or so percent complete. So that means we're missing another few hundred or so shows that, that are lost to the ether. And you may be wondering, you know, how is that possible? Well, a lot of these shows back then, you would probably have 
what three matches on the show sometimes where you have two single matches and a tag match uh, i mean the- in their spot towns, yes, but by this point in the early 70s, they're they're running regular shows. They've got a good crew of, of – at any given time, there's probably at least 30 guys in the tor- in the territory regularly. So you, you, you break that up into three towns. Maybe the smaller one has eight guys on it, like you said, at two, two singles and a tag. But the other ones are, quote-unquote, full shows. On Mondays, it seems like they only ran two shows, and that's Shreveport and Tulsa. And between those two cards, it utilizes most of the crew. But other nights, you know, if I've got three shows, but I can still find six wrestlers that aren't booked on that night that I know are in the territory that week, we can assume that they're working somewhere else in some small town. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy times back then. Absolutely. And uh, that territory is definitely uh, (laughs) – it was one for the ages, that's for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, Watts – Watts was in charge basically of of, of his thing, but McGurk was still the boss in in the end. But, I mean, how many TVs were they running back then? Uh, We don't know for sure. Um, Their primary TV in the late 60s was taped live in Oklahoma City, and based on how the house show lineups are, it looks like it was on a one-week bicycle in – Tulsa and Little Rock, similar to how Memphis did it in the 80s, where Oklahoma City got it live, and then the following week, the other markets all got that that same TV on a week delay. But there is some times when it sure looks like Louisiana has their that, own TV. That's what I was thinking. Louisiana had their own TV. And the clay, the towns run by Bob and Leonard Clay, which are include Fort Smith, Arkansas, uh, Pine Bluff, uh, Joplin, Missouri, Joplin. And Wichita Falls, Texas. At one point, they didn't have TV. They would literally, the guys would come in early in the afternoon and do a five-minute spot on the local news broadcast to yes. promote their show. But based on some results that Matt Farmer sent me that came from Barbara Goodish. It looks like Fort Smith had a separate TV taping in the mid seventies. Yeah. I th- I've seen those results as well. So, and, and it makes sense yeah. that that TV would be, but would be sent to uh, the clays, other towns as well. So it's very possible. They had three for sure going at any one time. I can't, I don't know this for a fact though. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, that territory that big is definitely possible and plausible. Yeah. But that would be because, I mean, good Lord, it'd be hard to bicycle that tape all them, in all them states back then. You know, it's different when you have a satellite, you know, like they would have in later on. But good Lord. Oof. Man. Right. So when did yeah. KTBS become the main show? Um, at, I, My best guesstimate is 77, 78-ish. Before there was a Mid-South. Oh, so that's Correct. interesting then. So – so when Terry Funk, Bill Watts happens, that is not the main show in the territory. Um, I, what what I don't know is come seven because that that's is that late seventy five. That's December seventy five. Yeah, I don't know. I think Louisiana doesn't have their own TV by that point, so it's possible that they're bicycle bicycling that through. They also might, you know, insert part of what they tape. In you know, in on their main TV into something they do in others. I just, I, I would love to answer your question and say this uh, on this date. This is exactly what they did. Part of the challenges that we face as wrestling historians is we might know 
what the what the schedule was for one point in time. That doesn't mean it was the same two years earlier or two years later. Um, I just I just don't know. I would assume though that they made a big deal out of the Funk Watts match and and if not aired the the full match aired it in clip form you know uh in the all the towns yeah all right we'll talk more about the book later on the show when we do the final plug so let's get it going as we go to the week that was october the 12th through the 19th we have that extra day of 1993 and we begin with the world wrestling federation Randy Savage blasted Hulk Hogan in a lengthy interview on Jim Ross's Rio WS show on October 16th with comments regarding Hogan's lying on our senior hall show to a subtle and not so subtle comments on Hogan and Hogan's wife's role during the period when Savage and his wife Elizabeth broke up. At the press time, neither Hogan nor any of his close associates had commented on the interview. Should be noted that it was pretty obvious the way Savage, Jim Ross, and Johnny Polo, who co-hosts the radio show, were interacting during the segment that all three knew what was about to be said. Ross, before bringing Savage on as a guest, noted that he would be saying things you won't believe and later made comments to some of the things he would be saying you'll be reading about tomorrow morning in the sports pages of your newspaper. Although at press time, no newspaper technology interview, they suspect the comments to be make the wrestling columns of a few newspapers that have them. It's clear from the television promotion of the show that Ross is working very hard to garner publicity for his radio vehicle. A few weeks back, Ross was able to get the green light from Vincent Mann to be more controversial on the show and talk about other promotions. The question they're going to be asked is, is Vincent Mann's role in the decision-making process a specific interview? If it was an angle arranged ahead of time with Hogan's permission? It is well known within wrestling that what Savage said in the show echoed things he's been saying in the dressing room dating back to the period shortly after his divorce in the summer of 1992. It's also obvious Ross is trying to earn a niche for the radio show as being something other than an extension of weekly WF television. Nevertheless, be it as it may, it is very difficult for Dave to believe that either would go public in that nature without the okay from Vince. Hogan was very protective of Vince whenever the subject came up in his publicity tour for Mr. Nanny. However, in the New York Daily News gossip section last week said that Hogan would be meeting shortly with Ted Turner about starting up a new wrestling company. It's believed that the item wasn't planted by Hogan's side. How the officials reacted to reading the item is cause for a lot of speculation. While the details of what the meeting is supposed to be, although about can't be confirmed, other sources confirm a meeting scheduled shortly between the two. Others believe that it concerns Hogan at WCW and not starting up of a new company. Well, gee, you think? Hogan did turn down an invitation to appear on WCW to plug his movie. Hogan and other interviews do a publicity for Mr. Nanny, which received generally horrible reviews. And did $921,000 of business during his second week, finishing 16th for the weekend with a $3.4 million two-week total. Eesh. Claims that have been uh, besieged wrestling offers outside WF mentioned in New Japan, Turner, and overseas tours. Now back to Savage. Savage's comments started with, have you heard the name Hulk Hogan? The five-time World Wrestling Federation champion? Hulk Hogan became one time the biggest superstar in the history of professional wrestling. I personally used to look up to Hulk Hogan, but that was a big mistake. I really thought he was a friend, but he's definitely not. He's the worst prima donna I've ever met in my life. Hulk Hogan's ego went so far out of control that Hulk Hogan consumed Terry Balea, which is his real name. Oh, my God. <laughs> Shoot names. They've been uttered. Heaven forbid. Let's like just when, say – well, it's, like it's like when your mom you know, calls you by your middle name, you know, says your first name and middle name, and you know yeah, you're in you, trouble. Exactly. When the shoot name comes out, you're yeah, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Randall Mario Poffo. 
<laughs> oh man let's just say I've lost a lot of respect for Hulk Hogan aka Terry Balea both as a man and as a human being that's an extreme understatement that I'm saying right there a lot of people out there might be thinking it's professional jealousy but putting professional jealousy aside if there's any which I'm not saying there is I lost respect for Hulk Hogan big time Number one, when he completely lied on Arsenio Hall, denying the use of anabolic steroids instead of rehabilitation, except for rehabilitation of, of an injury. Oh, uh, putting professional jealousy aside, if there is any, which I'm not saying there is, I'm not <laughs> mad. Actually, I think it's funny. <laughs> oh, man. At this point, Ross asked Savage if he had ever used steroids. Yes, I have. I used anabolic steroids, and when I was on Arsenio Hall, I told people I did, when they were legal. But it's like putting poison in your body. Rawson asked Savage if he currently uses them. No, I sure don't. Nobody does in the WWF. But at the same time I was asked about it, I told the truth. It was prevalent at the time, not just in wrestling, but in all sports. Baseball, basketball, football, you name it, it was there. It was in the gyms, it was legal at the time, but at the same time, if Hulk Hogan's a guy that he says he is, if he's leading the Hulkamaniacs down the tunnel where there's light at the end of the tunnel, and he's showing them the way, hey, the children are our future. If you're lying to them, you're lying to me. If you're lying to me, you're lying to everybody, brother, because that's just not the way it's happening. I remember being in the car with him the day before he went on Arsenio Hall in St. Louis, Missouri, and I begged him for three hours not to go on and do that. Well, could you imagine that car ride? At this point, Ross, Tiffin asked surprised by the last statement, said, you knew he was going to go in there and lie? Savage responded, exactly. I knew he was going to go do it and lie about using anabolic steroids. I told him he could be a leader among men if he would tell the truth, but he was worried about the image of the character Hulk Hogan, a.k.a. Terry Balea. I said, brother, listen, we all make mistakes. Be honest. The world is more forgiving than you think. Steroids were legal then, but he said, not a chance. He went on Arsenal Hall and lied. He lied big time. He hurt himself. I'm not worried about him hurting himself, but he hurt all the World Wrestling Federation. Because I, like I said before, he was a leader. He was a big-time, five-time World Wrestling Federation champion. When he talks, people listen. Yeah, but when he went on Arsenio Hall and lied and everything came down after that, you realize he hurt himself that he cared about. But I guarantee you from heart to heart right now, he couldn't care less about hurting any of us at the World Wrestling Federation. At this point, Ross interjected, or he said, saying, are you saying he's selfish? Savage said, selfish to the umpteenth degree, and I'm not perfect, no doubt about it. This guy's really not even perfect, though he wants you to believe it. Okay, for the record, uh, Arsenio was a couple days after uh, the Bush Stadium, so. so I, in spite of the context of everything else going on here, I do kind of believe Savage when he says that. Yeah? Well, I'm, I mean, he's, I'm sure he's probably telling the truth. So do we do we think Hogan's confiding in him that he's going to lie while telling Vince he's going to tell the truth? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's something else. I mean, also, dear God, I wish we had the audio of this to hear him do the, all this in the Randy Savage voice. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, Ross then brought up his celebrated marriage and divorce with Liz Hewlett, Elizabeth. Savage's comments were, there was a time I fell in love. I got engaged. I got married. It was to Elizabeth. Then it got to a point that some of the kids out there can relate to. Maybe it happened to their mother and father or uncle or aunt. Sometimes it just doesn't go forever. 
Elizabeth and I were married, but we were having problems. Happens that at the time, Elizabeth and Hulk Hogan's wife were very, very, very best friends. And they were running around together. I didn't think it was healthy for our relationship, but whatever is whatever. A lot of people can have different kinds of friends. But there was a time when I was wrestling on the road while we were having problems, and I would call home, and Elizabeth wouldn't be there. During a certain segment of time, I would just get another phone call. Being the master of the phone that I am, master of the phone, and I would have a conversation with Hulk Hogan, and he would give me swerves and curves, but never tell that Liz was over there. Master of she the would... phone, isn't that Haman? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. She was either out with his wife Linda or hiding out at their house. Later on, while I was wrestling on the road, basically when I call home, there's no answer for four days, and Elizabeth was MIA, missing an extra four days. I was worried about my wife then, and I still am now. I can't help that. Because of my heart, I'll always love her. It's very hard not to let go. It's very hard to let go. But you got to let go. That's for those people out there who have situations like that. But no doubt about it, being honest, four days went by and Liz called me and told me to get a lawyer because she wanted a divorce. That was the end of the story right there. Ross then asked Savage if he thought Hogan knew about the divorce and what was going on at the time. Savage responded, like Hogan and his wife were in Miami making that movie that bombed. <laughs> <laughs> At which point, Ross asked him, which one that bombed? The Savage responded, Mr. Nanny. He's a three-time loser. <laughs> he started out with no holes barred. That did about $10 million. Then Suburban Commando did less. Then he broke his own record for doing less than that with Mr. Nanny. <laughs> Not to say there's anything personal right here. It's kind of like Crush. A Hulk Hogan uh, situation. I was making calls and going completely out of my mind because I didn't know where she was and couldn't even talk to her about it. Because she wanted the lawyers and all, but gave me curves and swerves again. So he didn't know where she was. But he also said, brother, if I hear anything, I'll let you know. But in desperation, I flew to Miami at the Jockey Club where Hogan was staying and where they were filming the movie Mr. Nanny. And there I found Liz. Shockingly. The word shockingly was said sarcastically. Obviously, by this time, only half shocked. You dig? Honesty and friendship between Hulk Hogan, aka Terry Belay, and the Macho Man Randy Savage, aka Randy Poffo. Brother, I'm right there. I'm out here in front of you. Hit me with your best shot. The honesty and friendship wasn't there, possibly never was. And right now, talking to Rio WF, I would tell you it was never there. I was fooled. I didn't know it, and Liz didn't know it either. She thought she had a best friend with Hogan's wife. But now we both know, separately, of course, because we are legally divorced. Can you believe the fact that Hulk Hogan's wife and Liz don't talk now? So what kind of friends do you think they were? It's almost like they got the job done. It was the worst case scenario. Broke us up. Did whatever they had to do. They're not even friends now. I think Liz realizes a lot because as time goes by, you know what I mean? And I wish the best for her, but a lot's changed and the trust is broke. I changed a lot in my lifetime. <laughs> Man. Okay. This is... <laughs> It says, it says, if Hogan didn't like what I said over the airways and wanted to do that in front of WF and Arena nearby or garage in his choice, that would be cool for the Macho Man Randy Savage because you can beat me but not eat me. And I don't think you can beat me. <laughs> okay, look. Whatever you want to say about Hogan and Linda, they are not the bad guys in this situation. <laughs> they, I don't think they were actively trying to break up their marriage. No. No, I mean, should we should we just go to the dark side of the ring? Because I pulled it up and hear Linda's side of this. Yeah. I feel like we should. Yeah. After Nanny, it required us to be down in Miami for about eight weeks. So Liz called and goes, 
when are you going to be back home? And I said, I'm going back the next week. She's like, oh. She's like, Randy, can I please go? I heard her talking to him on the back of the phone. She's like, can I please go? I want to go help Linda with the kids. I just want to go see them and hang out with Nick and Brooke in the pool and stuff. And he's like, well, only if you're going to be babysitting and you're going to be with Linda. She flew down with us. It was so much fun. She helped me unload the kids. We got the toys. We were hanging out. We're all going to go out to dinner, you know? I said, so I'll just go get ready, do whatever, come back from your workout or whatever. And 7.30, I'm thinking, like, aren't we going to do our makeup together and our hair together, which is what we always did. So I'm kind of, like, knocking on her door, and I see the light is on. You can see under the door, but she's not answering. Where's Liz? So we come back from the break. In 1992, leaving her husband Randy Savage behind, Elizabeth travels alone to Miami to stay with Hulk Hogan and his wife Linda. Terry had to film the next morning, and the whole next day goes on, and I see her at the pool. I'm like, Liz, where were you? You know, we were worried about you. And she's like, oh, well, I met this other gentleman that lives in the building, and he has an extra room here in the building, and he he thought maybe I'd want to take it. The way I heard the story was that Liz wanted away from Randy. And so she contacted Hulk's wife, Linda, and went and stayed at with them. Now, meanwhile, Randy is freaking out because he doesn't know where the love of his life is. Randy kept calling my room, wanting to talk to Liz. And I was like, Liz is not here. <laughs> I didn't say she had her own room. I just said, she's not here. I think she's with friends or something like that. And he goes, well, where is she? I was like, she's not here. She's not here. Randy was like, I'm going to fly down. You know, don't tell her because I, I don't like this. You know, she's never, like, missed my calls, and she should be answering, or she should at least be calling me back. Three hours later, he lands, comes in blazing in the door, blazing, guns fired, looking for Liz, and I'm sitting there, and he's like, where's Liz? I was like, Randy, look, I don't know. He's like, what? You know, where do you think she is? You know, who was she with last? What did you guys do? I'm gonna go find Liz, and I want you sitting here in the chair. And if you so much as leave this chair and you smarten her up and tell her that I'm here looking for her, you're gonna hear about it. I'd never seen Randy like this before in my life because I'd never even seen him argue or fight. Seriously, I really hadn't. So him and Terry went out the door and I didn't know what was going on. I just knew I wasn't leaving the chair. And I guess he found her. Terry came back to the room and said, I left them on their own. They're sorting it out. So they got in their rental car and they drove back home. And he basically told Terry in so many words or less, like Liz is not coming back to Miami and there's no more hanging out. Party's over. This is ridiculous. She just went too crazy, you know? I think Randy felt, you know, again, life imitating art, that Hulk was taking Liz's side. Well, that was the beginning of the end for them, but the beginning of the end for Randy and, and Hulk, too, because Randy always thought that Hulk had something to do with it. And I'm with, I've been Hulk for 39 years. Hulk had nothing to do with that. He was shooting the dadgum movie. I think that when, when you separate and, like, she's at home and he's on the road, that all of a sudden it's a newfound freedom, and that's a whole brand-new life on both parts. Yeah, it was just a normal day. I was just home with the kids, beautiful day out. And this is probably like five, six weeks after we wrapped filming and we left Miami. You know, hard line phones. I'm in the kitchen. I'm giving Nick a bottle or whatever. And it's Liz. I'm like, hey, Liz. God, I miss you. How are you? You know? And it was like dead silent on the other end of the phone. I was like, Liz? She's like, Linda? I left Randy. 
I was listening to her, and she was like, sounded like she was at a gas station or something. I could hear cars going by in the freeway, you know? I was like, oh my God. She goes, well, I'm done. I left him. And I said, oh my God. I said, are you home? Can I come help you? Can I talk to you? I was like, I need to talk some sense to this girl, you know? And she wasn't home. She goes, nope, I'm halfway to Miami. I'm going back. I met some people there, and I'm, I've got a place to stay. She goes, just promise me, don't tell Randy that I'm on the road. She had a convertible little red Cadillac, and I, I just, the, the mental picture in my mind was her, like a country music video or something with two suitcases in the back and her just driving her convertible down to Miami with the wind blowing through her hair. Probably feeling free and relieved of the constant submission that Randy had on her. And it wasn't that he was trying to do it out of being mean or anything, it was just his protective way, but she had just had enough of that suppression. When Randy and Liz split up, you could tell there was a change in the Macho Man. You know, he was a little drawn back. He really wasn't as intense as he was when they were together. Once she was gone, he he really kind of just went silent. He he lost all. He didn't really care about the business. You know, it was like the lights were on, but nobody's home. All right. I've always found her side here to be you know, very credible and come off very honest. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we all know what way Randy was. Well, that's the other I mean, thing, too. Even if even if they did take an active interest in helping her leave him, would you really blame them? No. No, absolutely not. I mean, locking in closets and all that stuff. I mean... Well, don't know. Not even just that. Well, the saying that she couldn't leave the house when he was on the road and she wasn't, so she had to have enough TV dinners to last herself, so she wouldn't have to go out to get stuff and cook or get takeout or anything. Yeah, he was way, 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 way too overprotective. And you know, when you're like that, you can drive. You drive or, a person yeah. away. Oh, she never missed yeah. my calls. Blah 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 blah. blah. Like, yeah. Al, what, what, what are your thoughts on all this? Uh, you, you guys are right, and, and when the Bolays are the most credible side to a, to a <laughs> he said she said story, that's when you know you're in the wrong. When the Bolays <laughs> come off as sounding logical and reasonable and making sense, then yeah, you're you're in the wrong, pal. And uh, I do find it funny that he's busting on Hogan's movies because wh- what what got worse reviews, Hogan's movies or Randy Savage's rap album? <laughs> well, at least he was, but that's years later, so <laughs> yes, well, he ain't done that yet. Yeah, it featured one of the greatest reviews of all time. The, some some uh, person reviewed Savage's album and said it defied the laws of physics by simultaneously sucking and blowing. <laughs> That's, uh, I don't think that reviewer invented that one, though. It's like the old talk about the vacuum cleaner. Man, you suck and blow at the same time. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, and, and, and to bring it all back around, is Savage rapping by Hulk Hogan. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yep. I mean, okay, here, here's a question. If this was any other wrestler and his wife, would Savage be at, reacting like this? Um, to a point, I think. No, but he'd be doing this. Oh, this the radio deal. Thing. Oh, um, Yes. I mean, he's doing it at this time because it seems like Hogan's gone. I know, but just, just, just. I mean, just throwing out. I mean, it, what if it would have been 
Tito Santana or, you know, somebody like that. Right. Um, no. 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 Because, I mean, he mentions it there, professional jealousy. He admits, he, he admits it there. He was already insecure about Hogan to begin with. Well, he had and now, his eyes. And, well, and now, you know, and now his wife is buddy-buddy with the guy that's his professional rival and that guy's wife. and Well, they had been friends for a long time, though. because I know, well. Like, Linda would go on the road, so because Liz was the only other woman on the road, they became friends. Yeah, but still, it's that professional jealousy. Alright, so Dave was talking about what Savage had just said about, uh, you know, physical stuff. So obviously those last comments where Savage was sounding like he was doing a promo almost would make one believe this is simply the start of an Antonio Inoki New Japan-like shoot angle for a Hogan-Savage match at WrestleMania. Part of it, at least when it comes to where the interview was done and the timing, can be labeled as a hot shot angle to get the radio show over, which should at least partially succeed. Equivocating the Hogan thing with Crush would lead credence to, for, to that idea, and many within wrestling seem to believe it to be an angle, which based on follow-up comments on Monday Night Raw makes Dave think that way as well. But Savage talks about it on Raw. It's well known throughout the business that there is, or at least was, major legit heat between Hogan and Savage stemming over the incidents he talked about on the show. But this is the type of angle Jerry Jarrett would come up with and that Randy Savage had done and even specialized in earlier in his career. It should be noted that during 1987, Akira Maeda shoot kick non-angle Ricky Choshu the several of the American wrestlers on the New Japan Tour and virtually all the simultaneous All Japan Tour believed to be nothing more than an angle, suspension, injury, and, and all, even though it wasn't. And I believe it was an angle by some of those wrestlers continued up until the point Maeda started his new company, rendering throwing those beliefs out the window. The fact that we have out of the past would never consider doing anything of this type means nothing because all the rules are different now. That This is simply stage one of an attempt at an elaborate angle between two of the best-known li- living pro wrestlers in the country for WrestleMania can't be ruled out. Although, if that was the case, Hogan would have to be in on it and agree to allow Savage to make all these statements beforehand. The portrayal of Hogan is such a like a certain timing, prevalence of in wrestling, of rumors of him talking with other groups or starting his own group makes it also a possibility that this may be stage one of WF attempting to counter any business competition from the most powerful force the company has created. Or maybe it's simply an attempt to shield itself from whatever potential bad publicity may be forthcoming by confusing the issue and trying to portray Hogan as the bad guy and as much publicized interview on Arsenio Hall as the reason for all the negative publicity, thus diverting the attention from the charges aimed at the company and making the company seem like innocent victims of an ego of this top star that went out of control. Um, I'd say it's almost all the above. Well, also, I think it's interesting that Dave is... Dave is obviously aware that something's going on with Hogan and the grand jury and immunity, but I guess can't say it. Yeah. Because what, otherwise, what would those last couple sentences even mean? Yeah. But, I mean, there's also a lot of this, a lot of this stuff is all the above to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and for what it's worth, the Linda Stasi thing, like, it, it that Dave mentioned earlier, the New York Daily News was on the tenth, so six days earlier. Al, if you think there was a, a a chance that they that they could have got Hogan to work WrestleMania against Savage, would they have done that? I I can't see. You know, Dave says you know that if that was the case, that Hogan would have had to been okay with all this. I can't see Hogan at that time being okay 
with this. And so if that's the case, then if that wasn't something they agreed on with Hogan, I can't see them coming to Hogan afterwards saying, hey, we, you know, we, it, let's turn this into, you know, a money making angle. I think Hogan at that point would have been pissed off enough to not want to do that. I just, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you the thing in the whole, the whole thing in that, that should tell, should have told everybody that this wasn't an angle. Savage making fun of Hogan's movie. Hulk Hogan, that that I could never see Hulk Hogan going along with somebody making fun of his movies like that. Well, also because he said all three movies and one of those was No Holds Hard, which was yeah. exactly. I just I would not see Hulk Hogan going along with that at all. Yeah, because of his point, ego. Yeah, and to your question about Tito Santana, I think the reason why Savage is saying this stuff is because even though he and Hogan still run in the same circles and will probably you know run into one another. With Hogan not there anymore, it's different, and, and it makes yes. it easier. And and yes. you know, and, and if we use the Tito Santana example, if this if Savage says something about Santana, he's going to have to deal with Santana in a locker room in the very near future. And you know, I I don't not that Tito's known as a shooter or anything, but I don't think Savage is necessarily looking to invite, you know. Potential conflict. So it's so, more. Well, the, 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 I mean, the reason why I use that example is in standing. Somebody like that. Okay, right? I right. mean, because he's not professionally jealous of Tito Santana. Right. But okay. he was a Hulk Hogan. I don't think he's going on this diatribe on WWF radio with, with anyone that was still in the WWF at that time. Um, No. No. Well, I mean, I, I just thought I wouldn't see that. No. We need to we need to ask around and figure out who people think would have won in a fight between Tito and Randy in 1993. Because now I'm kind of curious what people think. <laughs> yeah, eh, I'd still it, go with Savage. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. He's a little more. He's a little more crazy. So yeah, uh, he'd be more dangerous. Yeah, unless Tito world. had access to his uh, to the uh, his uh, hairdressing uh, supplies. Well, as long as he didn't pull a knife on him at a Waffle House. Well, that, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like how he's <laughs> a little yeah, more recently crazy. get married. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. What were you saying, Bex? You, you were up under us when... Then you said a little more crazy than Tito. Well... A little. A lot more, a lot more crazy than Tito. <laughs> All right. Um, Dave comes back uh, with the next week. A few more files from the Savage interview regarding Hogan on WWF. First, this was not an angle, as was believed at the time in last week's observer with the press. The most intriguing aspect of all this is that Hogan was asked a few days earlier to appear on the show. Although never was never informed that Savage would be on, or what subject matter was being planned for the show. Uh-huh. So apparently this was a well-laid-out plan to ambush an unbeknowing Hogan with Savage's comments in a public forum. Hogan, who had done the same radio show two weeks earlier, apparently had a premonition something was up. Because it was awfully quick to be asked back to do a radio show for a company he was no longer working for. Or simply was busy. And lucked into not being in a potentially embarrassing position. Even as the show was going on, neither Jim Ross or Randy Savage knew for certain whether or not Hogan was going to call in. As reportedly, he never either confirmed or non-confirmed the request to appear. While many were furious with some remarks Savage made, Hogan has publicly taken the ignored in a go-away position. Kind of like me on Twitter. And isn't expected the public acknowledging this ever happened. Hogan has spent most of the past week at DC Studios in Orlando filming Circus of the Stars. 
which he's hosting with MTV's Adam Curry. Amazing. For CBS TV, suppose it wasn't even aware of the comments or on either television or radio until Tuesday. There's a good case being made for taking this position as Hogan. It says if Hogan were to get into a public pissing contest, he'd end up having his name soiled even more, particularly since any attempt at defending himself on the charge of lying on Arsenio is going to be tough to pull off. At the same time, this ignoring a go-away position when it comes to the same repeated criticism for lying on Arsenio Hall in July 1991 has ended up being extremely damaging to Hogan. Once attempted to ignore it and pretend it's gone away for two and a half years, it's constantly resurfaced since that time and has resulted in severe damage to his image, both as a wrestling draw card and even public arenas and private criticism within his profession. If not the idea itself, almost surely approval of the idea to have Savage go on the radio and make those comments had to come from Vincent Mann. Because of that, the relationship between Dove and Hogan, the name synonymous with the organization for the past 10 years, has to be strained more now than ever before. And many coast situations believe it is now strained beyond repair. Nobody has come up with any reasons, just speculation, for why this plan, which in hindsight appears to have been a dramatic way of making a statement against Hogan, was implemented. But if you're anxiously awaiting for more interviews of this nature to build to a Hogan Savage match at WrestleMania, the odds are extremely long against anything more being said or the match is happening. What this says to me, Bix, is I mean, how many times have we talked about in the show about how at this time Randy Savage was one of Vince's closest friends, right? Mm-hmm. He had a house Did, in Connecticut. Don't you see? I mean, you can just see Vince knowing that Hogan is not coming back, knowing that Hogan's about to talk to Turner, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. Randy, uh, how about going on Rio WF and uh, telling your story? I definitely can see that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, what? I mean, seriously, what? What was the reason why this is happening anyway? Was there there was nothing that brought this up? No, there's nothing. There's nothing that you know was the impetus for this. This is just something that happened, right? So I definitely can see Vince being the puppet master here, Al, yeah, and pulling that string. You know, Jim Ross goes to Vince and says, "Hey, can we be a little more edgy? Can we do something different on WWF Radio?" And that right there gets the wheels rolling in Vince's head. And says, "Oh, okay. Who can, well, who can I bury using this new different vehicle? Ah, Hogan. There we go. <laughs> hey, Mach, come over yeah. here. Yeah, exactly. Great idea. Exactly. Exactly." Dave says, "I didn't want to make any many comments about the actual remarks Savage made, since at the time of last week's issue, Dave was under the impression it was a unique beginning of a WrestleMania angle. First, well, this is hardly saying anything that hasn't been said to death. It's hypocritical in this position and not someone for telling the truth." Savage's comments regarding Hogan's Arsenio interview have been said by others, both publicly and privately, for two and a half years. One could not Savage or Titan Sports itself. So Savage was acting in some ways as a company mouthpiece in this interview for saying the same thing the company had been so outraged about when others went public with identical statements years earlier. But truth is truth. Among the winning women wrestling that have probably commented to Dave in the situation, the consensus of opinions have Hogan, Liner, and Senior regarding steroids, and at best, Savage's appearance. When he addressed the same subject many months later, was only slightly more honest. Savage did this show too much outcry, claiming Hogan lied and already gone public and could learn from the mistake he made. Savage at best addressed the steroid subject as a way to get off a pre-planned joke when he characterized his own use as experimenting when it was legal. But he quit when it gave him PMS. Savage didn't lie and deny, didn't lie and deny use, but Harley can be congratulated for setting an example and coming clean on his personal use. And secondly, he criticized Hogan for not doing. The term experimenting will lead the public to believe very minimal use over a short period of time. 
Statements about legality of steroid use are in some cases questionable, depending upon time frame used, how they were obtained, and where they were used. It obtained as laws vary from state to state and from year to year. Many comments by Russell's regarding use when legal has turned out to be incorrect. Grand jury evidence has shown federal express packages from convicted steroid dealer Dr. Joel Zaharian to Randy Poffo between 1987-1989 totaled nine pounds, roughly the same quantity during the same time period as packages sent to Terry Balea. It can't be confirmed that these packages contained exclusively steroids and steroids at all, since Zaharian was convicted of distributing illegal drugs other than steroids and also distributed vitamins and other medications to wrestlers based on that testimony. As far as Hogan and his wife's role during the period of Savage's separation from his wife, many feels a cheap shot by Savage, particularly in bringing Hogan's wife into it. Dave's in no position to judge any statements on that subject. Dave's feeling is you can't knock someone for saying something if it's the truth, but what the actual truth was in that situation is something that only a few people know. Yeah, I mean, Savage Savage didn't go on Arsenio. We, God knows we played it you know, a while back, played the, the interview. He didn't go on there guns blazing, you know, anti-steroids. You know, he said he he experimented it when it was legal. So he didn't go hardcore on that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not just a it's not just the Hogan thing. It's it's definitely Vince is trying to get this out there because the heat's coming. The heat's coming for the for him. I mean, he's being invited in, what, five weeks? Yeah, he's trying to divert more blame to Hogan. But you notice, you know, I mean, good for Dave, good for Dave, though, for not going hard into the whole did Linda and Hulk break up their marriage angle? Because, I mean, you you don't know. You didn't know at that time. That's That's just allegations. And it's also not really his place to dive into it anyway. No. Not at all. But, uh... Yeah, this is just the beginning of that, because, I mean, it gets talked about on Raw, too. <laughs> Savage brings it up on Monday Night Raw during the show. Um... Yeah, he, uh... I can't remember which match it was in or anything, but he definitely it definitely was talked about, so... Yeah. That was the only thing on the radio WWF that day. Let's go to Pearl's Torch. Shawn Michaels was interviewed by live by Jim Ross on Radio WF on October sixteenth, where he said that he without a doubt right now is the hottest commodity in all the wrestling world. I would be a liar if I said the WCW, every independent organization, Japan, they've all been calling me. My phone's ringing off the hook. I've been entertaining offers from everybody. Right now I haven't decided what I'm gonna do. Michaels didn't say anything other than defending his Intercontinental title would be a step down. He then equated his holdout to Emma Smith from a month earlier from the Dallas Cowboys. I don't need wrestling, but wrestling needs Shawn Michaels. And then Way follows that up. Michaels will eventually return to face Razor Ramon in matches where both claim to be the IC champion. Michaels will wear his belt that he never he never returned while Razor wore his belt. His return to Ring may not be until after Survivor Series, completing his three month sabbatical from full-time action in WF ranks. So yes, folks, he was, <laughs> this is his taking time off. This was, he no. was not leaving. No, not exactly. He was just, remember, he was suspended for failing a drug test for steroids. The impasse became 
he insisted, and he still insists now, and given the way Sean has changed, I believe him, his position was, I am not taking steroids. It is very obvious that I'm not taking steroids. This is bullshit. That's what I'm saying. Sean should have told him, did you watch SummerSlam? <laughs> did you not see me at SummerSlam? I mean, Sean, I mean, you look at Sean's match with Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam. That's probably the most out of shape you'll ever see Shawn Michaels. Would you agree with that, Bix? What was it that Punk called him when he used to talk about how he was a fan of that era of Michael's pudgy bad guy, Shawn Michaels? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he he looked like a guy that would have been working the territories 20 years earlier, Al, with that, with that little uh, stomach he had going on. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, visual evidence. But, you know, their their take is they have this testing and what they have to go by what the results say. They can't, you know... Say well, we don't we don't believe it. I I, I just want to know which independent organizations were calling Sean. <laughs> uh, has Bo has have you talked to Bo about this? Was Southern States Wrestling trying to get Sean Michaels to work in the Sampson Center in Fall Branch? Dennis was trying to get him up to work. Dennis, uh, I'm sure I'm sure Dennis was. <laughs> Dennis was trying to get the work uh, New Jersey. <laughs> work get Lopez. Yardville, New Jersey. <laughs> well, no, uh, 93, it would be like what? Yeah, not Lupus. would have been uh, uh, Sean versus Freight Train, Bill Wilcox. Rick, Rick Ratchet. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Sid put over Ratchet, so <laughs> Sean probably would have too. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, we're missing the obvious. Big D. <laughs> <laughs> Big D wrestling, uh, Bix. Sean would be perfect in with Big D. If that's something we're always missing, if there's one thing we're all missing all the time, it's Big D. <laughs> Bix can't get enough of it. Mm. We'll have more Big D later. Well, of course, but, we will. Uh, 1993, we'll have more Big D. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Sean was always there. He's just out. Barbie Angle. He wasn't going nowhere. So, yeah. And he comes back in Survivor Series, which, you know, wasn't really the technical plan, but it, of course, Jerry Lawler forced that hand. So, so yeah. All right. Well, let's go to Monday Night Raw. The angle where Crush made the full-fledged heel turn took place on a live Raw show on October 18th. Crush, with beard and mustache, accompanied by Mr. Fuji, was yelling at Randy Savage about being jealous. When he started surpassing him. Savage got in the ring and seemed to convince Crush to talk off their problems. As they left the ring, Crush jumped Savage and pressed slammed him and dropped him on the railing. Savage juiced slightly from the forehead and from the mouth, and Crush destroyed him in the ring with Fuji and Cornette watching, and Yokozuna gave Savage a bonsai to finish the job. It was a very well done angle. Well, let's watch that, shall we? Well, we'll start with the intro to Raw, though. Yes. Also, we forgot the obvious one, which would be Shawn Michaels versus Kodiak Bear. <laughs> Al, did you ever work with Kodiak Bear? I did not. Aww. Yeah, I, I, to the best of my knowledge, he was not uh, working for Dennis. Uh, and, and, and how can how can we forget that uh, Shawn would have probably also worked for Tom Cassati? I say it was Shawn. Yeah, Shawn would have worked for Tom Cassati oh, yeah. somewhere. Well, he would have gone on vacation with him. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> On the tour of the islands. <laughs> All right, here we go. Over the past four decades, we have witnessed some of the most significant <laughs> summits. So we start with Kennedy Khrushchev, then we have Nixon Brezhnev. In the history yeah. of modern civilization, leaders from the world's two superpowers Reagan meeting one-on-one one to settle their differences. Last Monday night, we witnessed two summits of sorts. Two World Wrestling Federation superpowers met face-to-face in the ring. And when it was over, Razor Ramon was crowned the new WWF Intercontinental Champion. But is he going to wrestle Kodiak fan? And proud American Lex Luger defended our nation's honor when he confronted the Hellraiser from Helsinki, Ludwig Borga. But tonight, live on Monday Night Raw, perhaps the most significant summit in WWF history will take place. After months of speculation and accusation, the macho man, Randy Savage, will finally meet his longtime friend, Crush, face-to-face. Will these two volatile superpowers be able to end their Cold War? Or will their dispute prove irreconcilable and trigger a declaration of war? (laughs) All right. The summit. (laughs) All those great summits. (laughs) Yes, when I think of great summits, I think of Luger and Ludwig Borga. Mm. (laughs) All right. This isn't 13. Is it really the whole thing 13 minutes long? (laughs) Well, I mean, the end of the show. uh, Let's get started and go from there, I guess. Yeah. We yeah. are live, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. It is my pleasure at and this Bobby time, the brain Heenan, obviously as a broadcast journalist, to talk to the big man, the man that weighs 322 pounds from Kona, Hawaii, the man who's been betrayed and stabbed in the back by that man, Macho Man Savage. Let's hear it. Give it up for the big man, Crush. What was that enunciation? And Randy Savage. Uh, Obviously preoccupied. And wait a minute, what's this? By the manager of the World Wrestling Federation champion, Mr. Fuji. Look at that cool hey, What is going up. on? Randy Savage, what do you mean? Things don't look good at the corral, does it, cowboy? Can I just say, I always <laughs> hated it. You're good. If you're going to put him with a heel manager, does it have to be the one who literally was behind? the attack on him that led to him not trusting Savage anymore because he didn't make the save for him soon enough. Why does it have to be Fuji? I, I assume you're saying because uh, Fuji was behind the attack on Crush. Yeah, when they yeah did exactly. Him, so, yeah. Yes. I mean, there's there's a way to explain it, you know, but it's, yes, it, it is odd. And boy, Crush's hair here, like I said, glorious. I mean, Many Southern uh, independent wrestlers would adopt this hairstyle for the next 10 years. Right, Al? Absolutely. Some of them still do. (laughs) (laughs) But with the mix of colors and stuff, it's very GQ Masters. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Randy Savage off headset, and he has been preoccupied, to say the least, all the way through this hour. You know? As Vincisms go, we don't give enough credit to, to say the least. <laughs> well, there's so many. Broadcast journalists, I've got to ask you something. We've never seen eye to eye on a lot of things. 
but I know how your mind works now. You've been betrayed. You've been, you've been talked about by that man over there. Let's hear what it's all about. Randy Savage, I used to call you not just my friend, brother. At one time, you were my best friend. Me and you went up and down the highways and byways together, brother. Anything you told Ta-da. me was like gold. Your word was like gold to me, brah. When you told me what to do in the ring or what to do outside the ring, I listened to you word for word, didn't I, brother? But when, but when the student passed up his teacher, that's right, Randy, when I became your superior, you couldn't handle that, could you, brah? Well, you're right about that. It seems like everything he told you to do was for his benefit, not yours. It didn't put any money in your pocket. And thanks to the help of people like yourself, Bobby, and not Mr. Fuji, but Master Fuji, they made me see the light. Shut up out there, Randy. Randy, when you told me to get in the ring with Yokozuna, that's right, you told me to step into the ring with Yokozuna. You said you would have my back. You knew I wasn't 100%. You knew my back was bothering me from the body slam thing I did at the Intrepid. But you told me... The body slam thing I did at the Intrepid? <laughs> well, who was that? He was trying to body slam. <laughs> now, is the Master Fuji thing supposed to be a nod to Demolition and that that's how Fuji was able to get to him? That's just his name, Bex. He's Master Fuji. I, I but think did anyone other than Demolition yeah. ever call him Master Fuji? I think you're, well, who was a member of Demolition? That was my point, Chris. So, who knows? Not to worry, Crush. I got your back, brother. I'll be right there, just in case there's any outside interference. Well, there was outside interference. And where were you? Yeah, who was there outside interference from, though? (laughs) Randy Savage. No, I'm saying, no, Fuji. Yeah, Fuji. Yeah, it's Fuji. You're right. I'll take another way. Six feet away from the ring on your butt, watching me get bonsai splash. Not one time, not twice, not three times, but four times from the 550-pound Yokozuna. And then you suddenly took it upon yourself to pull me out. Yeah, some friend you were. Why didn't he pull you out after the first one? Or maybe even the second? There's no excuse for him to let you lay there. Your career couldn't, your whole existence could have been over with one more of those. A normal man couldn't have taken what you did. Any normal man would have been completely destroyed, Bobby Heenan. There's only one answer. He wanted me out of the WWF. In fact, he saw me. How about that kid putting his hands over his ears? Yeah, you saw me off. And you called me twice, not to see how good I was doing, but to see how bad I was doing. Yeah, brah, I saw the light. When I was sitting back at Kahalu Beach recuperating, one person made perfect sense to me, and that was none other than Master Fuji. The man, the man who owns the hotel in my own backyard, his ancestors on the Keho Beach Hotel, Coral Lagoon Hotel, not to mention hundreds and hundreds on us. His word is like gold. He makes all that the sense in the world. I'll tell you what, I'm through talking. I just came out here to give you one last warning, macho man. 
Stay out of my life. Stay out of my business. But most importantly of all, you better stay out of my way. Here's the problem with this angle, besides the Fuji stuff. Crush is right. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that would have made this work so much better, and it ends up being well executed here, but still, they hadn't established, but they could have easily done something like Savage is now an announcer, or when he's working as an announcer, he can be severely disciplined if he were to get involved. Just anything like that. Yeah. You can't do anything like that, but that would have made it make so much more sense. Uh, here we go now. Now, Savage, wait a minute now. Randy oh, Savage. Brother, you're making a big mistake. I've made a million mistakes in my lifetime, and I admit it. But you're making a big mistake right now. You understand what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? Still late now, bro. Look me in the eye, brother. Look me in the eye. You're making a mistake. This guy is an agitator. This guy is a parasite. They're nothing but garbage. I'm telling you something, Chris. We're friends, brother. This can be okay. You're out of line right now. Just think about something right now, brother. We can go away from these two goofs. And we can pound it out, we can talk about it, we can agree to disagree, brother. We can make it happen. But you gotta give me a chance to talk to you. If I'm wrong, I'll admit I'm wrong. But you need to back up just a touch, brother, because you're out of line and it's the wrong thing, brother. Man the man, I'm telling you. Man the man, I'm telling you. Just shake my hand right now. And we'll go someplace, brother, right now, and we'll talk it out. And it'll be okay. They don't care about me. These people don't care. It's too late, bro. These people are cool. Each one of these people and all over the world have made mistakes. And you're making one right now. Also, Savage isn't denying that he only called them twice the whole time. <laughs> Savage comes off like Hulk Hogan in this, doesn't he? Like when when guys would turn on Hulk Hogan, this is like Paul Orndorff. Yeah. <laughs> you want to answer Shake my hand. Shake my hand. Obey the code of honor. Crush, don't do it. My advice to you right now is, that's the oldest trick in the book.
fight. Bobby the Brain Heenan's agitation. Bobby, just doing my job as a broadcast journalist. Doing your job, what do you mean? Your chick of Hawaiian solo sound. Sold you out. I thought he had guts. I thought he was mad. He's just a wimp. He's a big coconut pineapple. No, he's a real man. I can tell you that, Bobby Heenan, a real man. Oh, don't let him do that. Oh, my God. Boop. And he can throw clothes by me. Like he just did there. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on now? Look at that. Randy Savage was close line. Randy Savage hammered. What's Chris going to do with Randy Savage? He's going to throw him to the people. Oh, the juicy thing. Oh, my goodness. Red Hulk Hogan colors on the suit. Whoa, tell us that exactly. I think yellow and red. I think that's a cream color. Randy suit. Savage. Oh, looks like yellow to me. Face first. Oh, look, all his, all his teeth are knocked out. I'm not, I'm not certain what has happened, but he's knocked all his teeth out. Randy Savage trying to find his way out of this. Randy Savage was pummeled by Crush, double crossed by Crush. What a setup. Well, he's not done with him yet. They're going to have some fun. Oh, no. Oh, I know it's going to happen, I bet. It'd be nice if he had other fans. Uh-oh. Randy Savage. Oh, <laughs> it is a dead You see that? He only called them twice, too, over the last one. <laughs> well, well, his other friend, he just said, friend, stole his wife from him. Uh-oh, hold on. We, we've got to get... We have to get some control here. Look at this. Okay, I don't even know if we needed all the bonsai drops and stuff, but... It's yeah. well executed for what it is, but... It's a clusterfuck, and... I, I think we should pick it up when they come back from the break and close the show, though, because we get the all-time stupidest WWF injury here. <laughs> Alright. In explaining what happened. Monday Night Raw preliminary report on Randy Savage. Apparently he has a, a lacerated tongue, so we are told. Oh. If, if any of you have ever bitten your tongue, you can have, imagine what happened when Randy Savage, and we think we know when it happened. If we can take you back now and show you the footage of, of where, where we think this lacerated of course that's tongue what happened. occurred right there. Right a, oh. Unbelievable. And we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen, with further word on Randy Savage. 
And for those of you wishing to vote for Shawn Michaels, we'll give you the number if we can. And we'll be right back, so stay with us for more Monday Night If Raw. you drop my head on the guardrail and the only thing that happens is I get a little cut on my tongue, I'm considering myself thankful. <laughs> Should Shawn Michaels' suspension be, and by the way, no apostrophe, great work, uh, be lifted by WDF President Jack Tunney? One number for yes, one number for no, 99 cents per call. Of course, uh, phone number no longer active, kids at least 18, blah, 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 blah. Also, love Raw in this era where it's very obvious that they uh, ran long and haven't shown all the commercials yet. Well, this is cla- – well, how, how, this happened a lot. Yes. On live in that Raws. era. Yes. Yeah, the live Raws, we would get that, that oh. comeback from break and then go back to commercial. Oh, yeah, live television. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Monday Night Raw. And again, the results, ladies and gentlemen, the votes that you cast, and I guess you don't want him back. Only 36% of you said yes, <laughs> the suspension should be lifted. 64% said no, a resounding Well, guess no what? He's coming back. Rain. Heenan, what do you make of it? I don't like it. Somebody jammed the voting box. I, I don't see. believe that. That can't be the I know I made 44 calls myself. <laughs> yeah, probably did. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, here on Monday Night Raw, scheduled to join us a whole host of great WWF superstars, including Diesel in single competition. Well, I want to get to the end again. One, two, three, scheduled. Oh, no, I went too far. It says that they took him to the hospital. I won't be able to eat any peanuts or pretzels. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. What a what a weird angle. Never explains why. I mean, the promo is clearly designed to kind of obscure that Fuji was behind him getting attacked. Because you yes. realize it doesn't make sense. Yes. Yes. But the Survivor Series is coming up, so. That's right. We need another quote unquote foreigner on. Uh, so go get the Hawaiian. Yeah, he's a foreigner. <laughs> can he wa- can he walk to California? No, he's a foreigner. Exactly. You can't walk to one of the forty-eight states. <laughs> Hawaiians and Alaskans, you're no, foreign. Technically, no, Alaska, you can walk. It would yeah, take you a long time, and you would. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, you could. You could. Wait, so does that mean that you, you can walk to Russia quick? Not a foreigner. What's that? I was saying, Daniel Maccabe or anyone else who lives in a Mexican or Canadian border area. Correct. Are they? Sure. They're not a foreigner then. Uh, if if I, I I got I got to double down. I got to not back down. I got to like you know I got to go with it. Yes, this is uh, that's what I said. Okay. Yes. Go with it. All right. So let's go to the raw report now from the torch. Um, talks about uh, the open of the show. Steiner's won a squash match with some awesome moves. Hot moves? Including a including a vertical suplex pile driver by Scott dedicated to Randy Savage. Now the Steiner screwdriver. Yeah. <laughs> a nine hundred line was plugged where viewers can call to allow Sean or Nick Sean to return to WF. Tatanka be Iron Mike Sharp in nineteen ninety three. Bam won a squash match. Savage bat Savage Badmouth Hogan on the program, but limits his comments to calling Hogan a prima donna. Wait, did he completely skip IRS versus Scott Taylor? <laughs> yeah, Wade did. Mm-hmm. Uh, during Survivor Series report by Joe Fowler, Crush uh, Rodney yes. Arena. 
the man who was so too disingenuous a TV personality for pro wrestling. <laughs> and then Wade goes over the, the, the crush thing. Analysis. Superb build-up to the Savage-Crush confrontation. Convincing at the end that Crush was going to befriend Savage, and a Savage turn seemed likely as, crush t- as a Crush turn. A Savage turn? That's So Wade was thinking about that, possibly. Crush, Savage, Heenan, and McMahon played their prominent role superbly, getting across what they wanted to. Production values, as usual, were amazing for any show, especially a live one. The pacing of the show was perfect because any slow spots in the ring was filled by entertaining commentary. And he gives his overall score on the scorecard. Match quality, 5 out of 20. Achieve purpose, 19 out of 20. Angles, 10 out of 20. Interviews, 9 out of 10. Announcing, 9 out of 10. Production values, 10 out of 10. Pacing, 10 out of 10. And send it to tune in next week, 6 out of 10. Overall score, 78 out of 100. Thank God he dropped this stupid scorecard gimmick before long. <laughs> yeah, anyone who attempts to use statistics or whatever to discuss pro wrestling is just an idiot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> who would do such a thing? Well, these aren't really oh. statistics anyway. <laughs> no, um, wrestling analytics? Come on. Yeah. No, actually, real quick, let me just play a sample of Joe Fowler because I don't think we ever have on this show. It's like, we have. It's been a while. It, he just feels like what he was, which is the guy from the Micro Crisp infomercials. So. There was a roller coaster theme for Survivor Series that year? Yeah. I don't remember this. To the extent of computer crash. Oh, and there we get our uh, Jim Johnson saxophone, of course. Mm-hmm. Survivor Series report exclusively right here on Monday Night Raw. I'm Joe Fowler. The only Thanksgiving tradition worth waiting for explodes into action Wednesday night, November 24th, live exclusively on pay-per-view cable TV. The sold-out Boston Garden is the home of the 1993 Survivor Series. So why did the Survivor Series sell out in under one hour without any matches being announced? Let me tell you why. The Survivor Series is a series of eight-man elimination matches where teams of four strive to survive. When a member of your team... They know that doesn't work when it's not teams of five, right? (laughs) He's better here than he was when he showed up at SummerSlam, but he's still too uh, infomercially. Yes. You can tell why he did not last long. Yes. Wrong did it. Uh, 3.0 rating that night. Uh, All American did a 1.9. Mania did a 1.2. That's pretty good rating. 3.0, not bad. Sabu got a try to taping, but didn't look good beating Scott Taylor, who's one of the best of the face jobbers. Sabu was the only newcomer at TV the first night. He looked much better the second night when he's pinned by Owen Hart in an excellent match. And the third night of TV tapings was offered a job, but turned it down because it would have meant he had to give up his FMW bookings, and he's staying loyal to Anita for giving him his first career break. So why take the tryout? So <laughs> Bray Sabu tells it is he did it just for the payoff. Ah, nice. <laughs> Good for him. Well, so, where do you, so in a situation like this, Al, is it loyalty or stupidity? I, I, you know, I... You have to try and put yourself in Sabu's mindset, knowing, you know, what, you know, his deal did, 
could he he could see himself getting working for the WWF? Could he see himself working for a long time for the WWF and being a star in the WWF as they were in 1993? Probably not. I, I think you know. I mean, I you know, it's the age old question. There there are many wrestlers who want to make a lot of money, and uh, and there are a lot of wrestlers who want to become wrestling superstars. And there are some people that want both, ideally. But, you know, in the case of Sabu, he's probably happy with where he is in in 93. And I really don't see what he could do. Uh, you know, is he going to be another foreign menace and join Yokozuna and Crush? Well, I mean, I think it's safe to say he made the right career move. Yeah. By not going. And think about how different, the you know, the world of wrestling is if he goes, because he doesn't become this, you know, cult phenomenon. If he's working, uh, you know, raw working against IRS, you know, or you know, and then in night, they think about nineteen ninety three WWF is not nearly as bad as ninety four WWF would get, especially in the middle of the, middle of the year, late in the year. Oh my God! Well, here's so, the so, thing about if we don't get the Sabu well, fan club, does Gabe Sapolsky work for ECW? There's a lot of. A lot of stuff that goes into that, or, yes. And, and just to play devil's advocate, is it possible that someone in WWF in a position of power realizes what they have with Sabu and realizes that they don't have anyone else or barely anyone else that can do that? Do they then perhaps try and get people for him to work with? I don't, I don't, uh, I don't see this uh, happening no, at all. No, no, Plus, no. Okay. He would be, he would, he would be mid-card. And he would be unhappy, and it would and it would show, and he would yeah. be miserable, and he would tr- basically try and get himself fired or walk out. Yeah, pretty much. He'd, put, he'd be feuding with guys like the uh, Spark Plug, Holly, and 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 guys like that, and that. Stretch. Now they, have, oh, they would have a hell of a match. At yeah, but, but yeah, but. <laughs> He and, wouldn't or be maybe, pushed. maybe they, they become teammates where, where Sparkplug teaches them how to drive. Because since Sabu's <laughs> in a foreign country, in Vince McMahon's eyes, he doesn't know how to drive or read or anything like that. <laughs> like, do skits like that. And there's another thing, too. How successful was our video about Sabu as well? You know, there's a whole lot that goes into that. I think, I think our video doesn't necessarily change that much because he still has the ECW thing going. Well, ACW is different without Sabu too now. True. So I don't, I don't think it's that. I don't think it would affect them drastically. It'd been a huge loss. I mean, they still do things, but it'd been a huge loss because I mean, he was, you know, even even with franchise and funk, you know, you got Sabu. You got to have Sabu involved with Cactus. And then you have the Sabu, Taz, Public Enemy, all that stuff. That feud that gets going. I mean, Sabu is a very integral part. I mean, is he the major part? Not necessarily. But he's probably the – he's the guy that brings the that brings the fans more than just by anybody else. You know, he's not the most pushed guy on the show. So because of his cult hero status. Oh, no, it's interesting what if. If he That's goes to sure. the WWF, do we ever hear the name Dirt Bike Kid? <laughs> <laughs> do we get Ubos? Well, I don't know if we get Ubos, but he would be Zat. Mister <laughs> <laughs> Man, Bobby Heenan take the Domino's commercial for Kipsy at the show. How about that? 
What they took him Marty today? Take the match. Air? What? I don't remember that. I don't know. Once you're getting Marty Jannetty take the match, which ends in a double count when Johnny Polo interfered. They believe they're building to a kid Polo underneath program. Not so much. They were hitting at another match of Survivor Series with Crush. They do, kind of. Nah, not a feud. Crush well, and Headshrinkers and Bam. He mentions kid and Polo. Crush, Headshrinkers, Bam Bam and against four but Doinks. But that's what sets which, off that feud. Which though. would be Randy Savage and Men in Mission dressed in Doink costumes and another Doink. Mm. Which, no. <laughs> uh, on the this, this is the tapings from the next night. Crush is now wearing face paint and managed by Mr. Fuji. Rambler Rich Myers, who has done a few TV jobs and is the son of George the Animal Steel. Uh, again? Was given a chance for winning a trial match at Glens Falls and said they made Todd Champion like a ballerina. Rich Myers is awesome. But he's not George Animal Steel's son. Right. I know. Uh, <laughs> and no, that is, I it's hilarious. I worked with Rich uh, on some shows for uh, Dennis because uh, he used to travel with with Dwayne Gill. Yeah. And Rich, he it's he's very similar to Jimmy Cicero. He's just so smooth and good and solid and unspectacular. But if you you know if you want somebody to have a good match, you put him in against Cicero or you put him in against Rich Myers. Uh, I understand why neither of them necessarily got a break on a larger scale, but, but God, they were both so good. And they were also really, really nice guys. Cicero still is. is. I don't know. Rich may be for all I know, but Cicero uh, actually, he moved down South uh, a year or so ago. I think he's in Louisiana. And then you got Todd champion, you know, who hadn't been around in a while. He's working on a a taping in Glen Falls, New York. That's something. Um, also going to try out at the, at the syndicated tapings was a Sid Vicious clone named Glenn Jacobs, who will be the Black Knight at Survivor Series. They believe all three knights will will have a, a no muscle types. Jacobs had worked in Florida Indies as Sid Powers and Jim Powers in Memphis as Doomsday, currently the Christmas creature. He's Doomsday in Memphis, but he had been a Chris, the Christmas creature. Black Knight debuted during a Bret Hart Lawler cage match in Glens Falls. Yoko Zunipin missed the perfect clean at the taping, and Marty Jannetty beat Diesel by count when Diesel got his legs caught in the ropes and hung outside the ring. It seemed to be built into a Razor Diesel program. Now back to the night, Black Knight. After a rip bump, Black Knight went to the cage, pulled Lawler out the door before the ref could see Lawler having escaped. Owen Hart ran in and threw Lawler back in the cage. As the Black Knight was a strong Owen on the floor, Bret managed to escape and win. There were no video walls up during the Glens Falls taping, but there were at the Burlington taping the next night, which was Superstars. Adam Bauman's at Marty Jannetty and Nile waiting to a match next week where Jannetty loses by count out when all survivors got involved. Sorry, our serious partners. Uh, then Dave comes back with the doinks. Dave. Don't think Savage would be a doink, as speculated here last week. Probably Matt Bourne and Steve Lombardi and either Phil or Ray Apollo and another guy. Nope. <laughs> Nope, it was not. Also, isn't Matt Warren actually gone by this point? I think he wore Survivor Series. Well, I think no, he's going after Survivor Series. Or is he the pre-tape doink at Survivor Series, you mean? Possibly. None of the quote-unquote actual doinks work Survivor Series. Yes. So he may have been the pre-tape doink. I don't remember. And then I also like that Dave just doesn't know if the other guy who's been doink lately is Phil or Ray Apollo. <laughs> well, it's Ray. Yeah. 
But this also led to people confusing Phil and Ray, too. I mean, they were both Northeast, you know, former Savoldi guys, but... What about or, Bob and Ray? Or Argentina, Apollo. <laughs> yeah, what about Bob and Ray? Got to, got to confuse them, too? Anyway. All right, so... Uh, Correction from last week, we reported the 10 a.m. Miami Channel 33 slot was being worldwide when it's superstars. That's the big difference, Dave. Yes. They have no house shows this past weekend, but it starts the B crew this coming week. Hmm. The most recent foreign tour was a larger success. Both Israel shows sold out, and the Germany dates all did big business. The only disappointment was the show in Lisbon, Portugal. Wow. A sprawling wrestling metropolis of Lisbon. And Israel. How about that? 1993. With no, with no Von Erichs on the show. That's right, yes. Tokyo Sports reported that WF will do two or three shows in Japan in April 1994 as part of a Far East tour. Vince was reported saying that they wouldn't be working with a Japanese office but would use Japanese wrestlers and that he'd be going to Japan for a press conference to make an announcement of the shows. It's believed they'll be all indoor shows in 10 to 15,000 seat arenas. Well, they did basically work with war. I mean, pretty much. That's a Not Japanese really. talent shows. No, it's a mix of war, all Japan women, and Mishinoka pro talent. Me, well, yeah, but Mishinoka pro talent was kind of working in war as well. Some it's mm -hmm. war affiliates, war affiliates, the war oh, universe. Yeah, the war universe. <laughs> but no, I mean it was their it was their shows. It wasn't a co promotion. No, they were working with a concert promotion company. Yeah. Which I'm sure did not involve any local businessmen as well. Well, of course not. Um, okay, pulling up the, the first show in Yokohama on May 7th. Uh, okay, who do we have as far as Japanese talent? Jinjei Shinzaki, Nobukazu Harai, War. Nakano, well, Sashi Oyagi, and Ten. War. War. So on the show, yeah, most <laughs> War. Is there anyone else that's on any of these other shows? Saki Hasegawa, and... Okay, so it's basically war wrestlers plus all Japan women and Shinzaki. Yeah. Jet Jarrett as Double J debuted as a heel on television doing vignettes as someone who can't get a break as a country singer who's going to use WF to get his break. Let's watch one Jeffrey Leonard Jarrett, shall we? <laughs> oh, Double J here again. That's J-E-double-F... J-A-double-R-E-double-T. <laughs> Told you folks she's going to be hearing a lot from me next couple of weeks. Wait, is this the first vignette or no? This is the first vignette, even though he says he's back. I checked. <laughs> did they air I'm, them out of order, maybe? I think they did. Okay. <laughs> Don't everybody. You know, I was telling you about the corrupt politics in the country music business. About the wrongdoings in the country music industry. Well, I'm here today at the King Daddy, the Emperor, the Godfather of them all, Buddy Lee Attractions. That's right. Buddy Lee is the premier, the number one talent agency in the world today. But it looks like old Buddy won't give Double J a break, won't give a local boy, a Music City native, a break. I guess you got to be from California or New York City. Or Oklahoma, New York City. Or, or Texas, Austin, Texas, Willie Nelson. You know him. What is he, about 95 years old? Oh, my Lord, the greasiest hair you ever seen, decrepit. You know, old Buddy Lee, he made old Willie a lot of money. Oh, makes me sick to my stomach. 
He's a red-headed stranger. He's a stranger, all right, a stranger to music. Can't carry a tune in a bucket. Can't sing a lick, unlike myself. The greatest voice in this town today, the greatest singer in the world today, and not only the greatest singer, but the greatest wrestler. And I'm going to prove it to you, Undertaker. <laughs> I'm going to prove it to you, Mr. Perfect. And you Steiner boys, yeah, I like things in double. I'm going to prove it to you at the same time that I am the greatest wrestler in the world today. And when I'm done, and when I'm finished... I like how they very obviously cut between two different takes there. Okay, here's what we got going on here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Raw, which would have been after Syndicated, aired the debut. Syndicated before Raw aired their second one first. There everybody. Well, let's finish watching this and then... Yeah, because I got found the raw version, and it's the, the different one. But I like huh. how you could hear freeway traffic, and then you didn't, because they cut <laughs> between takes when they switched camera angles. It's using yes. the WWF. I'm going to come back here to Music Row. I'm going to come back here to Buddy Lee Attractions. And Buddy Lee... Wait, didn't he already walk by that door? He did. ...himself going to walk out that door. This door right here. No, he's not going to walk. He's going to crawl on his hands and knees. And he's going to beg. And he's going to plead. And he's going to say, please, Double J, please sign the dotted line. Because he wants to tell the world. He wants to tell Nashville. He wants to tell all the country music business that he signed. <laughs> double J. That's J-E-double-F. J-A-double-R-E-double-T. Double J. Jeff Jarrett. So, yes. They aired them out of order. Syndicated aired the second one first, and Raw aired the first one after. Okay. So, now we go to Monday Night Raw and watch the true debut, I guess. Okay, so I have a question. You can listen for this, too. Is it me, or does it feel like he got his heel promo voice from Ronnie Pigasset? Well, let's watch this one, and we'll, we'll have more to add to that. Hello, folks. Jeff Jarrett here. That's Double J. J-E-double-F-J-A-double-R-E-double-T. That's Double J. You're going to hear a lot of that name coming up. We're at the Country Music Hall of Fame. I'm going to tell you, folks, just in a second exactly why we're here. You see, I was born into a wrestling family. It was predetermined. I was destined to become the Don't greatest wrestler of all time. And quite frankly, <laughs> I've become that. Everybody here in the South knows that. And shortly, everybody in the WWF will. But I'm coming to the WWF for a couple of reasons. You know, my true love, it's not what comes second nature to me. It's not, it's not what I'm the greatest at. It's not wrestling. It's what's in my heart. <laughs> And that's country music, the country music business. You know, I've got more singing talent, more dancing talent, more stage presence, more charisma than any of all the other country music stars put together. But I can't get my break. Maybe it's because uh, I'm a local boy, a Music City native, or maybe it's because the corrupt politics in the business, in the country music industry. Well, take for example, that fat boy Garth Brooks. He's a transplanted Oklahoman. <laughs> He comes in here to Music City, and they try to make him the greatest thing since sliced bread. It just makes me sick to my stomach. He ought to be the Pillsbury Doughboy instead of a country music star. <laughs> He's making more babies than he is hits. Oh, it makes what? me sick to my stomach. Yep. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the WWF. 
I'm going to use you, Randy Savage. And I'm going to use you, Lex Luger, and you, Bret Hart, and the list goes on and on. But goes old Double J. When he gets done proving he's the greatest wrestler of all time, <laughs> the country music business is going to come begging. Going to come on their hands and knees crawling, kissing my feet, begging me to sign a contract. And then when after that's all over, I'm going to come back here to the Hall of Fame. This old sign here, <laughs> they're going to tear it down. They're going to build a life-size statue, and they're going to make it Double J, gold-plated, life-size. And then old Country Music Hall of Fame, they're going to rename that. It's going to be the Double J Hall of Fame. And I'm going to have gold records, and I'm going to have life-size portraits in there. <laughs> Don't you forget that. Double J. It's J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T. That's Double J, Jeff Jarrett. All right, old Double J. Um, quality control issues because in this promo airing on Raw, we don't get the graphics and the little glimmer on the tube. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, uh, I don't think Vince would have liked that take where he stumbles over his words once or twice either. Mm-hmm. Someone's distracted. <laughs> and this is Jeff's first time as a heel. Yeah. And he's still a Bayface in Memphis. But he's still there. He's the fabulous one, Jeff Jarrett, at this point in time. I, so, I, do like, I do like how he says that since country music is such a corrupt business, he's going to go into professional wrestling to launch his, <laughs> his career. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you know, Jeff was a hell of a talent, so he you know, really can't be, you know, one of those guys that says, well, the only reason he got pushed because of who his daddy was. But here he is talking about, you know, the politics, whole, you know, get, corrupt politics and all that stuff at country music business. This damn well, nepotism well, is holding is holding me back. <laughs> also complaining about the politics in country music as it relates to a country music talent agency run by a former wrestling promoter. <laughs> yeah. You know that Hall of Fame, uh, actually, they relocated the Hall of Fame to downtown Nashville about eight years after this, 2001. Mm-hmm. It's a huge venue, and it's two blocks away from the Tennessee State Library. And I know that because that's where I've gone to do some research over the mm-hmm. years. And, and and let's be honest, I mean, Double J deserves his own Hall of Fame for his wrestling Absolutely. prowess outside the ring, not just inside the yeah. ring. He's, he's, <laughs> he's yeah, he's I, he's like the, you know he's Kevin Nash, you know he's, he he Kevin Nashed himself. That's right. All right, we've got more from the tour. Cheers. We close out. Jim Ross. This is also from Radio WF. Jim Ross is when your contract expires early next year, has already dropped hints he may not return. Although some top person on WCW do not personally like Ross, his announcing is respected by most, and therefore attempts may be made to get Ross back. May be made. There's another way thing. Ross showed possible unrest of his current role on the October 16th Real WS show, saying, My days, the TV and pay-per-view guy, I guess are pretty much over. I guess I'm on my way out of here. Yeah, because when so when does he get taken off challenge? Hmm. Um, I think he's still on challenge at this point. Looking now, um, yeah, because Gorilla replaces Heenan in December. Yeah, All I'm right. looking now, and at least into the last shows taped in '93. So late January, it's still JR and Gorilla. Well, he gets fired Super Bowl Sunday, so 
Well, no, he, he has the Bell's Palsy Super Bowl Sunday and gets fired right after. So he's probably yeah, Stan Lane off takes over. coming off of the Bell's yeah. Palsy. Yeah. yeah, Stan Lane takes over, I think, uh, in February. How about him thinking his days as a TV and pay-per-view guy were over th- 29 years ago? <laughs> well, at the time he thought and yeah, yet I, them, they I, were. He probably because... really thought they were, and that's just a, a testament to him that uh, he is uh, he was he was way off on that one. They never could replace him. Yeah. So what we said, you know, the other day, they try and try and try, but they never could replace him. Like, like Bill Watts trying to replace the junkyard dog. Yes. Mm-hmm. Could never replace good old JR. Eh, junkyard no. dog wasn't looking at WWE P porn all the time, though. <laughs> and to close out, Jerry Jarrett is working part-time as assistant booker for WF Connecticut. Uh, speaking of nepotism. <laughs> no, what a coincidence. But yes, yes, it's interesting timing. What a coincidence. Yes. I mean, so interesting that we see this, though, when, you know, Jerry Jarrett has tried to take credit for he acts like they held the titles longer than a week, but he tries to act, take credit for the Jannetty and Kid tag title reign and some of the pushes around that as far as smaller wrestlers and stuff. But this is the point where he's actively involved in the booking. So, yeah, yeah, he is. So. But just the timing of it. Classic. All right, let's go to Japan now, Land of the Rising Sun, and we begin with Antonio Noki. Even more allegations thrown in the major pro wrestling name hit all the major newspapers in Japan on Tuesday morning. Antonio Noki, the second most famous name in Japanese pro wrestling history, and a member of the Japanese National Diet, equivalent to the U.S. Senate, was alleged to be part of a ring to smuggle in guns from the United States. Okay, I don't remember George, this one. <laughs> George Domo, Domo Arigato, George, a famous martial arts fighter in Japan who is in Los Angeles, was arrested on February 8th in Narita Airport with 28 guns trying to smuggle them in. His trial started this past week and was still going on at press time. On October 18th, while on the stand... Domo claimed that Anoki was the one who asked him to smuggle the guns into the country. Japan has very strict laws when it comes to possession of firearms by citizens, which is at least partially why the murder rate is almost non-existent there. This comes just a few months after Anoki's longtime business manager and former office assistant went public with allegations against Anoki that made news headlines for several weeks. That's Shinma? No, that's the one we talked about on the last show uh, with the sexual assault. When that Was that one or something? It was uh, that was I don't remember that the office ass- that was the office assistant, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> Anoki always had little controversies surrounding him. <laughs> this so this reminds me. Uh, did either of you guys read Deathmatch, the book by Bob Roop? No, no, I've not read that. No, Fix? Okay, so it's it's a work of fiction, but it's set in the pro wrestling world, and it it very obviously he uses wrestlers with fake names, but it's very obvious who they are. For example, he has a a very a former collegiate wrestler who is very bland named Lou Dallas instead of Dale Lewis. <laughs> so it's like uh, so Andrew it's like that, Lane but, in uh, Barrett's book. 
Yeah, so, but it, it's a work of a fiction about uh, someone who was recruited by the, the U.S. government to infiltrate the world of pro wrestling to uh, take down a counterfeit ring or, that originated in Japan. <laughs> and it is, I, I'll, I'll say this, Bob, Bob Roop is a very articulate, intelligent man. Yes, he is. The problem is every single word on every single page of the book is him trying to make sure you know that. <laughs> it, 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 it's like the episode of Friends where Joey Tribbiani was writing a letter of recommendation and they showed him how to use the thesaurus on the computer yeah. to find a, a, a smarter sounding word. And then Joey uses that on every letter, on every word <laughs> in the letter he writes instead of oh, being its you know, carbon based organism. That's how <laughs> Roop's uh, novel reads that, that he is just trying to make sure you understand he's very smart um, but yeah, no, it reminds me of this and I, I, you know, you wonder if, uh, there, there was inspiration for Roop to write that book and something legitimate that happened, uh, with Japan. And I, did, I just don't see Anoki being involved in gun smuggling. I, I mean, I could see him doing other things. <laughs> well, it is, gun smuggling. It, it is two years later when Bandai freaks out at Howard Brody about being paranoid that he's involved with Anoki because of Anoki's well-known Yakuza ties. Yeah, I don't know. Also, I now I guess once I once you're I'm involved in shady, once you're involved in shady stuff, it's hard to then draw the line somewhere. You know, if you're okay with other things, at some point you say to yourself, "Well, I'm already doing all this other stuff. It's just guns." You know, that's you know, is that really truly any worse than anything else? I, I think it's it's just the culture, of Japan, regarding that. I think that's what gets. Well, you know. well is he Japanese? Was he born in Japan? <laughs> well, I mean, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, All right. What was I going to say? Well, at least now I know another government agency I should do a FOIA on Anoki about. No. <laughs> ATF, I guess. Vix just FOIA'd your ass. All right, All Japan Pro Wrestling. Only one surprise when the lineups were announced this week for the 19th annual Real World Tag League Tournament, in which the PWF World International Tag Titles will be at stake. And real quick. You know how we talk about real world tag league is a thing that you know was kind of an America thing. Remember that that conversation we well, had on the show? It, oh, as far as real world tag league versus uh, world's strongest tag team determination league. Yes, remember that conversation we had? I mean, there's stuff you see in English that says real world tag league, so it's both. and on all Japan television. Yeah, <laughs> they called it the real world tag league. So, so there you go. But anyway. Uh, the, the tag titles will be at stake. Terry Gordon, Dark, Def Steve Williams, who won a tournament twice in the past, won't be back as Doc will be teaming with Big Booba and Gordy won't be on the tour. No explanation was given as to why Gordy won't be back since it had been said he was missing the current tour to be ready for the tag tournament. It'll be an 18 tournament with Stan Hansen and Ted Debussy, Ted DiBiase, Mataro Masao and Kunikabashi, Tusha Kawana Kiritawe, Doc and Booba, Crawford and Furnace, the Patriot and the Eagle, Danny Spivey and Johnny Ace, and Tracy Smothers and Richard Slinger. Obviously, the finals will come down to the two of the first three listed teams. Dory Fun Jr., Abdul the Butcher, and Kamala Two will also be on the tour, but not in the tournament, which ends on December 3rd at the Budokan. So, yes, this is the end of Doc and Gordy as a ta regular tag team. Does Richard Slinger not work in the U.S. very often? I guess he was just making. I guess he. I guess he was making good enough money in Japan. He didn't need to. 
I mean, I don't think he was making, you know, the great bucks, but he was regular work. Yeah. But I mean, so do we, I I don't know this. I, I, I met him one time. He actually did work on a couple of Greg Price shows in the Carolinas when I was uh, working the Indies. I just, uh, you know, I just don't, I don't get it. I, you know, I never did either. Unless he had a day job that paid him very well and was, and enabled, allowed him to work, you know, the Japan tours and that was it. I, I just don't know. I just think maybe it was like he just like he was a, a lesser version of Hanson because Hanson in this era doesn't work a whole hell of a lot of shows outside of Japan. But he's I mean, not, Japan's get, he's not getting Stan Hanson money. And that's why I said lesser. That's why I said lesser, lesser version of Hanson. And Slinger, what's the relationship between him and Gordy? Nephew. Uh, nephew. Nephew? Or Yeah. Yeah, nephew. I don't know. I've always wondered that myself. I always wondered that because I mean, then like he couldn't, he couldn't find places to work. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Cornette would have probably used him. Well, used him once, but well, on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, for what it's worth, if you take the actual Japanese for the tag league and you put it into Deep L, the first translation it says is World Strongest Tag Team League. With the alternatives being World Strongest Tag Team League, or excuse me, the World Strongest Tag Team League and World Tag Team Championship League. So, if you're going with the translation of the Japanese, then you know the alternate names are correct. Either but works. They have real world tag <laughs> league in English on the shows. Yeah, it either works. It's like the spelling of their names. Like you'll see Otani, where he'll have O H T O N I. In Muto, M-U-T-O-H, and then you'll see them like their their cryon listed on some, and it won't have the H, and then some will have the H. Or Jushin the Thunder L Y G E R. Well, Choshu, C H O S Y U, not S H U. And some of the Westerners would pronounce it that that way, like you know yeah. the old, the Hanson promos where he's calling out Choshu Ricky. Yeah, Choshi Ricky. You long-haired weirdo. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just either or, I guess. Well, it's like Hiroshima, Hiroshima. Either or. Kanehara, we, Kanehara. Yeah. So. All right. Biggest show this past week was... Kisuke, like, um, no. <laughs> biggest show this past week was October 14th in Matsumoto, where Stan Hansen and Ted DiBiase beat Tusha, Kawana, and Kiritawa to retain the world tag titles in 1815, when Hansen pinned Kawana in a match said to be much better than their September 9th meeting, and Kita Kabashi beat Big Booba in the semi main event. Let's drew 4,800. Mesotoro Sako over Masana away. The Can Ams, Crawford and Furnace over Takawamori and Yoshinarakawa. Johnny Ace and Kendall Wyndham over Dorfun Jr. and Timon Honda. That's a match. Giant Baba, or excuse me, Giant Baba, Junakayama and Russia Kimura over Haruka Ega, Masafuchi, and Rumi Zamita. The Eagle and the Patriot defeated Dan Spivey and Joel Deaton. Richard Slinger and Dr. Death defeated Mitsuha Masawa and Shishikuchi. Kitakabashi over Big Booba and Hanson and DiBiase retained the tag titles, beating Kawana Tawe. Then they ran Korkin on the 16th non televised show, 2100. We have Mr. Momoto Masao in a way. Spivey and Ace over Dorian Jolteet. Patriot and Eagle over Fuchi and Ogawa. Baba, Rusher and Team WB, Egan and Zamita. Doc and Slinger over the Can-Ams. Ted DiBiase over Kendall Wyndham. That's a match. 
Kenogabashi, Shishka Kuchin, Torosaka over Kawada Tawa and Amori in 26-33. And then Hansen and Big Booba over Mitsuharu Masawa and Junakiyama. And then the TV at Nakawoka Welfare Hall on the 17th for a 37-50. Mitsuharu Masawa over Masahunawe. Eagle and Patriot over Deaton and Honda. Spivey and Ace over Dorian Amori. Dorian Amori. Bob, Dorian Amori in the morning. Baba in a mighty in a way and Rush Kimura over Ruka Egan, Masfuchi and Rumizamita. Can Ams over Ken Kabashi and Sorosako. I wonder who did the job there. Kendall Winda, Stan Hansen and Ted DiBiase over Big Booba, Richard Slinger, and Dr. Death. That's a match. And then Junaki Yama, Mr. Amasawa, Yoshiko Kikuchi over Akira Tawe, Toshiko Kawada, and Yoshinara Gawa. I love on, the, on these shows, Al, the West Texas. Uh, Mid-South type representation going on. UWF type representation going on here. Yeah. Yeah. There's all sorts of uh, names from uh, from that region of the country. It's just a whole bunch of Texas tough guys. Yeah. And Ken the Wyndham. <laughs> can you just... can you have imagined 29 years ago seeing the result of Teddy Biasi beat Kendall Wyndham and thinking... There's going to be a time where Kendall Wyndham has committed the far less severe financial crimes of these two men. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, was, he he did feud. Uh, uh, you know, did anyone else feud with the No Limit Soldiers? No, Kendall Wyndham did though, didn't he? Yes. Wait, so, are you saying he yeah, should be in House of Glory now? <laughs> um, well, for I those who haven't seen it though, crap. by uh, Kabashi versus Bossman is a hell of a match, though. Yes. Well, you know, when I first read this, I was just sort of reading it quickly, and I, when I see Kobashi, you know, it says Kobashi pin Rogers in the semifinals. And at first I'm like, ooh, they gave Tommy Rogers a singles match against Kobashi? That must have been amazing. And then when I realized it was Bubba, I'm like, well, that was also amazing, probably. <laughs> it's so much damn talent on these shows, man. I mean, 1993 All Japan is just a damn... I mean, good lord, some beasts on these shows. And Kendall Wyndham. And Kendall Wyndham. <laughs> and, and, and one of Bix's all-time favorites, Koji and Ricky, the real name Hiroshi oh. Hashi, is said to be secretly joining this group. He's forming a top star with now the, the now defunct now office. And that does not happen, thankfully. <laughs> no, he would just go to war. <laughs> Hang out with Tenra. <laughs> So, again, the only way I can think of to describe Ishinriki is the worst wrestler who you would sort of expect just based on look and positioning to be a good wrestler. <laughs> yeah. All right. New Japan Pro Wrestling now. At press time, Shiro Koshinaka and Michiyoshi Ohara were in first place at a tag tournament with eight points, with the Hellraisers in second place with six. All three of the tourney matches on October 15th at Cork and Hall ended with upsets. Just on the Liger and Wild Pegasus beat IWGP champion Shion Shimoto Masiro Chono and Liger Pinchono. That's a really fun match, too. Uh, Ahara Koshinaka beat Hiroshi Hase and Kejimuto and Koshinaka Pinhase. And Akira Nagami and Zaku beat the Barbarian and Masaido when Saido did the job for Nagami for the first time ever. That's a big deal. All right, results. Full results from 2000. El Samurai over Tokamichi Sazawa. King Okamura over Satoshi Kojima. Osamu Kido over Kunia Kobayashi. Tetsutoshi Goto over Hiro Saido. The Hellraisers, Hercules Hernandez and Scott Norton over Black Cat. And Sean Royal, the Hellraisers. 
Excuse me, just Jurassic Power. Sorry, Luke Scott. Norton Hellraiser's Hawk Warrior and Power Warrior over Manamanaki Nishi and Tatsumi Fujinami. And then the Super Gray Tag League. Nagami Nizuka over Saito Barbarian. Liger and Pegasus over Chono and Hashimoto. And Ohara and Koshinaka over Hase and Mudo. And there were two upsets during the week. With October 19th in Hiroshima, with the Hellraisers losing only their third match, just four minutes of team, the Mudo and Hase, when Hase pinned Power Warrior. And October 18th in Tatori, when Fujinami Kido beat the Jurassic Powers, when Fujinami pinned uh, Hercules with a backslide. All right, so we got those two shows. 3560 in Tatori. We got Tetsuya Takiwa over Yuji Nagata. Michiyoshi Ohara over Satoshi Kojima. Barbarian and Masaida over El Samurai and Manaba Nakanishi. Akira Nagami and Takuki Izuka over Black Cat and Sean Royal. Hase and Muto over King of Kamara and Tesla Shigoto. Hellraisers over uh, Liger and Pegasus. Shono and Hashimoto over Kino Kobayashi and Shiro Koshinaka. Inkido and Fujinami over Jurassic Powers. Then we flip to the 19th in Hiroshima in front of 6,000 at Sun Plaza. Manaba Nakanishi over Yuji Nagata, Kuna Kobayashi over El Samurai, Saito the Barbarian over Black Cat, and Sean Royal. That's what she got over Super Strong Machine by DQ. Ken Kamura, Mishoshi Ohara, and Shiro Koshinaka over Samokito, Toshikojima, and Tetsumi Fujinami. Jurassic Powers over Liger and Pegasus. Chono Hashimoto over Nagami Nezuka, and Hase Muto over the Hellraisers. So, yeah. And this, and this, of course, uh, was in 93, which was before the time when uh, afterwards Meltzer would be legally obligated to any time he mentioned Kensuke Sasaki to uh, talk about <laughs> how he met uh, <laughs> Akira Hokuto. Yes, they they, they sure love the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many times has he, has he wrote that anecdote in, in, in an issue of the newsletter? And in Inoki's obituary, of yes. all things. <laughs> and uh, speaking of people who called McMahon to complain about McMahon called Meltzer to complain about their love noises, uh, Benoit and in that Liger in that tag that upset is one of my favorite like New Japan crowd pops ever. I queued it oh, up. Oh yeah, that's a hell of a match. Uh, on one of the Google drives, although it, the music is dubbed, but it has the actual crowd reaction. Well, it's from the commercial. It's a Valis tape. I know, but they couldn't even do the Liger theme? Jesus. Nope. Nope. All video, of them. Only Video Pack and could do the Liger theme? All the Valis, all the Valis says the themes were dubbed. Okay. Joshu, that's a weird one to watch. And uh, yeah, there's other ones, too. They're all dubbed. <laughs> and the commentary is done in studio, not live. You can And it goes to Tanaka's play by play, those motherfuckers. They're doing the tie, white shirt and tie. Benoit. I mean, that shit. Go ahead. 
I said, that shit just didn't happen. That's why the crowd went nuts. Oh. And Benoit here is in the on steroids, but not to a concerning degree era. <laughs> He's wearing he his uh, tribute. He was experimenting with them. Yeah, well, now we see where uh, the Disciple uh, got his uh, NWO tie gimmick from was watching Chris Benoit in each pan. Oh, with that gear <laughs> he had on? Yes, yes. The that black gear. with the, like, the, the, the spray paint. With the airbrushed Pegasus, yeah. Airbrush, yeah, the airbrush. That's great, airbrush. Good stuff. Love those Valus tapes. Yeah, because of Tanaka, the ring, the ring announcers, the play-by-play guy on a lot of those tapes. So, good stuff. All right, FMW. Their new tour opened up on October 15th in Kawagoe with a few newcomers from small promotions debuting. Masaru Tai, sort of a wing, was joined by Tetsuya Kuroda and Hideki Osaka. Who almost were who all worked most recently with Pro Wrestling Crusaders, a group that's either folded or is hanging on by a thread, along with a mass heel known as Dark Ranger, who will feud with Battle Ranger. Osaka worked for PWC as Ben K and is working as a heel main eventer team with Mr. Pogo and Mr. Danger, Mr. Mizuro Matsunaga. All right, Kawagoe City Gym from a 2408. We have Masaru Toye and Dart Ranger over Masaru Tanaka and Tetsuya Kuroda. Yuki Nabeno won a uh, number one contender tournament to the FMW women's title match over Miwasato. Masaru Tanaka over Mr. Chin. Damian Seisekeseis over Great Sasuke by Countout. Combat Toyota, Crusher Mayo Damara and Sapari Mac over Megumikudo, Bad Nurse Nakamura and Keiko Iwami. Choden Senshin, Battle Ranger Z over Grand Naniwa. Gladiator Mike, Ta- Mike, Mike Tyson, Gladiator Mike Awesome, and Big Titan, Rick Bogner, over Tarzan Goto and Onita Jr. And then in Street Fight, Pogo, Mr. Danger Hasaka over Onita, Sambo Sako, and Mr. Ganesuke. And Onita Jr. here is uh, Flying Kid Ishihara. That is right. With all the Japanese and headline positions, the foreigners have been relegated to mid-card spots, with the only ones on this tour being Big Titan, the Gladiator, and Demian. And talk that Mike Kirshner, who was originally Leatherface and Wayne, before getting into trouble from a barroom fight that wound up with him in jail, will join this group for the end of the year as Leatherface. Kirshner's out of prison and on probation in Japan, but allowed to wrestle again. Super Leather. Yep. But still, FMW, still, you know, doing good business-wise at this point time. Well, spot shows. Yeah, Anita's only lied once about retirement stipulations so far. So. <laughs> yes, yes. Michinoku Pro, they're in the Shikama Citizen Gym on October 19th in front of 660. Wellington Wilkins Jr. over in the Hiroshikawa. Leopardo Negro over Masato Yokosuji. Takamichinoku over Akira Yonakawa by his qualification. Taraka, Superboy, and Super Delphin over Jiraiya, Oriental, and Shiru. And Great Sasuke and Sato, all caps, Tiktogo over Grand Naniwa and Jensei Shinzaki in your main event. Okay. This makes me think of something I first spotted the other day. Trying to remember what led to me finding this. Um, oh, maybe in a message board discussion or something. I hadn't realized, and like if you look at the tape with that in mind, it does seem like him, and it's on cage matches. This Wellington Wilkins is the infamous uh, Wee Willie Wilkins of weird Midnight Express squash match fame. No, <laughs> no, that's I can guy. see the resemblance. So, it's not the same guy. You're sure? We we Willie Wilkins, who by the way, I just um, I saw Mid South TV recently working as the Mongol. 
Okay, so it is a completely different guy. Yes. Okay. Well, I don't know if that's a thing that started with Cage Match or what, but well, I got, what have I told you? No, but it wasn't. <laughs> that wasn't the only place. That wasn't the first place I saw it. And then I watched it. and I was like, okay, I can see it. But I mean, he looked shorter than Wellington Wilkins, though. But it's also we're not used to seeing Wellington. Wellington Wilkins in the context of TV American wrestlers. So, I've, and Wellington Wilkins is, I don't know. He's kind of like. Is is he full? Is he? Uh, is, I mean, he's like half and half. Is he's like a, like half oh, black, half something else? I think he's like a mix to something. Yeah, because he's real dark, got dark complexion. So I think he's got something going on. Meanwhile, uh, Willie Wilkins is uh, not that. So yeah, not the same guy. Hmm. Wing. They open their new tour, Cork at Home, October nineteenth, with Masayoshi Motegi. Win the double double C junior heavyweight title from El Tejano with a German suplex at 1756. After the match, they did a shoot angle with Yoshiaki Yasu and Shinichi Nakano of the SPWF hitting the ring, claiming that Motegi had promised them he'd be jumping to their promotion. So, what was he doing winning a belt for another group? The SPWF made a bit in the same building on October 28th, as scheduled as Yatsu and Hiroshi Samada, formerly of Wing, against Motegi and, Motegi and Nakano. Now, that's an angle. Is Motegi booking? What the hell is going on here? Now, that's an angle, Al. You got, <laughs> you got a guy who jumps to a promotion, and then you have guys from another promotion invading, saying, wait a minute, I thought you were jumping to us. <laughs> he was coming from where? PWC? Uh, thanks. Uh, one of those, yeah. I, I, I just don't, yeah, I don't get how that is supposed to resonate with fans in a way that would make them want to pay money to see a match. I, I just, I don't get it. Wait a minute, you were supposed to jump to us, not them. <laughs> All right, results of this show. Not, he already, wait, he was already in wings, so this is just, so he's not jumping from anywhere to wing, it's that you were supposed to jump to us, I think. From wing. Yeah. Okay. Well, City's winning the belt for another group, so I don't know. Maybe it's double C. I don't know. Fukumantaro over Rio Miyake in your opener. Zulema over Mrs. Janoff. Silver King over The Winger. Cuban Assassin. Fidel Sierra and Ricky Santana over Hideo Takayama and Nobutaka Araya. Of course, Hideo was Hito. Motegi over Tejano to win the title. Bunkhouse Deathmatch. Freddy Krueger over Leatherface. And then a false cunning kind of scramble bunkhouse death match, the world class tag team, Ghetto and Jado over Lama Namanumi, Shoji Nakamaki, and Yukihiro Kanamura. And as uh, we hear, we see here, and we'll see more later, even though Tahano Silver King of Fiend in Mexico, they're working as a tag team for Wink. Well, <laughs> like it matters. <laughs> but anyway, what a group. What a good time in wrestling. But in Japan, kind of, all these. What kind of angle is that? Oh, that of all the wrestlers, you're really pissed as not jumping to your company, Masayoshi Motegi. Well, he was very popular. He's. It seems like he was very popular among the other wrestlers. I'd love to know why. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he was a Joe Gomez of Japan. I don't know. You know, I was gonna say, uh, you, <laughs> you know, I had it in my head to say, like, was he just really nice, or was he was it a Joe Gomez kind of thing? But you beat me to it. <laughs> We've been doing these shows for too damn long. Mm-hmm. Pan 
Grace. Pancrase Wrestling, which is at least believed to be by those who tell Dave, the only pro wrestling promotion where the winners and losers aren't predetermined. Uh-huh. <laughs> had their second show on October 14th in Nagoya. Dave's told they go to either a knockout or they lock on a submission. Similar to UWFI and rings rules, although it's obvious by how the matches go that this is a different breed because nobody sells and attempts are made to always defend more like a boxing, move like a boxing match and to block moves, which you don't see on UWFI and ring shows and marquee matches. All the wrestlers have dropped a lot of weight and look more like light heavyweight boxers because all the training is done for conditioning rather than muscle bulk, which would be the case if one was training for a legitimate combat sport. The entire five-match card had only 23 minutes of wrestling, most of which was in the main event. Wayne Shamrock and Yoshiki Takahashi going 12-23. Because of the belief that it's real, the, ele- the November 8th match in Kobe with Minoru Suzuki, who the champion amateur wrestler for going pro, versus World Karate Association world champion Maurice Smith, yes, another kickboxing world champion, is getting a lot of publicity with the magazines pushing it strongly as being legitimate contest. Okay, and real quick... The WKA is actually a legit kickboxing sanctioning body, though. The WKA world title is legit. Yes. This isn't but like this isn't a WKA world... match. I know, but it's not like your other world kickboxing champions. Whereas Dave's kind of implying it is that he doesn't, doesn't seem to realize that Maurice Smith is a legitimate top heavyweight kickboxer. Yes. They don't call any other groups illegitimate, but by emphasizing this match as being a shoot, doesn't it pretty much say that all others must not be? At the November 29, 1989 UWF card in Tokyo, Dome Suzuki was not that by Mari Smith in a mixed match, which was a shoot. All right, the results of this show at the Nagoya Community Sports Center for a 2,880. Sounds like an independent show, Nagoya Community Sports Center. <laughs> that in Tyrone, that the Tyrone, Georgia of Japan. I was going to say Ridgefield Park, New Jersey, but sure. <laughs> Allie, did they were doing a 50 50 raffle at this show? Uh. <laughs> Only if Manny Fernandez was booked on the tour so his uh, his girlfriend could win it. Did you show up in a flashy suit as the director of Interpan Carays? <laughs> There's a you hell think- of a name in this first match. I, wa- I want to hear. I want. I want to hear Chris read, read the match of the loser in the first bout. Okay, but I was thinking I was going to make the statement. You, th- you think Little Caesars was being uh, sold as concessions at the? <laughs> Anyway, uh, Katsumi Inagaki over Jute Van de Ven by KO in 448. Jute Van de Ven. That's obviously awesome. a Dutchman. Yeah, obviously a true Dutchman. Yes. He's from, the, he's from the Netherlands. Speaking of which. Gotta be. So, yes. Boz Rutten over Takakafuke by KO. Matsukatsu Vanaki over Ryushi Yanagasawa. Minoru Suzuki over Vernon Tiger White. And then Kim Wayne Shamrock over Yoshiki Takahashi. The match yes. times, the match times were amazing. And this, I think, the total match time in this one was like twice as long as the total match time of their first card, where Boz <laughs> won, where Boz won in thirty-six seconds in the second match. Yes, like yeah, whether, at- whether it's whether these matches are truly shoots or sort of combination, <laughs> having having five matches and and the total time is twenty something minutes. That's, I mean, you know, to a fan in 1993, they have to, they go, oh my God, this has to be real. Uh, yeah. It's, it's brilliant marketing, whatever it was, 
to to have right off the gate, the right out of the gate, have these matches be so short and so radically different from everything else out there. Well, I, you know, I'll tell you another thing too. You know, there's a thought that goes out there by a lot of wrestling fans that, you know, back in the seventies and stuff that, you know, they wrestled long matches and, you know, blah, 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 blah. That is absolutely not the case. Al could probably attest this like I can. You look at some of the match times on some of those house shows and the longest match on those shows, sometimes would just barely be over 10 minutes, maybe close to 15. You you have shows that in match time, if you add it up, total would be an hour because they they would start shows at eight 30. A lot of, a lot of, Star Show's 8.30, and they're over at 10. <laughs> yeah. Take note, indie wrestling. But also, even in the body of it, times when they when most main events went longer, every now and then they switch it up. And, and my gut tells me it's just the minimum amount, of the minimum frequency to make fans, you know, question it. But that's the thing. It also all depends on who was wrestling. Like, right. St. Louis is a perfect example. If St. Louis had a main event of, uh, with with Dick the Bruiser or somebody like that, or even Brody, they would be short of matches. And then when the NWA champion comes to town, then we're going two out of three falls. You know, then you're going to have a longer match more often than not. So it's got the fans' condition to ex- you know the longer matches are going to be the the NWA World Title matches. That's the other. We're not doing long matches for the sake of doing long matches. Yeah. Yeah, but you know other little things that that they used to do that we don't think of. Um, when with the two out of three falls matches, there are times when whoever wins the match wins it in two straight falls. And again, most of the time it goes to three for dramatic effect, obviously. But they do it just enough to put that seed of doubt into the fans' minds as as to okay, well, this could be legitimate because they uh, I expected it to go three falls because that's what they always do. And then the same thing in those two out of three falls matches. Sometimes they have one of the falls will go you know a minute. Uh, again, you know, just infrequently enough, but just frequently enough to make you question. Or, or, or you would have that that where the the win, the guy won the first fall, and then they would go to a, the challenger for the championship win the first fall, and then the second fall would go to a time limit draw, right. and the match so the match would end. The guy won one fall, but he didn't win a title because the fall went to a draw. Yeah. Second fall, interesting ways of uh, creating that, but uh, but anyway, back to Pancras. I mean, they they they're trying to make it look different. And, and, and trying to get it over that this is real, but it's not real. I mean, I think I think the first couple shows are probably more real because they're learning on the job and they realize they have to lengthen the matches. Well, I mean, are they are they hitting each other? I'm sure they're hitting each other. I mean, they're, they're out there doing it, but the finishes are predetermined. I don't know if all of them are at this point. Oh, oh uh, yes. <laughs> I had always heard that at some point, the undercard matches were shoots, and then once someone won enough of those to become established, then they, you know they... that I can see. Yeah, but when you got a direction where you're gonna, you know, you're not gonna have uh, some chance where Ken Shamrock gets beat by somebody who should be beat. Well, no, but the first show, which by the way had 13 minutes or so of fighting, uh, you look at the matchups, and most of them, it's pretty clear who would win them regardless because it's you know 
Minoru Suzuki over Katsu, Nomi, and Agaki in a little over three minutes. Bosh rooting over Ryushi Yanagisawa. I mean, he wins that on the feet, though. Uh, Takaku Fuke over Vernon White. Kazuo Takahashi over George Weingroff by knockout. And Shamrock over Funaki by submission in six. Are minutes. you saying George Weingroff didn't have a shot? <laughs> Not under these rules, I don't think. No. I wouldn't fight George Weingroff. He's blind. What? He'd still, he'd, still, he'd still whip my ass. I mean, uh, he comes at you with a different thing. I mean, because he's got a whole different sense. His senses are different, you know? Hmm. But he had, he had some legitimate wrestling background. Didn't yes, he, he was. Yes, he he was a legitimate tough dude. Yeah. yeah. Him and uh, I think him and Pez went to the same. Yeah. Yeah. He was a tough dude. You watch him work. That dude could, you can tell that dude could, could go. Hmm. I, mean, I always love watching him, watching him work. To me, the big question, I mean, the big lingering one about Pancrase in this era, I, I believe Boss when he says that he was not in on any works and told them he didn't want in, in on any works, but how many works or thrown fights was he not in on? To me, that's the big question. Well, here's the thing. How many, how many did he win by submission where he thought he actually submitted the guy, but the guy did the job that's that's the big one for me because he's getting those submissions <laughs> way too early over people who know submissions better than him see that's that there you go he may have thought he was actually doing it that's they may not have smartened him up so yeah and actually anyway. as we talk about this you know as we're recording i think it was within the last day or so so you know about a week or so old by the time people hear this um on mma on point on youtube tommy told did a very good video uh looking at, you know, he talked to Dave Meltzer and did a bunch of research, you know, reading some of Jonathan Snowden's books. And stuff. Tommy who? Tommy Toehold, YouTube personality. Is that anyway. like Tim, Timmy Trumpet? Yeah. <laughs> um, but the killer of the New York Mets? It's a very it good video no trying to get to the bottom of basically what's worked in the stuff that is on people's M official MMA records that shouldn't be mainly focusing on Shudo rings and pancreas in this era. And basically, you know, concluding Shudo is pretty much all legit. Rings is mostly works until you start seeing the future big MMA names there. And pancreas is harder to pin down, but still clearly not as legitimate as people thought at the time. But it's, it's worth checking out. And, you know, he uses clips to highlight, like, you know, here are things that pe were claimed to be real, but l here are people obviously doing pro wrestling selling, etc. It's a good video. There you go. Timmy To was it Tommy, Tommy Toho? Toho. Tommy Toho. Yes, not to be yeah. confused with his mortal enemy, Tony Thumbpoke. <laughs> or, Timmy, or Timmy Trumpet. Timmy Trumpet, she has to kill the New York Mets. I think no, I, I think it was I think it was getting swept by the Cubs at home. Well that 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 was it for them. At that point they were done. Well, yeah, but, you know, I, they weren't the same after that. <laughs> they weren't the same after the live performance of Timmy Trumpet. Uh, well, or, or they reverted to the Mets that we all know and love and that we knew were going to show up at some point during this year. It was just much later than usual. So fans were holding out hope. Yeah. Oh, the Mets. Oh, the nine Mets are my favorite squadron, <laughs> as Apu said once on the Simpsons. <laughs> All right, let's go to All Japan Women, Zenjo. They ran Hakata Star Lanes on October 15th, where we have Numachi over Chicago Shiratori. 
Mima Shimoda over Tomoko Watanabe, Karo Ito over Esko Mita, Minami Toyota over Suzuka Minami, and they have the best tag team league. How about that? Where Takako Inoue and Yumiko Hota beat Jungle Jack, Aja Kong, and Sakai Shigawa, and Kyoko Inoue and Toshio Yamada beat Eagle Sawai and Yashikura and I. How old was Jack Perry at this time? He <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> wasn't even born yet. Well, yeah, he I don't think he was been. alive yet. Uh, wow. All right. Jungle Jack Perry was born June 1697. No. Okay, so a different child. He was born after I graduated high school. I mean, like weeks after I graduated high school. God almighty. Oh, I'm old. Now, and we anyone close... in all Japan, women have hair as luscious as his, though? So. <laughs> no. And how about the guy that found the clip of uh, Christian from that Edge of Christian show on the network years ago, where Christian talked about his man crush on Luke Perry? Yeah. Props <laughs> to him. All right. Uh, let's close out the international section by going to Europe. Otto Vance, the CWA, the Schutzeplatz in Hanover, Germany, on October 16th. We have Franz Schumann over Hiroshi Yamoto. That would be the future Tenzon. Yes, on his special Bruce, diet. Yes. Bruiser Mastino over Tony St. Clair by disqualification. Of course, Bruce Mastino, the future Mantar. Fit Finley over Alex Wright. Dave Taylor and Mili Zerno over Colonel Brody and Stephen Casey. Nellie Swenson over Shirley Anaconda. Sure. <laughs> and then a chain match. Mad Bull Buster over Lance Storm. Pitbull 2 and Lance Storm in a chain match? <laughs> That's what it says. Because when I think chain matches, I think Lance T. Storm. <laughs> well, you know he was uh, using that chain in a vicious manner. You know that. Yeah. Um, so for Alex Wright... I don't, it's always weird to try to figure out how complete cage matches for German results, because you would expect it to be fairly complete. The earliest stuff they have for him is October 92, but they only have a few matches, and then you start seeing him show up regularly in August 93. So this is possibly one of his very first matches? Very early. It's very early regardless, yes, and he's uh, 16 here? Or 17? Yeah, he's gotta be. Double check his birthday. He is. Oh no, he he's already turned eight, 18. eighteen. He's eighteen. So he's probably just barely still eighteen when he shows up in WCW. Then I guess. Yes. All right. Well, how often? How often did they have women's wrestling? I. I That's I a very know. rare women's yeah. match. I, I don't know if it's the first one I've ever seen. It's the first. I can't recall seeing seeing that. I can't recall ever seeing either of those names before. <laughs> wondering if Nelly's related to Jeep Swenson somehow. <laughs> oh, there's very, a match between them on, but from Vienna from this uh, tour on YouTube. Okay. Well, there you go. How about that? All right. Well, that's it for us for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So that's some great 1993 commercials. We'll get to the halftime segment. Well, we're talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. We'll hit some plugs, and then we'll come back and go to Mexico, where we'll talk about uh, Umtu Guerrero, speaking of teenagers, and a big win for him. A down uh, cycle for CMLL, CMLL, excuse me, UWA really down, and a whole lot more. 
after the break. Because relieving your cough and cold often means taking a cough syrup and a cold medicine, Vicks introduces relief that replaces both. New Formula 44 Liquid Caps. The cold relief you need, plus liquid cough medicine doctors recommend three times more than codeine. All in one doubly remarkable dose of relief. Get two kinds of relief in one. New Vicks Formula 44 Liquid Caps. Even when you were kids, she was absolutely fearless. You never saw anything scare her until the day she told you they'd found a lump in her breast. She was lucky. Early detection helped save her life. That's why Avon is sponsoring a major program called the Avon Breast Cancer Awareness Crusade. And you can help. Please, call your Avon representative or 1-800-4-AVON because early detection saves lives. And that is beautiful. Look, we're not really identical. We have different tastes. That's why we go to Glamour Shots High Fashion Photography. You can get a glamorous makeover or go with a natural look. You can choose four outfits from their great wardrobe or wear your own clothes. With all these choices and 16 poses, you can get terrific pictures that are uniquely you. After all, you don't want to look identical to someone else. Call now and get a complete Glamour Shot session for just $12.95. Don't miss out. We won't go this low again this year. Glamour Shots. When pondering new home furnishings, think of the Yum Yum Tree in Jupiter. For the best buys and largest selection, you'll be amazed to find the widest variety of home furnishings ever assembled under one roof. From fully upholstered, wicker and rattan, bedroom furniture and beautiful accessories to the latest in South Florida artwork, you're sure to find just the right style and price with free same-day delivery. The landmark in Jupiter since 1968, the Yum Yum Tree, where elegance is a matter of good taste, not money. To be part of the audience, please send a postcard to Donahue Tickets, care of NBC, 30 Rockefeller Plaza, New York, New York, 10112. Remember, postcards only, please. Jennifer James is a miracle. She was born at West Boca Medical Center on October 31, 1989, without a heartbeat. For 12 minutes, doctors at West Boca Medical Center feverishly worked on her. Under the circumstances, survival is usually unlikely. Then suddenly, she came to life. Today, Jennifer is a happy, healthy little girl. Jennifer James, another little miracle from West Boca Medical Center. Crime is striking everywhere. FedEx Fly or next door. Let Rollup protect your home and send burglars elsewhere. Police say that homes protected by Rollup don't get burglarized. Rollup is the best choice for security. Why? Alarms make noise, but they don't keep the burglar out. And if Rollup can keep this out, Rollup will keep this out. Roll-up shutters, made with the finest materials, are strong and enduring, yet very affordable. Protect your home with roll-up shutters for security. Call Roll-up at 930-0099. Johnny was in the kitchen when he noticed his mother with a really weird grin. See, that day, she found the classic Good Humor bars in her supermarket, and she was transported back to her childhood with delicious memories of... Chocolate eclair. Strawberry shortcake. Just it Chocolate candy crunch. Johnny was curious. He took a bite, and all of a sudden, Johnny was transported to Good Humor. The name will take you back, the taste will take you away. If you've been hurt in an accident, we may be able to get you money. Money for your injuries, money for your pain and suffering. I'm John Kennedy, and I'm a lawyer. 
call my law firm at 1-800-771-1010. We don't get paid until we get money for you. Call toll-free 1-800-771-1010 for a free office visit. We help injured people. We'll work for you. Nothing brings stories to life like Golden Sound Storybooks and the magical touch of a child. That's all it takes to go on a rainforest adventure or play with the pokey little puppy. With so many Golden Sound Storybooks to choose from, you can share the magic all day long and all night, too. Golden Sound Storybooks, a touch of magic, only from Golden. There are no jewels in the luggage. Follow her. Inspector, she's leaving. Jewel of a day, Miss Pop. Quite a collection, isn't it, Inspector? You traveling alone? Rubies, sapphires, emeralds. Elizabeth Taylor's new fragrant jewels. All right, back. Hope you enjoyed those great 1993 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. We'll talk about our Patreon first, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, we have already started recording part one. Well, part one. I guess it is part one. Yeah. Part one of our three-part look at uh, 25 years of Montreal. As we look back at uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Survivor Series 97 the build-up, the, the happening, and then the aftermath. And right now we've uh, recorded the first part of part one, which is uh, the lead-up to Survivor Series. And uh, it's already going to be a, a hell of a show from the start. So you definitely want to get in on this, folks. You want to listen to this series. It's going to be a great series. I can already tell you that, as always, on patreon.com slash the sheets. And this one's going to be uh, it's going to be tremendous. And um, you know, we have some stuff that you might know, some stuff you might not know, and uh, always good to learn new things and, you know, get the kind of slant on things looking back years later. You know, at, we've had all this time in between and seen what's happened after the fact, and now we can look at this, with, you know, in a different light than looked at over the previous years. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be good stuff, and uh, you definitely want to be a part of this. Now, of course, the last two shows we did was covering the negotiations around the sale regarding World Championship Wrestling in 2000, which is a really good show, so go check those out. And all the other shows that we've done are six full years of the Patreon. So uh, there's a ton of audio for you guys covering all sorts of things. So definitely want to uh, be a part of that if you haven't been a part of it already. And come back if you've left. Come back. You won't regret it. So $5 a month, we'll do that at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Dollar a month gets you access to the Discord thanks in this segment. $25 gets you access to the chance to uh, pick your own show for the week, which we'll have uh, next week, which we'll talk about the plugs. So have two shows in mind because the show that you may want to do, you, we might not be able to do for various reasons, i.e. we may have touched on it already on a previous show, or somebody may have that week picked out on the calendar. So I have two shows in mind. If you have any questions, follow the protocol on the Patreon website to uh, ask those questions, and you could 
talk to one of us. If that doesn't work out like, like you want it, and we'll get you straightened out. Make sure that everything works out for you because we want to uh, make your experience a good one. So you do all that. You follow the rules now. You got your 30-day rules in effect. So get that information in before 30 days of your show. Tenure rules in effect. So don't forget that. And uh, Wednesday to Tuesday of the timeline of the week you want for this year or next year, whenever you want to do it. So uh, do all that, and we should be able to get your show taken care of. $50 allows you to send the first segment of that show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. That's at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Vix, who do I think this week is our new and or returning patrons? All right, we would like to thank uh, KZ slash Kid Zombie slash Matt Man. Thanks, Matt Man Kid Zombie. Yes, a long time uh, wrestling internet personality. Yeah, let's, uh, Justin Foe. Thanks, Justin Foe. And Ross Fraser. Thanks, Ross Fraser. So or I think say uh, Fraser, you... I guess. F R A S E R. Fraser. Okay, Fraser. We thank uh, new patrons, patrons that have left to come back, patrons that have been there from the beginning. We thank all of you for your support in six years of the Patreon at patreon.com slash between the sheets. And remember, too, you don't have to sign up at the first of the month anymore to avoid getting double charged or anything. And we got the annual $50.40 a year. For the $5 tier, yes. Yeah, $5 tier, yes. Save 16%. I believe the same discount is available if you want to do a year of any of the other tiers, too, for whatever it's worth. Well, there you go. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Everybody, sh- you know, should want to be a part of this, at least for one month. You know, try it. If you have never tried it before, you'll, you'll love it. Mm-hmm. All right, IWTV, Vix. What's going on there this week? All right, let's see. Didn't seem like much new on demand, but lots of streaming coming this weekend, of course. Not surprised by that. Yeah, I know you're shocked. Um, let's see. So we start, you know, besides, of course, they've got wrestling open every Thursday night, but the lineups for those are usually finalized within a day or so of the show. Uh, there's going to be a Demand Lucha show on Thursday the 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, what's advertised right now includes uh, Gringo Loco versus RAs versus ASF versus Commander as well as uh, Lince Dorado versus Seraphis. That looks like a potentially fun show there in uh, Toronto. Uh, Freelance on Friday at 8 p.m. Central, so, excuse me, 9 Eastern, has Don't Look Under the Ring, with a main event of the Bang Bros, the wrestlers, not the other thing. Defending the freelance tag titles against the team of Jordan Oliver and Nick Wayne. Uh, Matt Nix versus Trevor Outlaw and Chazza McKenzie versus Project Monix. So, pretty interesting looking show there. Hold on, did I just... I pressed the wrong button. That minimized that. Okay. Uh, Wrestling Open has a road show on Saturday the 22nd at 3 p.m. Eastern at the H2O Wrestling Center in Williamstown, New Jersey. With the main event being AC Mack defending the IWTV uh, Independent Wrestling World Championship against Alec Price. And I don't know. The way the winds are blowing, I kind of feel like that could be a title change. What do you think? 
I know you haven't been keeping up with indie stuff too much, but... Well, Max had a title for a while. I mean, it's been since January, right? Yeah, so, uh... I don't know, I wouldn't take the belt off of him. Just yet. I mean, I think you need the right opponent. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying, though, that Alec Price is definitely someone who's been getting shined up in Beyond and Wrestling Open and other IWTV promotions... This is a wrestling open road show at a building that has had IWTV produced, you know, in terms of promoted by IWTV shows that had title changes. So, I don't know. I'm not saying it's happening, but I'm saying it would not surprise me. I think that. if AJ, if, if AC Mag loses the title, he should lose the title in action wrestling, maybe. On an action wrestling show. I think that's, none necessarily, none necessarily okay. against an act, somebody that's an action wrestling re- wrestler, but I think that's where it should go down at. For crowd reactions know. and stuff, yeah, I would agree with that. Yes, I, I don't know. I mean, or he could lose it on the road. You know, I mean, why not? You know, the West Coast scene is pretty hot right now. He can go out there and lose it out there to somebody out there. He can give a whole new freshness to that title. Have it on the West Coast. Well, he did a do bit. the one. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm saying, but show. but you know, drop the title out there and let the West Coast have it for a little bit. I mean, the West Coast promotions do need to feel a little bit more connected to the East Coast and Midwest IWTV promotions. Yeah, that would definitely so, help with that. Yeah, you got fresh talent out there, so that's where that that's actually where I would go more in, more than doing action. Do West Coast. Somebody uh, from out there. Also Saturday, uh, 7 Eastern, Freelance Underground, with the same old situation, uh, includes Calvin Tank. It's a great Motley Crue song. Okay. Defending his uh, Freelance Underground title against Joe Alonzo, uh, tagging independent titles on the line, Brian Keith versus Wes Barkley, Shazza McKenzie versus Billy Starks, Bang Bros., in action and more. Uh, so that looks fun as well. Paradigm's got a show on Saturday the 22nd as well at 8 Eastern. Uh, includes multiple UWFI rules matches, including uh, Jordan Blade versus Kennedy Copeland, uh, Joseph Alexander versus Travis Huckabee, Tom Lawler versus Dustin Leonard, uh, Akira versus Steve Pena, plus various other recognizable names in action, Bobby Beverly, Max Zero, and others. So that might be worth checking out. Uh, NFW at the Mecca in Richfield Park, New Jersey, on Sunday, the 23rd at 3 p.m. has a uh, one, I was going to say one night, one afternoon tournament to crown their first champion with uh, first round matches, including... This is not something I expected to see, especially here. Jaden Newman versus Masha Slamovich. Well, at least they're going outside the you know the, the area and bringing the people in and stuff, and stuff like that. Always uh, encourage that. Yeah, just about everyone else in the tournament is northeast based. At least, yeah, I recognize most of the names. There may be one or two that I don't. So cool to see. Maybe I wouldn't put them against each other. You <laughs> I mean, think I might would the biggest name in the tournament right now. Well, not just that. I mean, if I'm, if, I, if I'm bringing outsiders in, I'm not booking them against each other. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, eh. I mean, 
put your put outsiders and get your homegrowns. I understand if you're trying to stay away from any issues booking, hmm. but come on, have some guts. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, yeah, if you can bring an outside, if you're bringing outsiders in, have them work against the home people. That's any promotion. I'm not just picking on them. Oh, yeah, yeah, there, yeah. There's a lot of independent promotions that do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, come on. If you're going to put these people, let's see them against your folks. Yes. Uh, Golly Lucha in Chicago has a show on Sunday at 6.45 Eastern. Uh, no matches listed on the site right now, but talent listed as appearing includes Bandito, Shun Skywalker, Ricky Banderas. Uh, Arrow Boy, Gravity, Toxine, R is the Bang Bros, and more. So the Bang Bros are, are getting around. As they should. Where's the MILF Hunters booking set? Um, he's getting banned from Twitter and losing his mind. Oh, wait, that's right. He's not actually the MILF Hunter. No, that's Val Venus. Yes. And so you still look like him. You still like the MILF Hunter, but. Yes. Not anymore. Anyway, if you're not already signed up, use code BTSPOD at checkout when you sign up, and we will get a referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So it's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. All right. Well, today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, you're in the source provider storing your browsing data many times, even, many times even selling it. But private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. If you sign up with private internet access right now, you get to take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go through that deal, shall we? We got three plans that we offer special deals. We got a monthly plan of $11.95. We have a yearly plan, $3.33 a month, equals up to $39.95 a year. Or, you go for the number one plan, three years plus four free months at $1.98 a month, $79 for three years, 83% off. What an amazing deal that is for you, folks. That's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. And if you get it right now, you can take a private internet access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it out for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just turn it for a full refund. So you might want to know how to get there. Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best day on VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we have a Patreon-requested show, as mentioned in the halftime segment. As Brian Peterson, Peterson wants us to talk about 2004. And Taboo Tuesday, the reason why he wants us to do this show, and it's a monster WF section, WWE section, 17 pages long, as we have Taboo Tuesday, we got Raw, we got SmackDown, we got all kinds of other stuff going on in a busy, busy week in World Wrestling Entertainment. 
So it um, should be quite the show. Tough Enough's going on. The new Tough Enough, SmackDown Tough Enough. And uh, there's a lot, a lot there. And, of course, we'll have indie scene stuff. We'll have, uh, of course, international, Japan, Mexico, assorted others. And we have total nonstop action to talk about as they have a wild and woolly uh, week and featuring all kinds of wackiness as well, including uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash uh, re-signing and Scott Hall doing some wacky things. And the best dance sports show, period. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. Next week on Between the Sheets. 41 pages long. So everybody check that out. All right. Plug time as far as the social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner. K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And Bix, anything going on in your world this week? I have something I might be starting soon. Well, probably will be. But uh, doing some other stuff on the DL in the meantime. But some new additions to uh, my Patreon document archive, patreon.com slash Bix Archive. Um, among some of the stuff I've added, let's see. We've got a letter from Sam Muchnick to Ray Gunkel from 1964 that uh, shows that Ray Gunkel did have some issues with the NWA in the years before he died. Uh, with a dispute over the payment to the NWA for their percentage of booking the champion and how that was handled. So that's in there from the Jack Pfeffer collection. I also posted a Houston wrestling program from 1961 because, well, if it's from before 1978 and there's no copyright notice on it, it's public domain. So why not? And I have a bunch of stuff like that and Jack Pfeffer collection documents and the thing and stuff like that. So this one's a, uh, it's advertising the following week's, uh, Pat O'Connor, uh, NWA title defense against Dory Dixon has various Angelo Poffo stuff uh, with Bronco Lubitsch inviting fans to join the Poffo bandwagon talks about Corsica Jean and Corsica Joe among other things. So that's fun. And at least then as of right now, the latest thing I've posted as we're recording an internal WWF memo from October 89, which I actually posted on the anniversary of uh, something relevant to it, and I didn't even realize until after I did that, talking about hotel damages from the October 89 European tour, which is the European tour that saw the Jim Troy Coco Ware fight that led to Jim Troy getting fired from his uh, vice president of operations or whatever it was role at uh, Titan Sports. And it talks about the hotel damages and whether or not the company or the wrestlers are absorbing part of the bills and Terry Garvin cracks a joke and more, and I also uh, try to get to the bottom since the names are redacted because it's from a FOIA request uh, who the wrestlers were that uh, got the money taken out of their checks. So that's there. I'm sure I'll be adding more in the coming days. So patreon.com slash Archive, $5 a month. All right. Now, uh, a couple things to touch on here before we go off. Uh, Last week, we talked about the Tales from the Territory series. Episode 2 aired this week regarding Andy Kaufman and uh, the Jerry Lawler angle. And uh, have you watched the show yet? Yes. What were your thoughts? I think I enjoyed the hour on a whole more than the first episode. I did, too. And I love, and I really loved the first episode. I thought this was fantastic. I thought the, I thought the stories that Lawler was telling, all the stuff that was 
the meetings and all the uh, all the outside of the ring stuff with Kaufman was great. It was fantastic stuff. Stuff you know, stuff you don't hear about. You know? And Andy Kaufman is also a topic where you can generally expect Lawler to be fairly truthful, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Yes. Absolutely. And uh just the whole the whole story of the building of the match. The 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 build up that the, you know where he comes in and starts meeting the women and then all the stuff with Foxy, you know, which we don't have that stuff on video because we don't have WMC stuff. The TV Foxy promos and stuff. No, no, we don't have that stuff. So, yeah, just, I mean, it's, that was you know fantastic, and just you know Lawler and, and Dutch Dutch talk. Call- I bet Dutch called it the greatest wrestling angle he's ever seen. Hmm. I mean, that was interesting. And the stuff about the Andy in the hospital where Jerry Jarrett actually thought that Andy was possibly really hurt. And then the Bill Watts phone calls. So classic. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it is really a, a damn good hour of television in every way. So everybody go check that out next week. AWA. Where uh, the round table like it was high flyers, even though Jim Brunzel was listed as Steve Olsonowski in the commercial. I don't know if you saw that. No, I did not. But I thought that was hilarious. But you look, you had the high flyers there, Medusa, Diamond Dallas Page, and Kim Patera. Yeah. That's an interesting group of AWA folks. Because you have the golden age of AWA and the new age of AWA together. So that's an interesting group. So uh and obviously, Patera is going to talk about you know the him and Saito. You well, saw that from the his commercials. side of it. Well, his side of it, yeah. Well, of course, well, his side but, of it, or uh, someone other than the noted strong man who was in the vicinity through the giant boulder in the window. <laughs> well, I mean, we know what we've seen in other interviews, so it'd be interesting to see if his story may change on this one. Who knows? Because it's but, also um, a setting where I think he would know that he can't just get hot at anyone who challenges him like he has in the past. Yeah. Well, he's not being interviewed, per se. And it looks like uh, Deuce is the one that's like being the Jeff Jarrett on this one. Okay. That's what he left on the commercials. So, so yeah, that should be interesting. So, uh, ch- check that out next week on uh, Vice TV. And uh, one more thing before we go and get back to the rest of the show. Definitely want to send our best wishes to a dear friend, Iceberg, who's really uh, gone through some issues lately, health-wise. Um, had his, part of his leg amputated, part, you know, parts amputated. Had a lot of health issues lately. Um, dear friend Dan the Dragon Wilson, the Reverend, he's supposed to be... Well, I don't know if he's going to be doing it, but there's going to be a GoFundMe or something set up to help uh, Berg out in his time of need here, as he's got a lot of uh, a lot of surgery that's happening, happening, and um, just a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on. So there is a there is already a medical expense fund in PayPal, if you want to contribute to that. Um, that is Wechastain, W-E-C-H-A-Stain, at gmail.com. Make sure you mark it as friends and family if you use PayPal. And um, help out Iceberg any way you can. Um, great dude. One of the best. And uh, hate to see him go through this. So everybody, uh, help out if you can. 
and we'll have more on that as we go along. Um, whenever we do another episode of Exile, we'll talk about that. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, won't help out Iceberg. Definitely. All right. Well, that's it here. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's go to Mexico now as uh, we go start with Triple R. And Dave says, this isn't a definite, but they are working on a Conan versus Jake the Snake Roberts match for October 29th in Mexico, which will be Conan's first match back in Mexico. The idea is for them to come in immediately with the hair versus hair stipulation and book an outdoor stadium, but you can figure the obvious roadblocks in putting that match together. So this is uh, off the Triple Mania deal. And uh, Conan coming back. And on October 30th, they do not have a show. <laughs> uh, well, it's October 29th, excuse me. October 29th, it's just a regular TV taping at Ignacio Olimpico Juan de la Barrera. So there you go. When so this is does the not Jake happen. Singles, then. In fact, Conan, Conan works the Tijuana show. Oh, he's okay. His, he's back on November the 5th, being in a, in, in a regular, uh, Trios match. At least from what's on Cage Match, the only Jake singles coming out of this is the Cage Match at LA in March. Yeah, I was saying he makes his return in just a random Trios match on November the 5th. Mm. Now, they do a big angle. They do the big angle in Los Angeles on the 12th of November where uh, they do the big turn where Conan uh, and Perro turn to Blue Panther. Uh, that's when DDP's with uh, Eddie. Art and Jake, and then Conan loses the Encarters the day after in San Jose. So, yeah. So Conan's back in November working full time. So there you go. But no big Jake match. No. Now at the October fifteenth uh, show in, in Nacional One Olimpico One de la Barrera in Mexico City, they seemingly began an angle to turn Eddie Guerrero back Technico. A few months back, Eddie turned on Santo by mistake when Love Machine grabbed a Santo mask from a kid at ringside and attacked Eddie. Eddie got up thinking Santo had attacked him and turned on Santo. In the main event, Love Machine and Eddie teamed with Heavy Metal against Santo Octagon and Mark. The first fall, Machine was DQ from masking Santo, then attacked Eddie again. But this time, Eddie sensed it was his partner, but Santo, has gotten, has, but Santo had gotten his mask back before he knew for sure. Metal saw it also and began shoving Machine. However, the storyline was ignored in the second fall when Metal was DQ for fouling Santo. Mind games. <laughs> and this doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, and he stays Rudo. Los gringos locos. Now, at what point are gringos locos fully separated from the Mexican Rudos, though? Uh, 94, for sure. I mean, Before obviously. Conan turns or starting around then? I think it's uh, in that general time span. Okay. So it's coming. A newcomer named Elvis with a guitar debuted as a Rudo underneath. Elvis tried to hit Pirata Morgan with a guitar, but he moved and hit partner Jerry Estrada, who juiced heavily. When he just be Elvis, or they didn't want to use that because there was the famous Elvis. And this is Ricky Boy as Elvis. That is Ricky Boy, yes. Then we have uh, 
the rest of the show here. Uh, appeared to, this appeared to draw the smallest cross triple have been running that building. About 2,000 fans. It's Petro Jr. working as a Rudo dedicated a match to his father who died two days earlier. Team with La Parca in Psychosis. And of course, they lost to Volador Dragon de Oro in winners in a great match. Finish all the technicals, take his Petro's wig off and put it over his face. And when he couldn't see, he accidentally hit Parker with a low blow. <laughs> Not only did he lose the match, he gets embarrassed in a match he's dedicated to his father. <laughs> and y'all thought Vince McMahon was bad about jobbing people in their hometowns. And the, and the like. All right, the rest of the uh, show here. No results for most of these matches. Lula Gonzalez, Pantera Serena, and Wendy. Not Ric Flair's Wendy. Uh, against La Briosa, La Monster, and Naftali. Ekatambe, Maremoto, and Terremoto. Web against Los Tutulos Karatecas. One, two, and three. Ricky Santana, Robin Hood, and the unknown third one. Then we have Ice Killer, Pirata Morgan, and Piratita Morgan going against Elvis, Jerry Estrada, and Jarito Estrada. Dragon de Oro, Bix, uh, Dragon de Oro. Remember who that was? I know he becomes someone notable. I'm drawing a blank he does. on who, though. Black Warrior. Yes, yes. yes, yes. Volador, Super Parka, and Winners of Isma Negro. And the Especho Jr., La Parca, and Psicosis. And then. Yeah, the Santo, these marks in Octagon over Eddie, Heavy Metal, and Love Machine in your main event. Now, while that was going on, they had a show in Monterrey, where Juventud Guerrero, the teenage son of Fuerza Guerrero, captured a Delaware lightweight title from Rey Mysterio Jr. on October 15th in Monterrey. The younger Guerrero is getting heavily praised by veterans because he works like someone with years of experience, even though he's only been pro for a few months. On October 22nd, his first TV match in a few months, they made it obvious he'll be in line for a significant player since he pinned Ray again to win a trios match. Also in the October 15th show was a triangular Caballero contra Caballero contra Mascara match where Latin Lover, El Swanganario, and Arafat, not Yasser Arafat, where Arafat lost his mask and was real as 30-year-old Jose Luis Rivera. No relation to the WC and former WF Conquistador the same name. All right, the rest of this show here. Otoconcito and Volorcito. Went up against Mini Psicosis and Picotito. El Mexicano, Iodilismarc, and Torero. Went up against El Fantasma, El Indomnito, and Fuerza Guerrera. Then we had Juvie beating Rey. Then we have Mascara Sagrada, Pero Aguayo, and Solomon Grande. Against Los Hermanos Dinamita, Cien Caras, Mascar, Año dos Mil, and Universo dos Mil. And then Latin Lover winning the, uh, the big three-way over Arafat. Sanguinario in It's I mean, Hoovy being that good, that young, shouldn't surprise anybody. Look what his dad was. Mm-hmm. I mean, good lord, you got one of the best as your trainer. I mean, and plus, there is something to it that, you know, you can inherit that type of stuff. It happens, and I'm sure he has. He had, and, you know, his dad fine-tuned him. And yeah, he was pretty damn awesome from the beginning. I mean, talent is inherent. I feel like wrestling fans often, especially if they're not into other sports of any kind, don't really understand the difference between talent and skill. If you have both, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there's been there's been some of them that's been second generation in, in all sports. They had no talent. No, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. The only reason why they got work is because of who they were. So, I mean, you're absolutely right, but there's also those exceptions as well, the other way. 
But, uh, yeah, Hoovy and Ray were having awesome matches when they were kids. What a shock. So, right, CMLL. Crowds overall have been very weak. With exception of cities where Atlantis and the newly unmasked Mono Negro face off. Although the October 16th show should be 15th. And Arena Mexico drew a big crowd with Canadian Vampire Casanova getting the huge ring interest reaction reminiscent of 1992. Canadian Vampire Casanova. Why is he the only wrestler whose name he translates back into English? <laughs> I have no idea. Also, was he ever... He was never Vampiro Casanova Canadiense or anything. He was either Vampiro no. Canadiense or Vampiro Casanova. Correct. Dave's doing his own thing here. Yeah, I mean, it's... Why isn't he talking, though, about King Mystery and King Mystery Jr.? <laughs> well, they're... Arm they're of native gold. Mes- Arm of they're native, they're native Mexican specs. Well, right? well... Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> Oh, the, well, uh, Final Dragon? They're Hispanic. They're Hispanic. Okay, Final Dragon, Great Hamada? Well, they're not English. They're they're from foreign countries, Bix. Fabulous Blonde? <laughs> he doesn't do him. You, yeah, I mean, you got that one. You got that one you can use, for sure, yeah. But anyway, all right, let's go to the results. Tuesday the 12th. Rina Calceo, La Diabolica, and Tania over Sitan Moreno and Lady Star. America 2, Ponzonia over El Legendario and Olympus. Not the mountain. Aguila de Plata, Aguila Solitaire, and Triton over Arcana de la Muerte, Carrera de la Muerte, and Tornado Negro, number one by DQ. Americo Roca, Oro, and Pantera over Felino, Hakimate, and El Monarca Javier Cruz. And then we have Bestia Savaje, Mochacota, and Sangre Chicana over Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, and El Brazo in your main event. And then we go to Arena Mexico on the 15th with the show there, where we have Escudero Rojo and Rios Vellos over El Mestizo and Gran Apache. This is not the full show, only three matches listed. Emilio Chavez Jr., Mochacota, and Negro Casas over El Dandi, Oro, and Ultimo Dragon by disqualification. And then Black Magic, Dr. Warden Wagner Jr. and Petoff over King Haku, Rayo de Alisco Jr. and Vampiro Canadiense. So there's uh, Norman Smiley involved in this. And we got Haku, Rayo, and Vampiro as a team. Yeah. Um, also weird seeing or, or results less than two weeks before his death. Yeah, it's coming. Then we got Arena Claus Sale on the 17th, the Sunday. We got Lynx, of course, that's Violencia, and Riva Canero. Over Olympico and Ultimatum, the future oh. electroshock. Escuro Rojo and Resvios over Filoso and Talisman Jr., which would be Filoso, the future Nitro, and Talisman Jr., the future Mascara Magica. Then you got Gerardo de Futuro, Gerardo Maya, and Illuminado Maestro, Maestro over Chicago Express and Ercesera, El Mestizo and Gran Apache, Cachorro Mendoza, Supremo Dos, and Hakimate over Blue Demon Jr., the original La Sombra and Oro. Then we have El Dandi, Rayo Disco Jr., and Ultimo Dragon over Emilio Chavez Jr., Mucho Cota, and Sangre Chicana by disqualification. And then we have the other Tuesday Coliseo, the 19th, Sita Moreno and La Serenita over La Diabolica and Maria del Angel. Rebo Cañero and Reyes Vellos over Ludwig Star and Pegaso. 
Acarando de la Muerte, Guerrero de la Muerte en Pánico, Over Aguilera de Plata, Talisman Jr. en Chitón, Cachorro Mendoza, El Monaco Javier Cruz en Moguer, Over American Roca, Chamaca Valagüez en La Sombra, en Oro Pantera, Nuestro Dragón, Over Felino, Negro Casas en Sangre Chicana, by disqualification. They got talent, but they just ain't doing business. Hmm. There's there's no there's nothing there. You just got guys out there that could have some good matches, but there's no meat on the bone. I really know. So, which I mean, even in Mexico, you got it takes more than just good wrestling. You got to have the other stuff part that to to help draw. You're not just drawing on having good talent. You got to have all the bells and whistles, the storylines, all that stuff. Similar's mm-hmm. building toward two big shows in December in Mexico, one of which looks to be a Vampiro versus Black Magic Caballero Coach Caballero match, and another being the Elisco Junior Pedoff in a Mascara Culture Mascara match. Dang's total ladder will be a sure sellout. The formula was originally planned to head on a big show in late 1992. But Paco Alonso took the idea after weeks of intense build-up, feeling it wasn't worth it because Vampiro's popularity had nosedived and the belief was a waste of potential big angle on something that at the time wouldn't draw. And none of these matches take place. Nope. <laughs> so they're, they're building toward it. There's two more matches that they never get go to. Because looking at the year-end show here, as I go down, uh, the... the <laughs> The main event of the last major show to Rio Mexico in 1993 picks is a it is a Mascara contra Mascara. I mean, excuse me, Caballero contra Caballero match, but it's mucho cota over Cactucanle. Good for them. Still drew 10,000 fans with uh, Ultimo Dragon and Felino underneath. So, um, magazines reporting that both Yano Tercero and Satanico are going to jump back for Triple A, although they are reporting for Otto Morgan is staying with Triple A. Satanica goes back, but not right here. The Yano Tercero don't go back until a little bit later as well. So, yeah. talked about it, but not doing it. So, there you go. All right, UWA, with crowds hovering about 1,000 every Sunday at El Torreo, one of their worst runs in history, they shot more big angles on October 17th to lead to an attempt to run a major show on October 24th. The semifinals first meeting of longtime tag partners Silver King and El Tejano in a trios match. King, who turned... Rudo, on Tejano, when the team broke up on uh, October 10th, team with El Signo and Negro Navarro. And uh, they went up against El Tejano, Super Astro, and Gran Hamada. Where during the third fall, Signo and Navarro turned on Silver King, and Tejano joined them. Signo, Navarro, and Tejano were one of the most famous trios in Mexico's original death scenarios. Los Missionarios de la Muerte in the late 70s and 80s, until Tejano turned technical on them in a long, bloody feud with him, and he pounded on his nephew. The brawl included stiff chair shots, a two-by-four shots, and then with Silver King and Tejano both bloody and challenging one another to stipulation matches. The fortunate two immediately left for Japan after the match for our tour with Wingus Tag Partners. Outstanding. Shoot a big angle, and then, then they both leave. Main event was a Parijas Incredibles match with Dos Caras and Yamato, Tiger Chung League, going up against Kanek and King Haku. Ending when Haku and Kinect broke up and lost a straight fall set of singles match on the 24th. Beyond the Tercero returns to AAA on that show as well, but as a Rudo for the first time ever, teaming with Brothers Form 5 against Super Astro Enrique Vera and Vampire, Vampiro Cariense. 
wait, there's no way that's Viano Tercera's first time as a Vrudo. <laughs> right? They're the villains. <laughs> Does Dave not know what Viano means? I think he, I don't know. I don't know what Dave's talking Have about. They never, had he never been a Rudo teaming with his brothers? Yes, he has. Then where is he getting? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right, uh, results from El Torreo on October 17th. Ocoloso and Naroque Satana beat Espantos 4 and 5. Super Pinoco and Super Raton over El Mercenario and Carlos Vigales Jr. by the Q. Black Power 2, the Killer and Vida Herokai over El Engendro, Scorpio Jr. and Shu El Guerrero. Then you have El Signo Negroval and Silver King over Gran Hamada, Super Astro and Atahano. And it does Karas and Yamato over Kanek and King Haku. What a match that is. And Luchawiki does not have a bio for Vita Hiroaki. Well, he's Japanese. I'm pretty sure they would. But they usually have a listing. Um... It was probably one of a young student who never did anything. He stayed in Mexico, probably. Nothing on cage match either. So. That's what I'm willing to bet. That happened. So that's probably what it was. Or it just might not be well documented and it could be someone who became a name. I mean, it's possible. But I, I don't think so. I mean, at this time period, I think it would be somebody that people would know. I mean, the only person I could think it would be would be a... a I don't even know because I don't know if he's even in Michinoku Pro yet, but Tiger Mask 4, I don't know. Hmm. I mean, it's possible, but we don't know. So, there you go. All right, Alice, back with us as we head to the USAD scene. And we begin with ESPN. ESPN2, as mentioned here before, has considered adding a Japanese wrestling television show to their lineup. As of press time, all dealings have been, have been stalled because some are of the belief that Japanese wrestling is too much like WWF wrestling, and the station doesn't want to include... That type of thing, quote-unquote. ESPN2 is targeting males. 18 to 34 is their prime audience, which is exactly the audience that makes up the bulk of those who watch and attend pro wrestling in Japan. If any of you are interested in Japanese pro wrestling on U.S. Television Weekly, the best thing to do is write to either Ron Saval, who is largely going to make the call yay or nay, or Barry Abrams at ESPN. Did he give out an address? Okay. He did. It was another noise. He did, because I erased it off. But... I remember this was a thing at the time in the newsletters that there was talk that they, that they maybe were looking at adding some Japanese wrestling ESPN2, and it ends up being Global Wrestling Federation. Right, Global just gets moved from ESPN to ESPN2, basically. <laughs> Which is funny, Al, that Japanese wrestling, too much like WF wrestling. What? As, as opposed to the rude dog <laughs> being counted out because a female fan had a, had a cat. And he chased or, it. Or um, Rasta. Gaston Means. <laughs> oh, yes. Or Rasta the Voodoo Man. The yeah. Lesser Spade. Well, you know, it was global, global Wrestling Federation, so they figured, well, Japan is part of the globe. But it's also China. part of the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that global, that, I mean, they got Moadib. You know, Ahmed Johnson was on that run. I mean, I don't I, know if Moadib's around yet. Yes, he is. Oh, he He's is? On okay. ESPN too. 
Mm-hmm. <sighs> yep. Oh, yeah. You got, of course, you got uh, John Hawk and Bobby Duncan tag teaming and Sebastian, I think, still hanging around. <laughs> I'm going to assume Stephen Dane is still there because he course. was every Texas wrestling promotion <laughs> ever of after course. he turned 18. He's a lifer. Yeah. Well, he was perfect for Global Fix. Oh, the, because, the camera angles. Yeah. Yeah, the camera <laughs> angles that uh, accentuated his. Oh. I thought, see, I didn't see where you're going because I feel like they accentuated one part more than his ass. <laughs> But still, yes. You have the biggest dick I've ever seen on you. <laughs> but, but yeah, I know Japanese wrestling on ESPN too, but it was in the early days of the internet, it was always hilarious to me to read some of the people complain about how no cable station would pick up, would put Japanese wrestling on their channel. We got all these channels on the satellite dish and I can't find Japanese wrestling. Oh, well. well. <laughs> All right, let's go to the indie scene. Let's go to the NEWF. They ran a show with the John C. Foley, not named after the former Stampede manager, Jim in Plymouth, New Hampshire on October 17th. We have the Slayer Brothers over Bruno Scarlatelli. Oh! oh. And Rip Morrison. Max Moon. Well, you'll find out who Max Moon was in a minute. Over Bob Evans. Yes, Brutal Bob. Young Brutal Bob. Brittany Brown with Don Barzini over Jamie West by Countout. Mr. Hughes over Tony Wah. Tony Roy. Well, no, he's Tony Roy. If he, it's Wah, it's Wah if he's uh, Antoine Wah. <laughs> well, uh, Paul Bunyan over the Bulldozer by disqualification. Nails over Johnny Royal. Brian Delphia over Mag- Mad Dog Richard. Freight Train Fulton over. Wild Bill Wilcox by disqualification. NEWF heavyweight title. Axe. Demolition Axe retained over Richard Charland, or since he's in America picks, Richard Charland by DQ. <laughs> and the, the Bushwhackers, Luke and Butch over El Loco and Kato. So Paul Diamond gets to do t- two of his gimmicks here on this show. He should have done three. He should have been Paul Diamond, too. <laughs> what a card. So I, I wonder if Brian Delphia had a partner. Named Phil or a brother. <laughs> Phil A. Delphia. I admit I fucked that joke up. I yes, should have did. said brother, not partner. Damn it. <laughs> Phil A. Delphia. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> also, isn't it Mad Dog Richard? It w- I guess it would be if it was in Canada, Bix, but we're not in Canada. We're in Actually, wait, isn't Richard Charlon Mad Dog Richard? <laughs> it may have been. I don't know. He's. I don't know if Richard Charlon is doing a job to Brian Delphia. So, so whose promotion is this? It's the NEWF. So I'm not sure at this point in time who, who the promoter is of that. God, I it's wonder not, what they drew. Because I mean that's a lot, yeah. that's a lot of that's a lot of cha-ching going out the door. Well, you know, hey, those those new English shows drew pretty good. You know, Tony Rumble's legendary for yeah. for promoting up there. And I mean, Kowalski always did good. I mean, those shows did well. They weren't publicized heavy, but they did well. All right, let's go to Dix's Neck of the Woods, IWCCW, and Al's Neck of the Woods at the time. We have two shows, Trenton, New Jersey, on October 15th. We have Damian Stone, Little Guido, over Ricky Starr. Oh, this is lovely. Tommy Dreamer over the Kodiak Bear. 
Raging Bull Manny Fernandez over Ray Odyssey. Surfer. Ray Tasman- Odyssey. <laughs> yes. Tasmaniac over Gino Caruso. Oh. Oh. Fremont Carnero to third. Oh. oh. Terminator. Coco Beware over Greg the Hammer Valentine by disqualification. And then Tony Atlas over Tommy Dreamer. And then they come back the next night in Southampton, New York. The Terminator over Gino Caruso. Frankie Burns over the Great Martine. Primo Carnero third over Tony Atlas by disqualification. Raging Bull over Tommy Dreamer. Tasmaniac over Ray Odyssey. And Coco Beware over Great Hammer Valentine by disqualification. Okay, why do the way the results are formatted, why is there a period after Primo Carnero the third? I don't know. Blame uh, wrestling data on that one. Okay. So we've got Big Guido but, and Little Guido. Yes. Yes. Years ahead. Yes. But this is a c- classics of oldie lineups, Al, of the era right here. Yeah, I was I just to make a mild correction. I not my neck of the woods in '93. I I had already moved down south. Oh, okay. I well, you're in, I moved, Yeah, I moved to Asheville, North Carolina, probably within two months. Uh, well, see, I was close. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no. This is the classic, uh, as you said, the the Savoldi lineups you've got, and it really is amazing when you can. You know, so many people believe that ECW you know, created stars out, out of nowhere, but they, they got a lot of guys from Savoldi, a, a lot of guys. And they, you know, even in some of the early days, some of the guys, you know, on these shows that didn't become big stars with ECW later, um, you know, they had cups of coffee there, but yeah, I mean, it's amazing how you see how Savoldi presents these guys and how a few years later, Paulie is able to package them and mold them and, and, and turn them into something unique and special. Well, speaking I think the of difference which, is EC, EC, oh. ECW <laughs> made them ECW made them more nationally known. But I mean, all those guys that was in ECW, you know, WCCW, Tri-State, you know. But Taz, Taz is not, you know, Paul, Paul definitely, you know, modified Taz and absolutely modified Tommy Dreamer, uh, you know. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. But they were they were known. They were known entities. Absolutely. Like you're saying. I mean, Taz, the worst Monkey Mountain wrestler, for God's sakes. So, uh, I mean. And New Japan. So, yeah. That, and New Japan. Yes. And other Japanese organizations. So, I mean, they're, they're known entities, but yeah, he, he fine tuned them. Absolutely. Well, no, I think he's only worked. Oh, wait. Has he worked Wing yet? Or did yes. he work Wing? Okay. Mm-hmm. What a weird trajectory he had in Japan that he went from New, New Japan as a junior heavyweight to Wing through Kevin Sullivan to Buko Dojo as Pete Tazello and then the Heisei gun. Hey, do what you got to do. Whatever it takes. All okay. right. Now, it's, speaking it's, of which, let's go to yeah, Paul. WWN. Executive producer, top coordinator of ECW Television, Paul Heyman, says there will probably be only one more ECW Television taping for ECW hands over their television slot to the World Wrestling Network. Uh-huh. Unofficially scheduled to be headed by Jim Crockett Jr. come November the 1st. Uh-huh. Heyman sees the most recent ECW tapings of current television shows as a testing ground for some of the ideas he has for WWN, including Maddie in the House and Public Enemy. ECW would still survive, owned by Todd Gordon, but with WWN as their parent television show. And to confuse matters even more, all of this falls under the banner of the National Wrestling Alliance. <laughs> Bix, this is uh, 
This is uh, interesting stuff to read here, considering what we know eventually happened. Maddie in the house was going to be part of WWN. Obviously. Yeah. Was Stevie wonderful? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, basically the big point of contention was Todd Gordon did, did not, you know, want anything to do with Jimmy Crockett. Well, Eddie didn't either. That's why Eddie left, according yeah. to him. Yeah. So, boy, how different is everything if, if you know, that if this comes to pass like this? Oh, and ECW if, is just a shadow, I would say, like a shadow group for WWN. WWN shot in uh, high-density television. <laughs> That's right. They were pioneers. Well, speaking of ECW, uh, we have the television report from The Torch. TV on October 12th saw Public Enemy win a squash. Sabu's wild debut was replayed where he destroyed Tasmaniac. So we have the debut of Sabu here. Taz had threatened Sabu's manager, Hunter Q. Robbins. At commercial break, Sabu battles Taz in the best two match of the weekend. A classic, unpredictable wild brawl with amazing flying high spots by Sabu and also suplexes by Taz and Sabu pinned Taz. Sandman pinned Metal Maniac. Well, you know if he's here. Terry Funk pinned Jimmy Snook in a cage match to capture the TV title. Post-match interview with Funk adds meaning to the victory. And let's go to Wade's analysis. A daring attempt to MTVize wrestling that works sometimes and other times is overdone. Rock Rock has confidence doing the grunge gimmick. I don't know public is a grunge act. MC Maddie in the house has commanded a microphone. Production values are very good considering facilities, but the show seemed to be all over the place with no anchor or home base. Good job done promoting upcoming cars, thus achieving purpose. Joey Styles shows potential as a play-by-play man. Next week's main event is Public Enemy versus Bad Company. Pat Tanaka, Paul Diamond. No interview of footage aired of Tanaka and Diamond. It is wild, Al, going back and watching these early ECW television shows and seeing just how different it was compared to what it would be just even a year later. Yeah, and I remember I, I read the results of these TV tapings, and I think it was in PWI Weekly where I saw them and I'm just blown away at, you know, again, like I said, you know, I recognize a lot of these guys as Savoldi guys. And all of a sudden they're now, you know, working for this new promotion. That's supposed to be the hip new thing. And, you know, when you read it versus, you know, while you can't actually see it, because I didn't actually get to watch ECW till a while later, you're like, how is this working? And you see, you know, they're having competitive matches on TV with a lot of disqualification finishes and whatnot. And it seems like they're doing things. It seems like they're doing things wrong, although realistically they're just doing things differently. But then once you see the product, you sort of get what they're doing. I, I like you know, the, the one thing about the one thing where Wade criticized it is probably their strongest point that was all over the place with no anchor or home base. I think that's part of what made it appeal to guys uh, my age back then. I'm in my I'm in my 20s, uh, you know, back then. So I think the fact that it that it, you know, it is so scattered and, and you never know what's going to happen next was really a big part of its appeal. Exactly. I mean, I'm. You know, when I first started watching ECW, I'm 15. And, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely appealed to what was going on and what my generation was looking at as hip and cool. You know, I mean, it was it was that. It was not your traditional wrestling show. And that was good. That's a good thing. Exactly. Now I know that uh, Public Enemy was meant to be a grunge act. 
Well, Johnny Grunge, is it his name? Well, well that's true, I guess. Well, so, but so were they truly grunge at first? And then no. they sort of. No. Right. No, they weren't. No. no they, they, I, I don't know what Wade was thinking about here, but. But yeah, I mean, it's just a different a, a different thing to go back and watch these shows and just see the early genesis of what would become ECW. See guys like Hunter Q. Robbins III, Dex, who he was around here for a little while as uh, their top heel manager, so to speak. Yeah, he's around until at least early 94 because he's on Night the Line was crossed. Um, I did not remember that he was Sabu's manager for his debut, though. Yeah, it wasn't Paul. Is Paul even on TV as a character at this point? No, I don't think so. Since he so since he took over the book, he has not been a TV character. Yes. Okay. Which would change very soon. Yes, it would. Now they ran a house show uh, in Maryland, kind of a co-promotion on October sixteenth in uh, Northeast Maryland at Cecil Community College. Hey, Cecil, in front of two hundred fans. They Soul show. Iron Man Tommy Cairo beat Mr. X, all time uh, indie favorite of that area, Larry Winters. Jason beat the Canadian Wolfman. JT Smith been the Super Destroyer. Sandman Pen Rock and Rebel, who injured his knee and was stretched out. Oh well. ECW Tag Champions Johnny Hotbody and Tony Stetson retained their titles, beating the Bad Breed, Ian and Axelrod. That's Public Enemy, knocked out Bad Breed with chairs. Jimmy Snooker pinned Nikolai Volkoff, who was noted who lives in Maryland. And Shane Douglas and J- Superfly Jimmy Snooker beat Public Enemy. Shane pinned Rocco Rock. And JT Smith won a Battle Royal. That Jimmy and the Nineheart was scheduled to be Douglas' opponent at this sh- show, but he no showed. The sponsor purchased a return event, despite this point of crowd, which has been attributed to poor advertising efforts. <laughs> So the promoter, who did poor advertising job and drew a shitty house, <laughs> wants another show. Well, maybe Makes they sense. recognized it was their fault. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Or do you think, or or do we think out oh, this guy's a Mister Mark and wants to have his own independent wrestling show? It could be, and it could be a combination of both. He, you know, might have wanted the thought, truly thought he could make money with it, and first time out. Thought it would, you know, sell itself, and you know he still loves wrestling. He still wants to do it, and maybe now he, uh, you know, going to work a little harder. Do we have any idea what the uh, what the return engagement drew? I don't even know if they did one because <laughs> I mean it says he did it, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know because if, if they drew one. if they drew two hundred and one, then he made the right choice. Damn it! <laughs> there you go. Anything over what he did? Cecil Community College. Um. Where's and we don't know who, it? like, was it the school that bought the show, or... That's in... <laughs> when I said Northeast Maryland, it's literally Northeast Maryland. That's the town it's in. Uh, I, I, so I wonder if that's... If Dave just got his sort of wires crossed when when he was sent the report, he assumed that wasn't the name of the town and assumed it to be a locating... <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Northeast Maryland. How about that? But anyway. Alright, let's go to Florida now. The ICWA. They ran Tampa, Florida on October 16th. We got Bill Tyree over the Cuban Assassin by disqualification. Haystacks Calhoun Jr. Not legitimate. Over Tommy Starr. 
Frankie Rose over the Surgeon General. <laughs> Leafy Lanny Poff over Jeff Bradley by disqualification. That's a match. Sonny Trout and Rick Taines, the Southern Posse over the Armed Forces, one and two. And Lou Perez over Skinner. Wow, Steve Kern uh, doing the job for our Lightning Lou Perez here. About that. We stay in Florida. TriStar Wrestling. They ran a doubleheader in St. Petersburg, an afternoon and evening show. Afternoon show saw Johnny West over Steve Collins and Lanny Poff over Kevin Sullivan by disqualification. Evening saw Alan Iron Eagle, Joe Gomez over Muhammad Stud. Lanny Poff over the masked superstar, Bob Cook under the mask. Brian Blair over the Warlord by disqualification. Great Hammer Valentine over Doink the Clown, played by Steve Kern by disqualification. Jim Neidhart, well, we see why he no-showed this show, the, the ECW show, over Kevin Sullivan by disqualification. And the Wrecking Crew. Yes, Al Green and Mark Laurinaitis beat the Southern Posse. Now, this is a show right here. <laughs> wow. It's like your Florida Indie All-Stars, Al, of this era yeah. right here. That, that, that's, a, that's a wild show. And Lanny Poffo is uh, keeping himself busy in mid-October 1993. So I've, I worked with some of these guys. I did uh, some shots for Ron Nemi uh, when he had his IPW Pro Wrestling in Florida. And uh, I remember meeting the, the Southern Posse. But I also... Uh, Another time I went down there and uh, it was he had an outdoor show and he was advertising the Insane Clown Posse and the Insane Clown Posse no showed. And they waited till right before the uh, main event to tell the crowd who was literally 97 percent juggalos and no one gave a shit about anything else. I I worked with uh, uh, Frankie. uh, um, Jesus, I can't even uh, Frankie Francisco Chiazzo. What was his name back then? Oh, okay. Yeah. He was, uh, well, I always remember Miss Francisco Chiazzo. Yeah. Um, but he had a different gimmick back then. And uh, we worked against Tommy Rogers. And the crowd could not care less for anything we were doing. And so basically, I, I remember this because Haystack Calhoun Jr. was the one who had to address the crowd and tell them that <laughs> ICP wasn't coming. And I oh, looked at, no. I looked at Tommy Rogers. He looks at me. He says, uh, we need to get the hell out of here. And we just left. <laughs> um, I heard the fans were really upset, and at one point it could have gotten bad, but uh, whatever security was there it did calm them down. And there were a lot of upset, pissed off people, but it was not the riot that I thought it was going to be. Okay, wait a second. So this is what early two thousands or li- very late nineties? Uh, if not ninety nine or two thousand, because I remember I first started working for Ron when I was with wild side. So that would have had to have been 99 or early 2000. I think, I think it was in the spring of 2000. It was after Scotty, Scotty Ryan turned heel on JC Daz. So there was this yeah. an advertised ICP match though, or was it yeah, uh, advertised, whether it was appearance or match, I'm not sure, but absolutely. This okay. was, uh, the reason I ask because in that era, you'd have your unadvertised ICP appearances where there would be the bus of fans that were following them, and they'd be like, hey, can we work a show? Can we work the show? We won't ask for any no, money, the, the, and a bunch of our fans will buy tickets. So, the, No, this is people who would have gone out of their way. So it's ICP can no show because it's not like people were following them. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I have another question, though. Is Muhammad okay. Stud, uh, Ray Candy, combining the Mr. Kareem Muhammad and Black Stud Williams gimmicks? <laughs> Well, if Ray Candy was still alive at that time, it could have been. Didn't Ray Candy die in 94 or 95? 
He's he's already dead. What? No, no, he's still alive at that point. Yeah, you're still right. You're right. He's he was he was alive in May, May twenty third, ninety four is when he died. Told you. So, I, but I seriously doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't see. I don't. I don't see. Yeah, him working the opener there. The last result, uh, yeah, on cage match at least for him is from June ninety. So, but working for PWF in Tampa. So, well, he worked there at the end, yes. But Steve Kern wrestling as Doink in, in St. Petersburg. That's something, not as himself. Well, we have Black Star wrestling. No, not most deaf in Talib Kweli, but Black Star wrestling on uh, October 18th in Greenville, South Carolina, in front of 108 fans. Ricky Star, another Ricky Star over Billy Star. That's your star battle right there. The Punisher over Matt James. T.C. Carter went to a WQ of Vladimir Koloff. Mr. Clean and David Isley over Johnny Dollar and the Mauler. And then our main event, the Junkyard Dog over Pistol Pez Watley. Well, Al, you're in the Carolinas at this point in time, so... Uh, yeah, I didn't thoughts? work... I wasn't on the involved in the indie scene at this point. I didn't get in the business till late 95, but uh, Bo James and I have definitely worked shows for Johnny Dollar in South Carolina. Uh, n- not a fan. Let's just, let's just say <laughs> not a fan of Mr. Dollars. Um, yeah, I think we worked for him in Greenville. Um, he used to run, he used to run Mondays. Um, well, that, when, was the, that was the time. That was the day. But this, but this was before this was before Nitro was a big thing. That, that this was there was competition on TV on Monday nights, but it still was feasible. I remember I worked for a guy in Nashville, North Carolina. He ran a show at a bowling alley. Uh, but the, the deal was they showed Nitro live on the big screen. And then we had a wrestling show afterwards. And then well, that happened uh, to quite a few places. Yeah. And the promoter. uh May or may not have faked an injury when he was refereeing the main event to get out of paying us. <laughs> let's just say, let's just say, Rusty Riddle was pretty sure it was it was not a real injury and was uh, harassing poor Smoking Joe Scarborough as he was being taken out uh, on the stretcher on on to an ambulance. Uh, Rusty Riddle's not the type of guy I want to step on a payment. Like of all, like of all the people in wrestling, you know, that are in the indie wrestling scene in the Carolinas in the in the mid to late nineties, the the last one I'd want to uh, would be Rusty Riddle. Jesus. Maybe the other, and maybe the, the maybe he's the second worst, and the worst would would have been Sean Royal. <laughs> yeah, it's a one A one B. JYD and Pistol Pez Wally is an interesting sounding match, though. It's nineteen ninety three, but still an interesting sounding match for various reasons, but. Man, well, let's go to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Little happened this week. That's the, the headline from Dave, but we got some stuff. They taped an angle over the weekend that should air in a few weeks where Chris Candido was going to a riverbank to throw the U.S. junior title into the river. Bobby Blaze showed up, and the two got into a scuffle, which wound up with Blaze being thrown into the river and coming out covered with all kinds of gook, which is the angle that set up the tar and feather matches over Thanksgiving between the two of them. Ah, uh, yes, a classic angle. You're throwing the belt or metal or whatever into the local river. Happened in quite a few places, Al, over the years. Yeah, oldie but a goodie. And it it, um, it always works. I mean, they did it in the WWF. Yeah, they sure did. <laughs> well, that's that's when you know. That's when you know it. Who was, 
who was booking at that? Who was one of the, the head bookers at that time? Was Cornette? So yeah. You know that's where that came from. Yeah. <laughs> but that's when you know that it's really that it's really big is when even the WWF will do it because all you know all the all the famous angles that made their way all across the place like Pepper Gomez's you know stomach or the uh, cigar and the eye, you know those were things that uh, Vince usually didn't touch. Is Cornette yeah. still on the creative team by the time they do the Rock? Throwing the icy belt in the river angle, though. Ninety-seven. We just talked about that. No, but because in is in he was doing NWA rants. But the, by the yeah. time they shoot that angle, is he still actively on creative? As far as I know, yes. No, yeah. Because doesn't he claim he's basically done with creative after? Which show is it? It's one of the later Canadian tapings that year, I think. I'm sure he's contributing ideas because where would that idea come from? Of anybody that's on that, in that group, Vince Russo is not coming up with that idea. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. And JR is probably not in the TV writing process at that point. Right. Yeah. So he may not be officially part of, but he's probably given ideas because that's a, you know, an angle that Cornish running here. And it's a famous mm-hmm. angle that ran in numerous Southern territories. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, let's see, Dick Slater, he may have been the last one up until this point in time to do that angle and miss out for the TV title uh, medal. Because I don't know if anybody did it after he did that in 86. Yeah, that up might until have been. This yeah, yeah. might be right. Yeah. Only one house show took place this week, and October 15th in Morganton, North Carolina, was canceled due to so many injuries. Jimmy Del Rey had a stretch muscle in his leg, had to miss the weekend, but we'll be back on October 22nd. Bobby Blaze had a partially torn knee ligament and be out of action for a few weeks. Robert Gibson also missed the weekend, so the schedule Rock and Roll Express Heavenly Bodies main event was Ricky Morton and Tim Horner versus Dr. Tom Pritchard and Jim Cornette on October 16th in Burksville, Kentucky. The Burksville shows a series of inside jokes at WCW's weekly shows in Kennesaw, Georgia. They are drawing crowds in the dozens. More than once during the card, they plug that WCW wrestling takes place every Tuesday at the Crystal Chandelier Bar in Kennesaw, Georgia. And Cornette and Pritchard were introduced as the Kennesaw, Georgia Tag Team Champions. <laughs> well, this show drew 350 in Burksville at the Cumberland County High School. We have Chris Candido over Anthony Michaels, Tim Horner over Dirty White Boy. Tracy Smothers beat Brian Lee by DQ in a smoking mountain title match. Lee retained. Morton Horner over Dr. Tom McCornett and Tracy Smothers won a battle royal. Cumberland, Kentucky, Al. Uh, you ever uh, worked a show in Cumberland, Kentucky? I mean, uh, Burksville? No, I don't believe I worked in Burksville. Uh, I did work once in uh, Bloody Harlan, Kentucky. Oh, yes. <laughs> and every, oh, yes. everything that you have heard about Harlan, Kentucky and wrestling fans in Harlan, Kentucky is absolutely true. Um, but this, I just, you know, this is just, this is one of those inside jokes just to pop the boys that he's supposed to, you know, be against when other people do it. Funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> Funny yeah. how that works. But I, I do remember, yeah, like I said, show, though. there is that. Yeah, stuff. true. I, but yeah. I remember reading, yeah. reading because there were always results from the Kennesaw cards. Uh, in uh, at that point, I think I was reading the Observer. Um, but between that and and the uh, you know the uh, magazines, you know they always made a point of talking about the shows. And I think they always printed the attendance, and and it was always really bad. Of course, now I live not far from Kennesaw, Georgia, and I actually had a friend that used to live in Kennesaw, Georgia, so went there a lot. I never found the Crystal Chandelier Bar. I don't believe it exists anymore. 
Well, we're going to be talking about Crush Chandelier in just a little bit. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yes, we'll have uh, some results to talk about from Crush Chandelier. So there, how about that? So we'll, we'll see what, if Cornette and Dr. Tom actually defended their titles on their shows. <laughs> I, really hope, I really hope this uh, includes the show that features, quote-unquote, a member of Harlem Heat in action, we'll as we'll the see. results claim. Smoky Mountain Wrestling now only, is now only on television on Wednesday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern on Sports Channel America. The show that airs is the most updated program, unlike the USWA tapes on the same station that are several weeks behind. Dave, Channel America and Sports Channel America are not the same thing. <laughs> Close enough for Dave, I guess. No, they're very different. Well, I know that, but I said for Dave, it's close enough for him. Obviously, he doesn't have a Sports Channel America. Is there still no proper Wikipedia page for Sports Channel America? Guess not. Huh. On TV, they're building up to the surprise TV match airs next week. Cornette called the Bruise Brothers a second stream team and said what a big disappointment they turned out to be. Yeah, fuel that angle up. The Brian Lee, Tammy Fitch, Ron Wright deal this week had Tammy on with a new Rolex and a new dress, which she used Ron's credit card for. She asked Ron to adopt her on television, and behind Ron's back, Brian said, is he going to sign the will over to us? And Tammy makes him be quiet. Okay, real quick before we go to the cliff, I just checked. Sports Channel America also just got switched over to News Sport a couple weeks earlier. So Sports Channel America doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> Dave's pimping Spooky Mountain Wrestling on Challenge doesn't exist. <laughs> but anyway, let's go watch Brian and Tammy and Ron right here. And how old is Ron right here, actually? All right, 1993, Ron Wright is... Let me see here. 11 billion. He's 55. <laughs> he is 55. No, not even yet. Almost 55. So he's the same age as AJ Styles is today, right? <laughs> he's several years younger than Sting is today. <laughs> yes. Doing the uh, infirm old man gimmick. Right. That's, that is wild, though, to think about the age. He's of only, today. what, like a year and a half older than Dustin Rhodes is right now? <laughs> Sting, Sting 60, will be 63 this year, won't he? 62 or 63. He's already is 63. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> amazing. Sting is two years away from federal retirement age. <laughs> Alright, let's go to the clip. How can they be cashing his social security checks if he's only 54? <laughs> well, fans, as you saw, Tracy's mother's not very happy about the fact that primetime Brian Lee is still the Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Champion. But Brian, the dirty white boy, says that he has earned the shot at that title. Dirty white boy says he's earned a shot at the title. I'm the one that says you get a shot at the title, dirty white boy. You just like Tracy Smothers, you ought to be picking tobacco and riding a tractor somewhere and get out of professional wrestling. And I tell you what, maybe one day if I have Russian? five or ten minutes, I might give you a shot. But right now I have bigger <laughs> fish to fry. What about it, Miss Fitch? Look at the new dress Ronnie bought me. Isn't it beautiful? He's showing his gratitude because we're taking such good care of him. We brought him into our home. We're feeding him. We're clothing him because the dirty white boy just couldn't do the job. And he bought me this dress. He bought me this Rolex. And we oh, put that away. And last night, I was sitting on Tiger's lap, and he told me he's just about to call the lawyer and sign those adoption papers so I can become part of the family. 
That's going to be so nice having Miss Fitch as one of my own daughters and my own family. I'm going to really and looking forward to this. Tammy, is he going to sign the will too? Shut up. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Tiger, <laughs> it's time for your next dose of medicine. Let's go. Vince, whew, we'll be right back. I wonder why they didn't shot that. Bleh, didn't shoot that in front of the fans. It's a it's a um, it's a clip show. Oh, okay. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's no live wrestling. It's clip show. So you're showing highlights from um, some of the house shows. Oh, always a good sign financially for a wrestling promotion. Well, this is 1993. I know. But that's what they would. That's what they would. But that's what they would do, though. Oh. Okay. They would have like uh, let's see what the big show was here that they're playing off of. Uh, Parade of Champions. The Parade of Champions weekend. They ran Hazard, uh, Knoxville, Barberville, and Johnson City. So they're showing a, a compilation of matches from those shows. That's what that is. Swicky did that from the beginning. They would always do that. So. No, that's not, not not anything to do with financial. No. Okay. Because they would do a TV taping where they would take the weeks of TV and they would, you know, if they're doing the big show rundown, they would still have an extra week after that from the the TV taping they had shown the weeks before. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, so. All right, well, Bob Cottle wasn't around when Daryl Van Horn made his debut. So Bob Cottle meets Daryl Van Horn for the first time here. So let's go to the clip. Why do we have three clips coming up, though? Because Daryl Van Horn actually sits at the table for most of the show. Oh. <laughs> and he has some lines. So let's go to this. Well, okay, I'm curious because we've done the Felching the Family Dog Week, haven't we? Yeah, but... There's more than just that, Vicks. You have, you have your certain ones you always Wait a minute, Caudill. You flipped your poorly fitted wig if you think I'm going to let you sit out here and tell everybody what's going on. I'm here to cast pearls before swine right now and let the world know what's going on in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Seeing as how I'm the man that's going to change it, I'm bringing in the Egyptian prince. I've returned from the University of Cairo, and I have a man who stands seven feet tall, 350 pounds. He's a renaissance man. He's going to change everything here. Dutch. Who is this? You haven't met Mr. Van Horn? No, I have not. Well, Bob, while you were gone, uh, Mr. Van Horn made his presence known here, and I think you should talk to him. I think you'd like him. You think I will? Yes, I know. Well, if if you like him, I I don't think I will, Dutch. Fans, don't go away. We're going to be back right after this. All right, so there's the first meeting. Now we'll get another meeting of, uh, well, he's at the desk with him now, and uh, he's got some colorful things to say here. The United States Junior Heavyweight title bounced around like a ping-pong ball at the Parade of Champions. Chris Candido had won it just a few days earlier. Then it went to Bobby Blaze, then Candido, then to Blaze. Candido had promised that he'd throw the belt in the river if he won it, but he didn't have it long enough. Wait a minute, Carl. Wait a minute. We have a visitor with us today, and I see you haven't changed a bit. Mr. Horn, Mr. Van Horn, let me ask you, what do you think of, of Bobby Blaze? Well, I like Bobby Blaze, but then again, I like leukemia. <laughs> no, actually, the thing is this. The man's an idiot. He's so stupid, he went to Las Vegas and stood in front of the roulette wheel trying to buy a vowel all night. He's a clown. Vans, let's watch it right here. Uh, I like leukemia. <laughs> and then we have the ending of the show here. And, oh, this is great. So let's go to uh, Joe Van Horn. Special- 
Parade of Champions program for today. Now, next week, wait right minute, here wait on... Wait a minute, wait a minute, Caudill. I've sat here and I've talked about other wrestlers and we've listened to ramblings and the verbal effluvia you spew about other wrestlers, but I want to <laughs> talk about the reason I'm here in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I've come from the University of Cairo and I will be bringing in a seven-foot-tall, 350-pound Egyptian prince. Now, I just got off the phone with my lawyers from my corporate officers up on the corner of Libido and Cleavage in New Jersey earlier today they have assured me that the palms have been greased we've dealt with the consulate we've dealt with the embassy it's almost time to bring my prince in it takes a lot of time and talent I have the lawyers to do it in fact they once got a sodomy charge that gets me busted down the tailgating however everybody here needs to pay attention to what I've got going on this man is a renaissance man and he will change pro wrestling as we know it I will do whatever it takes to bring him in even if it means we have to bump off some of these politicians around here to get him into the country and in fact I think I know just the people to take care of that. You're just shaking your head in agreement. Well, I agree with everything. It says fans, tune in next week. Yeah. We're going to see the heavenly bodies <laughs> against a team to be announced. We are going to see, uh, see Bobby Blaze versus Chris Candido for the U.S. Right. Junior Heavyweight title. Uh, beat the champion turns next week. And Tammy Fitz makes her reappearance on Smoky Mountain Wrestling next week uh, with Tammy's tips. All right, fans, that's going to do it for this week. We'll see you next week. And until then, so long for now. Thanks. <laughs> Bob Caudle's face when he uh, drops the uh, got sodomy charge reduced to tailgating. <laughs> it is like the disappointed old man version of, of Ralph Wiggum when Lisa Simpson tells him she'll never like him on the uh, Krusty Anniversary show. I mean, Jim Mitchell is so ahead of his time. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's so he's been so underappreciated for all these years too. Was so ahead of his time, Al. I mean, you're a contemporary of, of Jim. I mean, God, he 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 in another era. Who knows how big he could have gotten as a manager? Yeah, and of course, I worked a lot with manager Jeff G. Bailey, who's friends, good oh, friend of Jim, and who took you know a, a lot of stuff from him as well. And I just, you know, when, when I would hear Jeff doing his promos in Wildside and we're in the back, it's just, it's appointment, you know, it's appointment television for all of us in the back to hear what he's going to say, but he's just so, just so brilliant. And, you know, this, uh, yeah, he's just, this is great stuff. And Coddle, it's like, you know, it's literally passing the torch between, you know, the mouthpieces of the old Bob Coddle and mouthpieces of the new. Yeah, and uh, and touches there, and, and it, it just makes you wonder how much they. Uh, I, neither one of them knew what he was going to say, and that's the thing about this, era, you know, of wrestling, and even in this era, there's no scripting yet, so they don't know what he's going to say. He's out there saying this stuff, and it's just like it's crazy, and it's going, you know, it's like me and Bix have talked about before. You know, we talk about Felch and the Family Dog and some of the other stuff he talked about. Uh, the poster poster girl for the Monistat Corporation, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it goes over a lot of people watching that television's heads, but the people that get it, they're like dying because they know what he's talking about. I think know? the way Cornette put it with Felching the Family Dog was if you lived in that territory, you either didn't know what that meant. Or you, if you did, you were not going to tell anyone. <laughs> yes, that's about right. But yeah, God love Jim Mitchell, one of the greats.
All right, let's go to Memphis, Tennessee in the USWA. Brian Christopher seems to be in the midst of a babyface turn. He started on TV on October 16th when Eddie Marlin came out for an interview talking about how much he hated Vince McMahon and the WWF. Marlon said all week McMahon had been sending him faxes with photos of Randy Savage with a unified belt, and they ended up challenging each other to a Survivor Series match in Memphis where McMahon would send Doink the Clown and Shawn Michaels. Despite this contradicting WF television angle where Michaels isn't even in the company. Hey, Coco, be, beware, who hasn't worked for WF in several months. I guess any three of his guys. So he picked Jerry Lawler, Jeff Jarrett, who just debuted on WF television, and said he wanted to pick a third man who would have the best chance of beating WF guys because he hated McMahon so much. So he picked Brian Christopher. Christopher did an interview saying he hated WF also and told Lawler and Jarrett not to blow it for them. The match saw Lawler pin Michaels for the win in the first fall, but Coco pinned Lawler in the second fall, then Doink pinned Jared after Ware hit him with a chain, which left Christopher against Doink and Ware. Christopher pinned Doink after he ducked, and Ware hit Doink with a chain, then Christopher and Ware. Michaels tried to interfere, but it backfired, and Christopher got the win. It was at the Coliseum show two nights later. After the match, the three heels were all beaten on Christopher until Lawler and Jared made the save. But afterwards, Christopher walked away from Lawler and Jared. Which we'll have, uh, we'll have a clip of that coming up in just a little bit. Um, and we don't have this interview stuff because this was on the live show. And the show we have online, of course, is the syndicated show. So it did not air on the syndicated show. The That's Marlon interesting because for 93, I'm pretty sure the more commonly circulating shows are the WMT. Michaels show. wasn't working in the other towns. No, I know, but I'm saying that it's the more common version among DVD traders, at least, I remember being the WMC shows for 90s. Mm, no. Not as some, but not as much you think. Okay. Most speculations that with Lawler working on a regular schedule before shortly in the WWF and Jarrett going in full-time, they need a top baby face who will be there all the time, and Christopher will be that one. Lawler and Jarrett will still be able to work regularly in Memphis because WWF only runs Monday nights every third week for television and is off on Mondays the other two weeks. However, they won't be able to work the weekend spot shows Nashville as frequently. Well, that was the plan that Brian was going to be the top baby face and by himself. But Jerry Lawler's legal issues got in the way of that. <laughs> so Lawler's in Memphis all the time. But, Al, when you watch USWA in this time period, I mean, Brian is the, 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 the top heel and everything, but the fans want to cheer this guy. It, yeah, and it's something you see time and time again, uh, starting in probably, I guess, you know, the the mid to late 80s, is that you have the quote-unquote cool heels, although these guys weren't trying to be cool, but to the teenagers, the 17 and 18-year-olds that are watching wrestling, these guys are the coolest things ever to, to that generation. What goes longer than that? I mean, superstar Billy Graham. Yeah, you know, in WWF was like, the, I'll give you another one. You know, just rewatch this again recently. You know, that goes into your favorite territory, Mid South, that area. Jake, 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 and that DDT got so over that, that you know they did the angle where him and Barbarian went up against DiBiase and Doc and turned him babyface. Yeah, so yeah, it it happens all the time. Uh, just then that's the problem with, you know, pushing, pushing somebody, shoving them down their throats, even as a heel, you're always going to have some portion of the fans that uh, just 
think think they're a badass and or think they're cool. And and Brian at this point, you know, he's I I mean he's almost he's got his hand he's a part of like everything that's going on in the USWA at the time. He's sort of like touching every every storyline. And there are all those people that know what his deal is. Right. They know he's Jerry's son. Well, same thing so. could be said for Jake probably then too. Possibly, yes. That, I, I, I've talked to some some people that were fans of that era that they all you know they all knew, and so even when he was being a vicious heel, they weren't quote unquote as hard on him as you know typical fans than on some of the other heels. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure because when he when Jake first started, what, what did he wrestle as? Aurelia uh, Smith Jr. <laughs> well, that was in Florida, actually in in the McGurk territory. His earliest matches are as Freddie Platt. He was a re- he was a referee, and that was the that's right. Yeah, there's the, I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, wasn't he Jake Smith Jr. Not Aurelian Smith Jr. Or was he both? He did both, I think. But I think he did Jake Smith more than Aurelian, though. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, they, people know absolutely. Coco turned heel earlier in that on the Minnesota Coliseum car when he and Miss Texas lost to Brian and Tony Adams. And after Texas dropped the fall, he yelled at her of the house mic and called her a tramp. We'll have more on the Minnesota Coliseum show in just a minute. Back to TV. Moondog Splat returned, and the Moondogs are back as heels. Richard Lee asked Mike Anthony to turn over his half of the tag titles to Splat since Anthony wasn't a Moondog. Anthony refused, and the Moondogs and, Bron- and Richard Lee beat up Mike Anthony until Jeff Gaylor made the save set up a tie feud. Let's watch this, shall we? The unlikely team of Mike Anthony and Moondog Spike. No more. No, Splat. No, Splat returned. Oh, oh, sorry. Yes. yes. And is this Lazansky or a different Mike Anthony? This is Mike Anthony. Mike Lazansky. Watch. Okay. You'll see. Very well. But it looks like he's all right. Hey, the whistle blows. Here comes Richard Lee with uh, Moondog and Mike Anthony. Moondog Spike and Mike Anthony. I think most of you fans know the USWA Tag Team Champions. They got the belt. Yes, sir, David. It feels good, too, brother. And I want to say something, Dave. For about the last two years, there's been a lot of people. There's been Jerry Lawler. There's been Jeff Jarrett. There's been the dog catchers. There's been Austin Idol. You name it. The list just goes on and on and on and on. There's been a lot of people trying to put my dogs out of commission. Now... To some extent, these people have succeeded, all right? But I've got a big kennel, Dave. You know that as well as I do. I've got a big kennel. We went out. We won the titles. They thought that they had my dogs out of commission again. But they're wrong, Dave. They're very, very wrong. Because what I've done, I went up on the mountain. I got my biggest. I got my baddest dog. I brought him in here. I'm going to bring him out here for you right now, Dave. Well, the whistle blows, and oh, here comes Splat with a chair in hand. Look out. This is 440 pounds of rocking, stocking, mean, vicious moon dog, baby. Vicious moon dog. And Mark. I want to say something to you too, brother. When when I was short of Moondog, you came in there 
you stepped in and you filled you filled in yeah. for me. All right, you yeah. evened up the side. Yeah. And yeah. everybody can see Mike Anthony's got the blonde hair. Mike Anthony's got a good body, but Mike, you're obviously not a moon dog. Everybody knows that, right? Okay. But listen, what I want to do is I want to thank you very much, right here. What are you doing? Taking a bow. I want to thank you very much, Mike, for filling in, <laughs> taking care of us, and helping us out. All right. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much, Mike. Man, hang on a second, Mr. Lee. I'm, I'm really confused here. I was fighting side by side with you guys. Yeah, and I appreciate okay. it. I appreciate it very much, okay. Mike. Thank you very much. No, thank no, you. No, no, no. That belt is as much mine as no, it, no, no, as no, it no, 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 no. You're not a moon dog. Do you understand that? No, no, no. The contract was signed for us to be against the moon dogs. That's it. And so when the titles, when we won the titles. My dogs won the titles, but thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. But, I appreciate it. I filled in. I fought. It was my determination <laughs> and my hard work, just like you guys. Yeah, that's great. I'm I, I, part of it. I admire. I admire determination. I admire determination. I admire heart. But thank you. You're not. A, you're not a moon dog. You're not a moon dog. Do you understand that? But I was there, though. I, I tried to work with you guys. Sure, you did. I asked you if you would come friend. in and help me. You did. Yes. You did. I appreciate and that. And we won the championship. I appreciate it. All, all I can do is shake your hand. Thank you. Now, go on. I've got a lot to do. i got, I got a lot to I'm do. Get champion. out of here. I'm a champion, too. I, I work You're not guys. a champion. Yes, I am. I like how Lazansky is trying to do an accent to sound less Canadian. <laughs> but he sounds more Canadian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I that love his uh, rationale. I got blonde hair too. <laughs> to help win those belts. No, Mr. Lee. Mr. Lee. I, I cleared this thing to Eddie Marlin for you to come in here. Not fair. I cleared this to Eddie Marlin for you to come in. Let's get Eddie Marlin in here. Eddie Marlin will check it out. I don't need Eddie Marlin. Get out of here. Attack Mike Anthony. What in a Sam Hill? Mike Anthony was one of the tag team champions, Dave. Well, he was a legal man uh, in the corner when the belts were won. And half not a moon dog, Dave Brown. I tried my best to explain that to him. He's a young, dumb punk, and he's not going to make a name off of my dog. Well, Richard, he's not a moon dog, but he is half the championship team. That's the way it. That's the way it was won. Yeah, Mike's got a big point in there. He does. He, he Rich, Richard, the, the only point Richard Lee has is that, you know, Mike is not uh, not a moon dog, but uh, he certainly did fill in amiably. Here's Jeff Gaylord in to help even it up a little bit. Yeah, the Missouri Tiger comes in. Richard Lee does have both the USWA tag team belts as he leaves Jeff Gaylord there to help out Mike Anthony. Mike's not in very good shape at all after being bounced around by both the Moondogs and that big folding metal chair and a little bit of everything else. As Gaylord uh, helps Mike, let us take a break and we'll be back with more in a moment. All right, so Al, you are a notable wrestling manager. Um, what do you think about Richard Lee's rationale there? 
you substituted for my guy who wasn't able to compete. Now I have my guy back. The match was signed for them, not you. You were a substitute. You you should give your belt to to my guy. As a professional wrestling manager, that sounds perfectly reasonable to me, and I don't <laughs> understand why why young Michael Anthony. Uh, you know, who, who took time off of Van Halen's latest tour <laughs> to come wrestle and, and help me out. He uh, really should have, you know, left when I told him to leave. I, this, you, you, these young damn Canadian whippersnapper bass players pissed me off. I mean, it's, it's a logical angle in a way because of that. I mean, you can understand where Richard Lee's coming from, but you also can understand where Mike Anthony's coming from because he was the guy that was actually in the match. Yeah, and obviously you know, we, I, they didn't discuss this beforehand. Right. Well, right. They didn't say what happens if we win. You know, I, I wanted in writing that I'm now officially, you know, part of the group or whatever. But you know, again, these these are how wrestling angles work. Is that ideally? Sometimes there's one guy that is absolutely clearly wrong and doing the wrong thing no matter what. But most of the time, uh, you know, sometimes the heels have justification. Um, but usually they have just enough, you know, plausible deniability that they feel they're doing the right thing. Uh, and, and that's a lot of times how these angles work. I've, you know, this is a case where, you know, clearly Mike Anthony's the one getting screwed out of it. So the fans are going to sympathize with him. But, you know, Richard Lee has a point. But again, the whole point of having baby faces and heels is so that you just you you cheer the baby face. And then so this is the fans will get on board with Mike Anthony. Then they don't like Richard Lee. So it doesn't matter that he's a little bit right. Yeah. I was always Mike right Ant- as a manager. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And uh, Mike Anthony's hair here is uh, is definitely amazing. Well, so 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 is Splat's hair. Splat, everything about Splat is yes. glorious. My God, can you imagine him? You know, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, working tank. <laughs> oh yeah, the, the size he had. I mean, good lord. Yeah, I mean, he's not, like he. I'm like you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at Spike, and I'm like, all right, that's a pretty big guy. And then Splat comes out, I'm like Jesus Christ. Like, oh, the Moon Dogs missed out on the Deathmatch Generation. Yeah. Could you yeah. imagine all those guys around the death matches today? All those different <laughs> moon dogs, Cujo, even Spotty. I mean, good yeah. lord, that would have been something else. The moon yeah. dog family working no holes barred shows. Well, Ian, well, like Ian, Ian starting back up again. So if any of these moon dogs are still are still alive, perhaps he'll uh, <laughs> give them a call. Yeah. That reminds me too. I need to uh, I need to ask uh, Norm Connors if he ever heard back from Bubba White because he was going to try to get the explanation of his uh, WWE promo photo as the mystery hillbilly. <laughs> Which, well, get, uh, well, who's Moondog Spike here? That's what I'm saying. Isn't that Lanny Keen? Yeah. Well, no, Spike is... Or is that Smithson? Yeah, I think I think this Spike, Spike is Bill Smithson. Spike is Bill Smithson. Smithson. Lanny yeah, Keen was Cujo, Smithson. I think. Cujo's Lanny Keen, that's right. Um, that's right. But also, like, when you think about it, too, with Bubba White, like, he should be going around doing signings and stuff at conventions for the WWE Encyclopedia completist fans, which there's a surprising (laughs) number of, you know? Like, a big thing with signings, like, the people who keep getting a lot, even when you think they've done all of, you know, as many as they're ever going to do, is because there are people who like to go and get as many of the pictures in the WWE Encyclopedia signs. So even though his name isn't in there, he has this mysterious photo where he's one of the mystery, where he's the mystery hillbilly in the hillbilly family. So you would think that he could 
parlay that into something if you wanted to. Yeah. I know Scott Scott Hensley, uh, who is one of the guys who runs the Scenic City Invitational, along with Matt Griffin, um, and at times still inhales. Uh, but Scott has old editions of the PWF 500, and he works feverishly to try and get uh, signatures from everybody that was in uh, any of those editions. Yes, he does. That sounds <laughs> trickier. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know where Joe Rules is these days, but of course I, I did ma- I did manage him a couple of times in the past. That's no good to to Scott now, but I mean the tough one's going to be someone like Chicken Neck, <laughs> or um, oh, what's my guys from Maryland? Uh, Tech Nine, <laughs> and what was his partner? Stamp Lickage. It would. Uh, you got all the. You got a bunch of people that could be. Uh, it's gonna be hard to try to get their autographs, but that's part of the joy of the hunt. So part speak. of the fun. The Spellbinder is now wrestling under the name Del Rios, which apparently is his real name without the gimmick, and now as a heel. Now, for those of you that may remember when we did the last 1993 show, Dave thought that Del Rios and Del Wilkes were the same person. The mix-up between him and Del Wilkes is apparently caused by the similarity of their real names. <laughs> Rios, not Wills, is the one who had to try and do using the magician gimmick months ago. I, so I Dave finally gives a correction here. I don't think I would consider having the same first name similarity between their <laughs> real names. So, uh, so we can get David's mixed up because you shared the same first name, Bix. Sure. <laughs> Just because his name is Dell. What about right. uh, Dell Apollo? Delbert McClinton is now working for the Global Wrestling Federation as the Patriot. (laughs) If only he was. Del Shannon uh, is in the AWA as the Trooper. (laughs) The the stoner kid from the Dell computer commercials. Dude, you're getting a Dell. (laughs) Or or you you get some guy wearing a mask, he could beat Del Taco. Who knows? All right, Tommy Rich and the dog catchers are gone. There are about half a dozen different wrestlers who were dog catchers changing each week. At least one of whom was Kentucky indie wrestler Bad Business Brown. Not to be confused with Big Business Brown. No. Yeah. That's right. Tony Williams and Ken Wayne were the American Eagles on television on Saturday. Definitely notable. I mean, no, because uh, you could tell Tony Williams is, uh, is that guy in the mask. Because Tony Williams had a very distinct size. Yeah. <laughs> you, knew, you knew when he was playing the mask gimmick. There weren't a lot of guys in that territory who were regulars who had his particular uh, parameters. Yes, very short. Short, but also, you know, more muscular than most people in the territory, too. Short and stocky, yes. And Ken Wayne is the one that talked, so you knew it was him. Um, Mitzvah Coliseum on the 18th, Del Rios over Tony Falk. Doomsday, Glenn Jacobs over Tony Williams. Pinky 13 went to a time of draw with the American Eagles, which um, could have been Tony and Ken Wayne or could have been Danny and Ken Wayne. Danny would do that gimmick, too, if he was around. So there's that. Then we had the Moondog, Spike and Splat beating Jeff Gaylord and Mike Anthony. Then Brian and Tony Adams over uh, Coco in Miss Texas. Baller over Doink. Jarrett retained USA Heavyweight title beating Shawn Michaels by DQ. And then we had the elimination match we talked about earlier, and we got the clip. So let's go to the clip, shall we, of uh, this ending of this match. Of the Survivor Series. 
was out here. I'd mentioned uh, how, how unhappy he was with uh, Vince McMahon and his gloating and his sending him faxes and letters and all that sort of stuff, telephone calls all the time. Yeah. So Eddie was able to book a match. It was booked at the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis a few days ago. WWF against the USWA. You had Doink the Clown, Shawn Michaels, and Coco Beware on one side of the ring. And on the USWA side, you had the king, Jerry Lawler, the fabulous one, Jeff Jarrett, and their partner, Computer Says, the third best man, Brian Christopher. Take a look at some highlights of this Survivor Series match. Wait, the computer was who came up? Terry, Terry Runnels was apparently uh, <laughs> involved in this decision-making process. Yes. He, he went, to, Al, he went to anal analytics. I love it. Wow. Eddie Marlin was using analytics in 1993, Al. That's amazing. That? That's fantastic. I love Wait, it. were Randy Hales and Tony Khan talking to each other on the interwebs yet? <laughs> <laughs> Promoter Eddie Marlin with some words in now. Uh, see what Eddie's saying. He's talking to Coco Ware. Oh, Coco hits Eddie, jumps on Eddie Marlin. Jeff Jarrett's out. Also, Corey, very obviously voicing this over in post regardless, is pretending it's real time despite the fact that Corey is just standing there on camera. <laughs> in the front I've teleported over here. I've teleported. Tom traveling right now. <laughs> you ever watch that show Quantum Leap? <laughs> Tried to leap into Lance Russell over there. <laughs> Didn't work right, so I talk like this. <laughs> oh boy, what a brawl already in the ring. That's Lawler. One after the Doink the Clown. Jared, Christopher, Coco Ware, Shawn Michaels out on the floor. That's Jared and Coco going at it. Lawler! Oh! Whoops, Michaels into the ropes. Flips back out and oh. a big right from the key. Lawler drops right another right hand down on Michaels. The Survivor Series is underway. Memphis, Tennessee at the Mid-South Coliseum. Power driver from Lawler. Look at this, Brian Christopher jumps in, gets the cover, two, he got it, one, two, three. How about Sean doing the first And that's going to eliminate Sean Michaels. He's the first one to be eliminated from the Survivor Series. Michaels will leave. Coco Ware whips Jared in. Sunset flip from the fabulous one. He's got Coco rolled up, two, and Ware kicks out at two. Lawler's got Donk the Clown. Coco. Oh, DDT's the fabulous one. Hey, look out. Shawn Michaels back up in the ring on the apron. Gets up and nails Lawler with something he pulled out of his tights. Coco covers the key. One, two, three. Lawler's eliminated from the Survivor Series. So it leaves Jared and Christopher. Donk the Clown and Coco ahead. Boy, Lawler eliminated. Michaels eliminated. Jarrett going after the clown. Doink. Coco up on the ring apron. Oh, Coco nailed Jarrett with something out of his tights. Doink the clown covers Jarrett. One, two, three. Jeff Jarrett is eliminated from the Zavara series with a big assistance from Coco Ware down to the lower part of your screen there. Coco holding a foot. Note that there has not been a single clean elimination so far. <laughs> Force. That's Jarrett. So it leaves Dork the Clown and Coco Ware against Brian Christopher. Christopher representing the USWA and in a bad situation right now. With Dork holding him, there's Coco Ware up on the middle rope. Coco. Oh, he 
comes down and hits Doink. Christopher covers the clown. He got it. One, two, three. Doink, the clown's eliminated. It leaves Christopher and Coco in. The Survivor Series, the electricity inside of the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum has been high for this one. Christopher slams Coco down. The clown is back out here doing getting Frank Morales attention while Shawn Michaels jumps in on Christopher. Oh, Christopher gets out of the way. Grabs Michaels, throws him over the top rope out of there. Covers Coco where Frank Morales down. He got him. Yes, sir. The USWA wins the Survivor Series. Brian Christopher is the winner of the Survivor Series of the USWA. He defeats the WWF, but it's Doink Coco and Shawn Michaels all jumping on Brian Christopher. Oh, boy, the king and the fabulous one back in the back after being eliminated from the Survivor Series. And, boy, they go to work on Brian Christopher. Michael sets him up. Paul drives Christopher. Well, Brian Christopher gets the win in there of the Survivor Series. About went the official time on it, uh, near the 30-minute mark for the entire series. Christopher gets the win, but now... Finds himself, boy, in bad shape. Was Shawn Michaels, Doink the Clown, and Coco Beware all jumping on Christopher. And I don't know what's got into Coco either, but he's got a horrible attitude here tonight at the Coliseum. Coco Ware, Doink the Clown, and Shawn Michaels all beating up on Christopher. Here comes the king and the fabulous one. Wally Jarrett comes in. There you go. Nails Coco Ware. Doink the Clown goes flying out of there. Well, Lord catches Coco and... Dumps the rest of him out of there. Michael's left in the ring. Oh, All right. So there you go. Why is he fabulous one, Jeff Jarrett? That's the name he went by in that era. Because he started wearing the flashy double J attire. Okay. So he he can't just be simply irresistible? Oh, he's, he ain't been simply irresistible, Jeff Jarrett, in years. I know. So... No, they was doing the thing where he was the new fabulous one. Jackie Fargo gave him the okay, and this and the other. It was that whole deal, too. Uh-huh. But, uh, there you go. All right. Jeffrey Cohen and Burt Prentice debuted their championship wrestler from Indiana promotion on October 14th before a crowd given to us as 1,212 fans paying $5,980. Local newspaper reported the crowd as 500 Another source gave us the same gate figure, but said the 5980 included not only ticket receipts, but merchandising and food sold to the building and listened to the crowd at 1,000. Either way, by today's standards, it's a strong indie crowd. It, the group got a ton of local publicity, although the show was played by several no-shows, including Brian Lee in the main event and both women's wrestlers, Regina Hale and Black Venus. They ended up getting someone called Lady Macbeth, to wrestle Sapphire. Yes. For 10 seconds with Sapphire winning and Macbeth beating her, being up her male manager afterwards. Nightmare Kim Wayne replaced Brian Lee as master of terror, losing a rod price as a baby face on top. Terror had 25 minutes with Danny Davis earlier in the card. Shocking. Um, also, we have uh, the October 21st show where uh, Tracy Smothers will come in as a heel against Rob Price and Rex Hargrove against Brian Lee. Now, let's go to the torch. 
Here they have a explanation on why this may this crowd may have been what it was. The strong turnout for this upstart group can be attributed mainly to the media blitz orchestrated by Cohen and Prentice. They received strictly positive press, a rarity for pro wrestling these days, in the Indianapolis News on September 30th, October 14th, and October 15th, previewing the review in the car with front page, front page plug. The October 11th through 17th, Indianapolis Business Journal, the Indiana Jewish News, an opinion, and pre That right there. That right <laughs> there is what, what drew the house. The, uh, there it is. Jewish News, an opinion. There you go. And pre and post event coverage. Well, Jeffrey Cohen. Um, including interviews of fans on the local NBC, ABC, and Fox affiliates. Prentice and Cohen appeared on radio and TV talk shows promoting the event. The top-rated country station gave away four tickets per hour. The promotion will receive a free plug in the Indianapolis News every week in the free time calendar listings with photos. The most innovative form of the promotion was cutting a deal with a local pizza delivery business whereby flyers were attached to pizza boxes, up to 60000 one of the reasons this group has received press that would make every other independent promoter envious is because of Cohen's standing in the business community. He breaks the average person's stereotype of a wrestler promoter as a realtor and son of one of Indianapolis' top and most well-known business people. John Davis, host of Hamilton County Magazine, touts Cohen as garnering so much publicity due to Cohen being a legitimate businessman. You know he's trying to run an illegitimate business. <laughs> <laughs> Positive press does not mean truthful press. One of the more laughable quotes comes, of course, from Burt Prentice. This is not for the WF audience, Prentice told the news. That's typically girls 9 to 12 years old. Our audience is 3 to 93. <laughs> Was Burt getting confused with Memphis's? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Cohen and Prentice have rented the armory for 51 more weeks and are committed to weekly Thursday events. Then talk about the next Thursday event, headlined by Rob Price, their top babyface against a heel Tracy Smothers. They're negotiating with several TV stations, which have shown interest in carrying their program. All right, Al, you are of, of, of the three of us, you are the resident Burt Prentice expert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how long Burt was part of this whole thing with, with Jeff. Uh, it wasn't because, long, I don't think, because it's not long that it's referred to as Jeff Cohen and Burt Prentice's championship wrestling from Indiana. Yeah, so... Uh, well, that, you know, so was it a deal that that uh, Bert could not uh, pull pull the scam on on Jeff because Jeff was <laughs> legitimately too smart to do it? So Bert moved on. I, I mean, you know, I hate to take talk ill of Bert, but he, you know, he was he was carny through and through. He all, but he, and he did this so many times over the years. He comes guns blazing with a new startup and draws really well ahead of time. Usually has backers and probably based off the initial houses leverages that to get more backers and then starts cutting corners and not spending as much and so on and so forth and yada 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 well um, i mean that's, that's the pattern i mean i mean truth is truth i mean and that again you know burt being such a carny that's why he survived yeah <laughs> that's why i survived in the business as long as he did yeah for that reason yeah and and again i will say when i did work for him uh he paid me cash weekly uh, towards the end when he was ready to get rid of me. He did not pay me or he, paid, he he started paying me on a delay. But again, all things considered for what I was doing, he, he gave me cash every week. No questions asked. I, you know, did a lot of things for him behind the scenes. Of course, I was a color commentator for a few months 
uh, Music City Wrestling in 98. But really, that that was just sort of an extra, that was like sort of a bonus uh, that he threw. Um, but I really helped him a lot with putting together the programs and all the materials and, and just, you know, talking to advertisers and sponsors and all the different towns because he wouldn't go to all the towns. Uh, in particular, he didn't travel to Louisville, which we were running weekly. Uh, we were running the Gardens Weekly, so I was sort of the point man, uh, Louisville. So I, you know, I worked my ass. I put in a ridiculous amount of miles on my car for the man. But he gave me my first full-time job in professional wrestling, and I am eternally grateful for that. And he, uh, like I said, he paid me every week. Yeah. But, Vix, uh, I mean, the media blitz worked, obviously. They had, it was various, the house varies, but still, for an independent wrestling show, 500 to 1,000, whatever it was. That's a hell of a house. Yeah. And, you know, this doesn't end up being a success, but it seems like Jeffrey Cohen had his head on straight and was doing the right things. Yeah. Because Uh, he was a legitimate businessman. Yeah. uh, Only a legitimate businessman would want to make Rod Price your top baby face. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting call to go with, is Rob Price of A-Face, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at some of the newspaper stuff from the Indie Star. Um, you don't, did, did you not subscribe to the uh, the uh, Jewish News and Opinion <laughs> at, at the time? Bits? I went to, I did check ProQuest, because <laughs> they have some of the Jewish papers, like the Philadelphia one. You don't have them in your closet, you don't have, I'm, I'm, I think you still have all that issues in your closet, weren't you <laughs> a subscriber? <laughs> yes. I think you'd be more likely to have that than I would. But um, <laughs> the September 30th article closes with this from Bert. Our front row seats, $6, are less than half of what WWF wants for its last row balcony seat. We have $250 season tickets. We sold four. A family bought a year's <laughs> wrestling tickets without seeing our product. No way should we have co-sponsors without our show being seen, but we have them. Bert could have taken the money from just those four people and lived for like two years. <laughs> and just uh, and off of that. <laughs> oh, man. How much right, Mongolian barbecue at an only you can eat place could he get for a thousand dollars? How long would that last him in Mongolian barbecue? <laughs> well, fitting we have Al on the show because let's go to Mid South Wrestling, and they ran a show in Homa, Louisiana, on October sixteenth in front of one hundred and fifty three fans. Oh, this looks delightful. As, <laughs> as John DeLong uh, beat the Midnight Rocker. Johnny Rose over the Punisher by disqualification. Al Savage over Bronco Bob. Chris Germany over Storm Roberts. Brian Cormier, no, we're by you here, over Don DiBiase by disqualification. And Gentleman Chris Adams over Iceman Keith Parsons by disqualification. And I think our assumption Ooh. the last time we saw quote unquote Mid South in this era was that with nobody of note on the undercard, uh, Chris Adams in the main event and Chris Germany being the only recognizable name that these are probably shows filled out by the Chris Adams crew. Don DiBiase, Al. <laughs> uh, he, he, he might be the only DiBiase left standing after all these uh, legal scandals going on in, in, in Mississippi. So perhaps he, you know, he will emerge as the real million dollar man. 
It, yeah, it, Homa, it, it, Homa was a uh, was a a Sunday night town uh, dating back to uh, the late '60s. Uh, they ran it most pretty much every week on Sunday. On rare occasions, they would run Thibodeau instead. And then, of course, as as time went on and as as Bill started running Mil- Mid South, he stopped running a lot of his towns weekly. And so this would become a you know once a month, and then gradually even less than that because he was more focused on some of the larger cities in his territory but i mean yeah and it would move to saturdays it did okay it moved to saturdays yeah they, well not every saturday but you know anytime they would talk about shows in homa and thibodeau mm-hmm. more than not be on saturday because sunday is of course tulsa oklahoma city you know in the 80s right or uh if they were still running lake charles and monroe i think those those had settled in on sundays as well yeah, yeah bill bill made drastic changes to not only the frequency of the towns he ran, but also the days of the week. And, you know, many cases upending, you know, decades worth of tradition of, of always having a certain town run on a certain night. Uh, sometimes it worked out, obviously, when uh, when he split with McGurk, he now loses Tulsa on Monday night. So he needs a new town to run on Mondays. So he decides to move New Orleans from Thursdays to Mondays. And I think that worked out pretty well for him. Shreveport moved from Friday to Tuesday. In that yeah, era. it also it, it bounced around a lot, and then it got to the point where it wasn't run. They didn't run a house show weekly. It sort of alternated with the uh, McNeil with Club Houston. TV tapings. Um, they well, would uh, they would they would run one week. They would run the TV taping in Shreveport, and the following week they would run a house show in Shreveport. But they wouldn't do yeah. both the same calendar week. Yeah, because Friday nights had to you know save for Paul Bosch area right, Friday. Once, yeah, well, uh, come uh, I guess eighty two was when that started. Yeah, but. It's funny to watch all these, you know, we talk about Florida and talk about Dallas. These independent groups of the 90s trying to revive that Mid-South market. There's been, there was a lot of them. Yeah. Because I, it, it was so successful, and they're just trying to catch lightning in a bottle again there, but it didn't work. Yeah, and trying to, you know, throwing a couple of recognizable names on top and, and adding in a, a someone with the same surname, uh, you know, uh, as Ted DiBiase and uh, perhaps uh, perhaps perhaps a relative of Daniel Cormier uh, working in the semi main <laughs> event there. It's a shame Don DiBiase didn't meet Dave Patera or Dave Mysterio. <laughs> shame. All right. What we talk about dying places trying to be revived. Let's go to the Metroplex. We start with the Global Wrestling Federation. It was Alex the Pug Porto run in night on October 15th at the Sportatorium. With his interference leading to heel wins in the final three matches on the card. Black Bart versus Scott Pusky, Cole Miner's Glove. Rob Price versus Stephen Dane. And Iceman King Parsons against Action Jackson. The scheduled main event was a chain match with Christopher Adams, Chris, gentleman Christopher Adams, and Killer Tim Brooks. Ending with uh, Brooks winning when Parsons interfered. The Parsons-Jackson match had a stipulation that a loser has to wrestle in a dress next week. That's an old school angle you won't ever see anymore. A stun gun was used Adams against Adams of the York Foundation. I'm, I'm Gary Hart because Gary Hart were calling Christopher Adams. That's my Gary Hart coming out of it. A stun gun was used as a gimmick on the card during a uh, Kong's match. Awesome Kong, King Kong against Mike Davis and Angel of Death. The Kong's manager Baboose shot Angel with a stun gun before the match. So the match was two on one on Davis before he finally lost. Davis enters the ring, right on a tricycle, although when he stopped the try, he took a header. Let's go over the results, shall we? Plowboy Wilbur <laughs> over Tug Taylor. The Kongs over Mike Davis Angel at death by DQ. Chaz over Alex the Pug Porto. By, by decision. decision. Okay. Yeah. 
Killer Tim Brooks won the chain match over Chris Adams. Pete Longhorn over Moa D by disqualification. See, Bix. Rob Price over Stephen Dane. Black Bart won the coal miners glove over Scott Pusky. And then the loser must wear a dress match for the North America title. Iceman defeated Action Jackson. And it's noted that they'll be back on Channel 11 in Dallas starting October 24th with a weekly weekly Sunday noontime slot. Ooh. Is, is Rod Price, did he drive from Indianapolis to Dallas? Because <laughs> the, the, the Indianapolis show was the night before. He how was a very busy man. <laughs> how, I'm, good, I'm looking up how far a drive that is. Well, uh, it doesn't even tell me. It, it says flights. Okay. The 889 miles. Someone had flown him. <laughs> 13 it would have taken and today today would have taken 13 and a half hours to drive Oof. that's insane that's insane either that he drove that distance that's insane or that someone paid to fly him in that's even more insane i mean we know wrestler i don't know i was gonna say we know wrestlers who would do that but i feel like most of the trips we know people of people driving tend to top out around 12 hours it's, uh, you know it's it's a lot for what I uh, I don't know. Was there also, anyone else from Dallas that would be driving with him? Uh, no, um, I don't. Uh, looking at the not results, working that Indy car. No. Yeah, I mean maybe he flew himself. Do we know? Did he have a shoot job that he accumulated miles or something? Who knows? Well, also <laughs> in '93, would there have been a Southwest route between those two airports that would have been cheap? Maybe. Could be. Possible. The good old global. Never change. But where big, we have global, we also have. Well, Big D, of course. Mr. Mr. turned babyface on the October 17th Big D show. Early in the car, Freddie Fargo announced he was going to sign Mr. Mr. to a lifetime contract. Lifetime didn't last long, so two matches later, Mr. Mr. went to interfere with a six-man main event. It backfired, causing Black Bart to get pinned. To argue with Gary Young and Fargo tried to break them up when Mr. Mr. Deck Gary Young finally all the heels jumped Mr. Mr. Setting up a Ted Man elimination match. Did they break his wings when they jumped him? <laughs> Sadly, they probably did. <laughs> the results of this show at the Rocket Fiesta Palace in Dallas in front of uh, 189 fans saw Bullman Downs against Ray Evans, winner unknown. Yep, Stephen Dane picks where there's a big D, there's Stephen Dane in front of it. Uh, defeating Alice Porto. Terry Sims defeated Mr. Mister by disqualification. Mike Davis over Wild Balloon by disqualification. And Chris Adams, Ashton Jackson, and Mike Davis over Gary Young, Black Bart, and Corporal Scott Braddock. I know some YouTube commenters who would be very happy to see Stephen Dane working that big D. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You know, fans checking out the Big D shows and <laughs> their heads bobbing in and out of Big D as Stephen Dan wrestles. <laughs> it's pretty hard to swallow that we don't have any Stephen Dane Big D footage out there, you know? Well, how about the fact that we, do, we have a Big D card without Big D in action? <laughs> yes. And we have what Mr. Is Mr. Big, and what is Big D? What is Big D without Big D? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, are we to assume that promoter and slash top babyface Gary Sturdivant is injured? <laughs> Maybe he's feeling soft that week. I don't know. Uh, I, I love how these shows are always people who work every other Dallas promotion 
plus Big D, Mr. Mr. and Freddy Fargo. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Also, we should probably I... point out, like, is there any way that Big D gets covered in as much detail in newsletters as it does if Freddy Fargo is not on every show? No, of course not. It goes hand in hand. Absolutely. All right, so let's go to Championship Wrestling USA. They're in Portland on October 16th. We have Buddy Wayne, father of Nick. Going against Nick Danger in a match, winner unknown. Maybe that's where Nick Wayne's name came from. I hope so. Bergstrom. I could have swore Danger was his middle name. (laughs) Yes. Also, that's the youngest wrestler ever to tour Japan, Nick Wayne. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Sylvia Bergstrom over John Rambo by disqualification. Colonel De Beers wins a no contest with Carl Pope. Larry Oliver over Dane Rush. And Bruiser Brian at Crush. Yeah, Brian Adams. Over Jesse Barr and Lou Andrews by disqualification. What day was Raw? So this is on the 16th. Raw was on the 18th. Okay, so you had a little bit of a buffer. Still a long drive. But, I mean, yeah, but the thing about it, though, here's Crush working this show while under the WF contract. And you got Shawn Michaels in Memphis. Well, they're working together. I know. But still. Yeah, so... I wonder if they even knew you worked the show. <laughs> yeah, they might. That's very possible. That the you know, yeah, Portland was so under the radar at this point that they might not even know. Might it. not even know it. Yeah. I'm just gonna do some free mar- flea market shopping, brother. <laughs> I guess. I guess so. Dave got to look at the trailer for Thunder in Paradise. The concept is Hulk Hogan in SI swimsuit model Carol at least he didn't say supermodel to piss off Fred Norris, being a marriage of convenience with her daughter trying to get them to be really together. Hogan is seemingly always riding around in a souped-up speedboat and getting in the fights with the likes of Giant Gonzalez and Jim Neville Neidhart, and there are women in bikinis and exploding boats everywhere. Well, you would hope so, considering what the show was going to be. Yes. The I good don't old remember, Paradise. I don't remember them being married, though. I remember her daughter, or the daughter, it's, wait, is it his daughter? Trying to get them together, but for but I don't remember them being, like, marriage of convenience. This trailer, though, I'm assuming is the trailer for the home video release. This is on YouTube, though, so I'm curious to take a look. On my mark, and launch! Hulk Hogan is Hurricane Spencer. And, of course, we've got a D- Don LaFontaine uh, narration here. Of course. The hottest hero of the high seas. You shoot at me? Well, two on this. He's got the boat. Thunder will lock into anyone who fires a weapon at you. Thunder will lock into anyone who even points a weapon at you. He's got the guts. He's got the girls. And he's about to lose what he loves the most. You sucked everything you own into that boat. You're an hawk over your eyes. Which is very hot. Let's just say Spence is on the hook. All we gotta do is reel him in. But when a beautiful woman makes him an offer he can't refuse. Let me get this straight. You're willing to pay me to marry you? If you don't get... Okay, does this any of this make it into the episodic series from the movie pilot thing? No, I, I don't think so. Because I don't remember the eye patch or anything like that either. No, no. I feel like I saw this at some point, but I I remember the 
series much better. Where the, it, Thunder in Paradise 2 and 3 direct VHS were just compilations of ep- two-part episodes, right? I think so. The money you lose your boat? If I don't get married, I lose my hotel. See, this confirmed back. That's not Carol. See, that's not Carol Alt, yeah. Wait, is that Carol Alt, though? No. No, that's the British girl. Okay, I'm so confused. Chandler is forced to say, I do. And when the bad guys learn that the Hulkster's newfound family... There it is! Right there, right there. ...holds the key to a buried treasure... X marks the spot. Get the man, get the weapons, we're going ashore. Holy matrimony becomes an unholy mess. We'll maybe doing something exciting together. We'll make them really fall in love. Now, he's got the loot in front of him. I just want to say... Very excited. A ruthless businessman after him. I'll prove that it was only a marriage of convenience and have you both arrested. Fraud. The enemy oh, behind him. Oh, yeah, Navy SEAL. How about Navy Anchor? And his bride by his side. You're supposed to be this great commander. Do something. Think you could take her with you when you leave? Ouch! Join Hulk Hogan as he proves once again. He's simply the best. The boom! <laughs> Chris Lennon, Carol Alt, Hulk Hogan. Let's fire. Sounds good to me. You are the most reckless. Juvenile delinquent of a man I have ever met in my entire life. Thunder in Paradise. You lose him, I lose him. <laughs> WrestleMania superstar Hulk Hogan returns to the screen in Thunder in Paradise, a high-spirited romp for the Maybe entire family Carol. to share. Hulk Hogan films me. No, they showed Carol separately. I know, but Carol's a different that- character. I know, but that's on the VHS cover. Is Carol Alton not the other woman? I know, but and then the child's there with <laughs> mega profits at the box office and on video. Suburban Commando sold over one hundred thirty thousand units. Okay, so <laughs> this is a uh, this is for intended for video stores. This is from a well, it says it's from a screener, so that makes sense. Let's. Let's keep going with this. No Holds Barred sold over 135,000 units. And this summer, Hulk Hogan stars in the major theatrical release, Mr. Nanny. Filled with super special effects, colossal stunts, and fabulous fun, Thunder in Paradise has all the elements of a runaway top renter. Along with Hulk Hogan, the film's all-star cast includes Chris Lemon of That's Life and Dad, Gordon. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, isn't he, he was more, on those. I know, but isn't he more just of being Jack Lemmon's son, fam? Well, Bex, I mean, come on. Just Carol Alt of Portfolio and Bye Bye Baby, along with Robin Weissman of Three Men and a Little Lady. Bitmark will back this that movie with Carol a $2 million dollar marketing That's Carol Alt as the British woman? Yes, because it was her holding the child. Let me look again. Hold on. Just Carol Alt of Portfolio and Bye Bye Baby. No, but she's not the 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 the, the mother has dark hair, darker hair. 
You're right. Why are they, why are they not talking about her then? I don't know. <laughs> Along with Robin Weissman of Three Men and a Little Lady, Vidmark will back this movie with a $2 million marketing campaign delivering over 155 million gross impressions. This campaign includes a nationwide consumer tie-in with Fox Television's Fox Kids Club. Hulk Hogan will appear on a series of 30-second TV spots to promote his new film and to give away autographed posters through an on-air enter-to-win contest. Plus, ads for this video event will be seen in the Fox Kids Club magazine, Totally Kids, reaching over 5 million children ages 6 to 12. And here's big news for retailers. Each Thunder in Paradise 4-pack includes a specially designed water-resistant sports watch free from Vidmark. Prepacks now because this <laughs> offer is good only on prepacks ordered by August 10th, 1993. To tell renters everywhere about the Hulkster's return to video, an attention grabbing pop out mobile is included with our six page flyer. So get a grip, take off, and make a splash with everyone's favorite superhero. Join Hulk Hogan for Thunder in Paradise. The movie has an order date of September 7th and a street date of September 22nd. Wait, is the eye patch because he shot this in the aftermath of WrestleMania? I doubt it. Okay, it's probably part of this. Probably this gotta be part of the show. That was an adventure to watch, though. <laughs> all that stuff at the end. I mean, that was uh, definitely up your alley, right there, Bix. All the stuff they're talking about. How about that? Yeah, huh? yeah. How about that? All done in paradise. Yeah. Crazy. Steve Borden as Hammerhead. That's later on. That's not part of this this I thing. Know. So. I think Although that. We had, we had beefcake there, though. I think the other woman with dark hair was that Felicity Waterman. Hmm. She's a British actress who, age-wise, seems seems like this would have been her. And she is listed uh, on Thunder in Paradise yes, as, page as being in episodes one and two. That's her. Uh, one through three, which would have so been... So this actually the, did air as the first few episodes. Okay. You know what? Now that I think about it more, I do remember it being retooled a little bit between the pilot and the... It's Sam Jones. I forgot about Sam Jones being part of this. He was Ooh, a she was on an episode of Cinemax Watch Nights. And Patrick McNee. I can't forget about. I mean, we about Charlotte Ray is on this. <laughs> Mrs. Garrett. I are love looking I love at the cast lists for all the shows. So wait, are you looking at the TV series cast list? or Are you looking at the the, the video, the, the, the movie? Charlotte Ray is Lola Miller, Patrick McNee. Yeah, Mrs. Garrett's on there, goddammit. <laughs> uh, Amazing. Jones. Yeah, that's the most notable people. Jim Neidhart as Norman Kowalski. Yeah, and of course, uh, Brutus and Jimmy Hart as Jammin' Jimmy. Jorge Gonzalez as Terramoto. <laughs> yes. So, Thunder in Paradise. But as Ed Leslie plays Brutus and Jimmy Hart plays Jammin' Jimmy. Sure. All right, let's close out with a very truncated WCW section. Very, very small. Nothing really going on, but it's still WCW, so you have some fun stuff. All right, uh, advance for the October 18th, as of October 18th, for Halloween Havoc in New Orleans was 1,100 tickets. And that was a late for an arena, too, if I'm not mistaken. Oof. <laughs> it, ended up, it ended up having enough people to look fine, but... Yeah. Again, Al, I mean, this is even even if it's, it's WCW and they don't normally go there, but it's like it's burnt 
burnout from this territory that these places just don't aren't drawing no matter who goes to town. Yeah, I, when you just run things no longer on a fixed schedule. It's not necessarily how often you run it, but it's no longer every X you know, period of time or or the shows are always on a certain day of the week. Now that you have this haphazard scheduling, it's really hard. And 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 also back then they didn't have tickets on sale weeks in advance. They're running every week. So, you know, the, the walk-up is the walk-up. Here you've got a lot of time to promote it. And and because of that, you often get lazy. Um, you just think, oh, people will buy tickets, it'll be good. And next thing you know, you're a week or two out and you've got a very low advance. It's like, well shit, now what do we do? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right, uh, the tradition ends. The Omni on Thanksgiving night was canceled. It was traditionally one of the biggest crowds of the year. Speaking about burning out places dead, the Omni. And then they don't even run the Omni again, you know, for a couple of years, basically. Crazy. I find it weird that it's just this one little line in the Observer, though. Yeah, because the last Omni show... Which we talked about this before. October third, uh, eight hundred paid. Eight hundred paid. Scalpers Ooh. outside the venue reportedly sold front row seats for one dollar. And they do try to schedule for Christmas, but that also gets canceled. And I mean, you look at that Omni card. The top two matches are Sting and Sid and Rude and Flair, but they burn it out so bad with different things, and it's just dead as hell. Then they schedule Thanksgiving '94, and that which was Hogan and Flair in the main event. But then they did the retirement stipulation, and yeah, and then and then they the Omni doesn't get run again until New Year's Day on '96, which I was there for Monday Nitro. So, so yeah, they did not run for over two years <laughs> at their home base. Their offices are right there across the street. And they don't run the building for two and a half years. And even that drew 6000 total, but thirty six nineteen paid. I, I paid for my tickets. <laughs> we were, we were uh, ringside. So. And then they don't yeah. work again until March 3rd, 97 for the Nitro, which I was there for that too. <laughs> last event at the venue, and that drew 13693 because they're on fire. And that was, the, that was the night of Piper and... Uh, it's Team Piper. Ooh. Yes. Team Piper. Yes. WCW did have a decent weekend in the gate, topped by a packed house of 2,000 in Sedalia, Missouri. Rick Rue was back in an action working all the house shows over the weekend after missing the previous week with a staph infection in his leg. At the weekend house shows and the Sting Sid main events, Colonel Parker interfered, holding Sid's legs down as Sting pinned him. But Parker thought he was holding Sting's legs, which leads to a near breakup of Vicious and Piker leading to this week. Well, let's go to Kansas City at Missile Auditorium on October 16th for our 1,200 fans for this weekend tour. Big Sky, Tyler Maine over Steve Ray. Not Stevie Ray, but Steve Ray Wild of Central States. Yes. Wild Thanks, Steve Ray and Herb Abrams fame. Eric Watts over the Equalizer. Dave Sullivan. Ron Simmons over Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Steven Regal over Dustin Rhodes. Nasty Boys uh, defeated Tuco, Scorpion, Marcus Bagwell by disqualification attack title match. Scorpion Bagwell retained. Well, Rude it, retained. Uh, it lists them as the champions, but they had not won the titles on TV yet. 
So yes. I'm curious how this was actually handled live. Yes. Rude uh, retained their national title, beating Ricky Steamboat and staying over Sid. 1,200 in Minnesota, Tournament, Kansas City. Not a good crowd either. Eh, better than the Kansas City had been drawing for a long time. Yeah? But Kansas City was running a smaller venue on the exactly. Kansas side. Yep, they would run their, They would run big shows in the Municipal Auditorium. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then the biggest show would be in Kemper. Kemper right. Arena. Let's go to the Crystal Chandelier, shall we? Let's. October the 12th, in front of 60 fans. We have Mike Winter over Buddy Lee Parker. Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Bobby Walker over The Gambler. Big Bad John over The Ace by disqualification. Michael Hayes over Jungle Jim Steele. Ron Simmons over Terry Taylor. Oh, I'm sure Terry loved that. <laughs> well, that's Ron Simmons. He ain't going to complain. And Thunder and Lightning over the Equalizer and Bobby Eaton by disqualification. Uh, now, Big Bad John was Max Muscle. I don't think we've ever found out who the ace is, right? No. The gambler's here, so I'm sure they're working together. Yeah. Now, we have another one to come up, but we got a uh, middle one well, here. Sharpsburg, Georgia. No, they weren't working together, as you'll soon see. Oh, the I'm ace sorry. Gambler. <laughs> yes, you're right. Sharpsburg, Georgia. Same yeah, we're in Matt Griffin territory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're in Matt Griffin territory here. East Coast yeah. High School right here. Where I've seen an action wrestling show. I've been to football games at that place a few times in my life. We have Frankie the Thumper Lancaster over Shanghai Pierce. The Ace over the Gambler. Huh. Big Caboose over Tex Slasinger. Tex and Shanghai over Big Caboose and Frankie the Thumper Lancaster. Charlie Norris over Max Payne by DQ. And Harlem Heat beat Thunder and Ice Train subbing for Lightning. What? <laughs> Lightning must have uh, no, but what is got hurt show? or got busy. It's a, it's a show in a high school. It's probably somebody hook, got a hookup. Who's Big Caboose if it's not Ice Train? <laughs> I don't know. It, probably the guy who put he, probably the guy who put together the show or, or who's like the local wrestling coach at the high school possible oh my god and then we go back to the crystal chandelier on the 19th no attendance bobby walker over by witter and he's no not saying their attendance isn't posted he's saying there were no paying fans <laughs> oh and by the way big caboose also works in johnson city on october 22nd where they drew 100 fans <laughs> and Jungle so, Silver, jerry taylor i was just saying so yeah presumably not someone from the high school but good michael hayes over the ace Cole over Tom Zink. I guess that's your member of Harlem Heat, Bix. Then this match, Arn Anderson and Bryant Anderson over Big Bad John and The Gambler. That's an interesting match in many ways. And then Texas Shanghai over Thunder and Lightning in your main event. Why does Cage match Arn? from the Texas Hangman, though? I have no idea. And that's wrestling data, not Texas. That's oh, okay. Um... Arn and Brian Anderson, it does make you wonder why they never tried to align them up on television. You know? I guess they figured Bryant was not ready. Uh, maybe not, but still. That's not stopping somebody now. I mean, good Lord. I mean, WCW, I mean, that seems like something that they would do. Unless Arn and Oli were beefing at that time, which who knows? They probably were. Hmm. So... Yeah. Oh, we talked about Todd Champion earlier working that dart match for WF. 
Well, he returned on WCW television <laughs> days before that as Patriot champion for a feud with TV champion Steven Regal, which highlighted the, and highlights in quotes, the October 13th main event taping in Gainesville, Georgia, the Georgia Mountain Center. That's why I let everyone in for free. They were only able to draw about 800 fans, less than half a house, Al. It's amazing. Wild, wild side drew a bigger house than that of paid fans. <laughs> a few days earlier. Yeah, a few days earlier, center stage, which is also a freebie and usually turns hundreds away, they were unable to fill up the 780-seat building. WCW is cold as ice at this time, man. Now, I mean, now you see why they brought Hogan in. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're seeing it. Anyway, Champion Regal did a draw first. In a rematch, Regal got DQ for interference of Sir William, which led to Terry Taylor coming out saying he'll be in Champion's corner for the rematch. Okay. Yoshi Kwan blew out, blew out his knee, but suspended the work pay-per-view. Apparently, they taped something that would Eric Watts as a new horseman, but it isn't going to be that way. Oh, if only that happened. <laughs> the air clips on Saturday of the Nasty Boys losing a non-title match to Bagel and Scorpio that was preempted the previous week. And we go to the torch for Saturday Night Report. Highlights were in the opener, Johnny B. Bad or Paul Orndorff for a reverse decision. Then we have wrestlers previewing the main event, which is a human cage match. Lumberjack match. And short bumpers leading into commercial throughout the show. We got the Havoc Control Center where they talked about how we have it. Back on Scorpio over the Nasties. And last week's show was replay, which is preempted. Nasties and Bagwell Scorpio sign up for the TV main event the next week. Cactus over Yoshi Kwan. And then Vader beat Steamboat after Sid, part of the human cage, powerbombed Steamboat while the referee was distracted. It's throwing off my brain so much that whatever weird font Wade is using does not copy and paste well, so all hyphens and apostrophes and quotation marks become question marks. Yeah. Cactus Jack. Yoshi Kwan? (laughs) You uh, you just got to... Just got to read it three through it, Vic. That's what I say. Uh, uh, analysis from Wade. Three marquee matches were nothing special, but by no means below average. The purpose of the program was to get ratings and sell Havoc. It did not really sell Havoc because not much was done to further sell Katniss Invader. The bumpers previewing the main event were good, but if you hadn't watched WCW for a week or two, no background was provided on Steamboat and Vader having a rematch. There was no setup for Katniss and Yoshi Kwan either. Missy interrupted Bagel and Scorpio's interview was only full-fledged angle. Sid interfering in the main event just no stale screw job ending that turns away fans from caring about marquee matches. WCW's production values continue to be better than ever. The two-hour show moved at a watchable pace, but there was no consistent feeling of excitement that Raw provides. Bagel and Scorpio fighting Nashville next week is a good draw for the TV show. So, yeah, WCW Saturday Night is uh, quite the experience in this era. But Wade was right. I mean, their production values did did increase, and that's thanks to Eric Bischoff, because yeah, he's the guy in charge of, the, of that side of things at this point in time. So, yeah. All right, the replay drew. I mean, replay the showing on the 16th drew a 2.3 rating, while both main event Power Hour did 1.4s. So, not the strongest ratings in the world, of course. But what do you say? What do you do? Looking real quick at Matt Watch for uh, the detailed numbers. That's a uh, 1.414 million homes for Saturday night, and then uh, about 850 something thousand each for the uh, B shows. And that's it. <laughs> that's all for WCW. <laughs> I told you, it wasn't much this week. They had a pay per view, you know, right after our week, which we've already done that show anyway. So 
there's that. All right, Al. It's uh, plug time again, so go ahead and plug away, my friend. Uh, talk about your book and everything else you got going on. All right. Uh, chartingtheterritories.com is where you can find out info. Uh, it's our blog. It's also where you get links to the latest episodes of our monthly podcast and where you can find the latest information on how to purchase my new book, Charting the Territories presents the 1971 to 1973 Leroy McGurk, Oklahoma slash Louisiana Wrestling Almanac. It's currently available on Amazon.com worldwide. But also as this uh, as this podcast airs, I should finally have my hands on some copies to sell and I'm going to make them a special edition because I'm going to autograph them. So if you buy them directly from me at chartingtheterritories.com, they will be autographed by me. Plus, I'm going to throw in a uh, four-by-six color photo, not of me, but of one of the wrestlers that was working for Leroy McGurk in the early 1970s that's featured in my book, the 1971 to 1973, Leroy McGurk, Oklahoma, slash Louisiana Wrestling Almanac. Info on 2,499 house shows in one territory in a three-year period, plus a list of all the wrestlers who worked the territory in pictures. So if you ever wondered what preliminary wrestlers like Bob Demon, Jack Pesek, and Jay French look like, we've got the picks. Also have some fun action picks throughout, including a few bloody pictures that were taken by Lil Al Vavasour, uh, who worked... Uh, ringside at Bat in Baton Rouge in the early 1970s, plus statistics, a roll call of champions, a list of the biggest feuds, and a whole lot more. That's Charting the Territories, the first, and what I plan to be a series of books where I chart the territories. And for those of you who might know who Jay French is, if you watched Universal Wrestling Federation in 1986, he's a guy that just showed up at uh, for a few tapings there in the spring of 86 with Jim Ross as his color commentator. <laughs> the Hawaiian shirt, yes. Yeah, the one that interviewed Korchenko and Andy Gilbert in the restaurant when they ate lunch together. Is that the same yeah. guy? That's the same yeah, guy? same guy. Oh, yeah, wow. Same one. Cool. I didn't know that. I learned something yeah. new. Cool. There you go. Same guy. Oh, he so, had some uh, amazing yes. hair when he was a wrestler, though, now that I'm looking at the photos. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. He had some mighty mutton chops. <laughs> yes yes and of course you can follow uh, al on social media and all the social media yeah. stuff at so al gets wrestling al g-e-t-z wrestling yes absolutely because nobody gets, gets wrestling, wrestling like al gets gets <laughs> wrestling well whatever al wants al gets, al gets. Yeah. that's right al we thank you as always for being on with us now next week we have a Patreon requested show, Bix, and our patron that requested the show is Brian Peterson, and he wants us to go back to 2004. What a show this is going to be. All right. In total nonstop action that week, they uh, do their taping in Orlando for the best dance sports show, period, tie-in. So we'll have news on that, plus all the other wild and wacky TNA news. And there's a lot of it, especially involving Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, among other ones. It's quite the TNA segment. And we have the rundown of Impact, of course, from Brian Alvarez. So there's that. We got uh, big shows uh, in Japan. New Japan has a big show during our week. We'll talk about that. Uh, We got news on Anoki's Jungle Fight. We got some big Noah shows during our week talk about we got hustle they have some shows going on so we'll talk about them in japan plus all the other japanese indie uh 
stuff that we always talk about. We got a little Lucha stuff, not a whole hell of a lot to talk about. Um, we got a lot of interesting independent stuff. We got, and it's not really involving really, I would say not really involving independents as much as involving personalities. We have Alice Marvez interviewing Romeo Bliss after he gets eliminated from Survivor. We got New Jack and why the hell he's in jail. Jim Cornette creates a scene at a, at a wrestling convention. IWS South runs four days in a row with some interesting shows. We got a wild story involving Jerry Lawler and Corey Macklin on television. And we got um, Dr. Dev Steve Williams with his cancer surgery. Gene Oakland has surgery. So we'll talk about that. And in the World Wrestling Entertainment, we got Taboo Tuesday, which I'm sure that's why Brian wanted us to do this week. So we'll have Taboo Tuesday. Plus Ron Smackdown. We have the end of Pat Patterson uh, as a you know an employee of the World Wrestling Federation, so to speak, and um, all kinds of other stuff. A wild and wacky show, um, just a lot of crazy stuff. So should be quite the show next week. Forty-one pages, folks. It's a 2004 show, so that's uh, stacked. Which you know what that means? No guest next week on Between the Sheets. So, uh, because we've got other stuff we need to take care of. we got Patreons, of course, to finish up. So, we got a lot, though. So, me and Bix will handle it next week. So, WWF is a long section. Just to give you guys the gist of it, WWF is 16 and a half pages. So, there you go. Or close to 17, really. So, that's next week. Al, we thank you yet again for joining us this week. And we'll be... Glad to have you back on in the future. So always look forward to having you on with us. Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets episode, Between the Sheets Patreon special edition episode number 72. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my co-host David Bix and Span and Bix. It's time to get back into the late 2000 groove here with WCW and their uh, prospects of being for sale. And you know, part one, we ended at an interesting spot, and we're going to pick up here at part two, and... Uh, Looks like the trades are going to be uh, heavily involved in this one again, so it should be quite the show. I mean, yeah, of course they are. But (laughs) yeah, we were, what, a week or two into the WWF part of the story, I guess? Yeah. Something like that. So I think we should just dive in, right? Yes. So let's do that. All right, well, Wade's got something to talk about here in the torch that's... uh, Maybe the big sticking point in all this to WCW and WF. Viacom steps forward strong resistance to the WF turn negotiations by Wade Keller of ProWrestlingTorch.com. Just weeks after gaining rights to WF programs and the biggest TV money deal in pro wrestling history, a key source tells ProWrestlingTorch.com that Viacom has stepped forward in opposition to the WF negotiations with Turner to buy WCW. As part of Viacom's price tag for WF programming, they bought exclusive rights to WFE wrestling programs on cable. Viacom, a key source, says came out strongly against WFE and Vincent Mann signing a deal with Turner, a fierce rival of Viacom. Viacom was TNN to become a major competitor to TNT, TBS, and USA. And McMahon turned his resources towards rehabbing a competing station's top-rated yet struggling program. That would hurt TNN, Viacom apparently believes. Sources say WFE officials had hoped Viacom wouldn't be upset with WFE acquiring WCW and providing programming for Turner. Instead, they hope Viacom will see the value in gaining access to all WCW's wrestlers and a potential ratings bonanza for all wrestling programs as they built toward eventual interpromotional matches and big-name jumps between promotions. Negotiations have soured a bit in general between WF and WCW, so the Viacom move is said to be the biggest but not only roadblock to consummate a deal. Alone, Viacom's resistance might end up being enough to nix a deal. But as it is now... It's just one on a list of other struggles during the finer points of negotiations and tension between key personalities. Deal's not that, though. And WF Source says negotiations are definitely continuing this week. Viacom can be persuaded that sharing WFE-owned programming would benefit them. The details that are sticking points now could be worked out, and personality clashes could be set aside in order to get a deal done that's attracted to all sides. However, the odds of WF owning WCW apparently are lower than the middle of last week, where it appeared to seem to be around 60-40 bet in favor of getting the deal done. And as we continue away, as search from WCW's ownership future remains unresolved. Negotiations, though, had soured a bit in general between WF and WCW. It's the Viacom move. It said it'd be the biggest, but only robot. Oh, I just read that. Uh, so let's find the part that I didn't read. I thought I did. Uh, that. Sorry. Uh, word circulated in the last week that McMahon was acting too brash and authoritarian during negotiations with Turner executives. Huh, shocking. McMahon was dictating what he would and wouldn't accept as part of a deal. Among McMahon's demands were channel and day changes for various programs. The story going around is that Turner executives weren't thrilled with the proposals, but even less thrilled with how they were presented. Well, wait, 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 wait. He's absolutely in the right to ask for Nitro to be moved. For starters. Yeah, yes, yes, absolutely he's right. And and that's the thing I was going to bring up with Viacom. I mean, I got to think and believe that Vince McMahon would not try to have shows competing against each other on the same night. Which... That would be stupid. 
look, we see by the time WCW's gone that it didn't really help with ratings to have just Raw, or at least without a WCW existing. But on paper, of course you could you sh should be able to try to sell it to Viacom as, look, now we're not going to have another wrestling show opposite us anymore. Exactly! Whereas if it's sold to anyone else, we will. Yes. At this point in time, that's the thing. Because whoever would have bought WCW would have had the Turner programming. So, basically, you're still in Viacom. Listen, we have to buy this to to keep our to get our deal good. We're protecting our deal with you. <laughs> it's just like so, some of these damn people in charge have their heads so far stuck up their ass with their own little rivalries that they they're too deep in the four seated trees. Now look, they are absolutely in the right to ask Vince to buy out the exclusivity. They are. But the issue becomes that they end up raising the price so much after they you know, at least according to Vince, from the initial price they quoted him to buy out the exclusivity. Which we'll get to later. Here's the thing. Do you think at this point in time, even though they just signed a deal with Viacom, that maybe Vince is regretting signing that deal with Viacom already? I think he's regretting the exclusivity clause. Yes. Yep. But, I mean, yeah, Viacom's stupid. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no way he would compete against them head-to-head. -head. That would be, I mean, crazy. But, I mean, what am I to say? As we record this, I mean, NFL is going to have Monday Night Football going against head, head to head against each other on, on two different channels on the Disney networks. Oh, that's a little <laughs> different. Yeah, but still, you're 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 kind of taking some ratings away from one for the other, but it all adds up in the end, I guess. Right. And it's all in the same family and network, so I guess that it doesn't really matter, does it? Right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that the, the Viacom thing is just crazy to me. But I mean. Vince acting brash and authoritarian, that doesn't surprise me at all. No. I mean, that's Vince McMahon. What do you expect? <laughs> you know, and I'm sure those fo some of those folks at Turner hadn't dealt with anybody like him, even Ted. So, no. all right. So as it stands here, Bischoff still wants in, according to people who are in contact with him. But other sources say Bischoff is far from a shoe-in if the deal falls apart. It really appears to be anybody's guess what will have WCW over the next few weeks. It's possible that the WF deal falls through, that Turner and Zex aren't confident in having Eric Bischoff be one of their primary program suppliers. That they may end up simply drastically downsizing WCW to a low-budget production and try to garner 2.0 cable ratings, which are respectable, with a skeleton crew of a few dozen wrestlers with contracts in the $100,000 and $600,000 range. It's also possible Turner will close down WCW completely, write off all expenses before the AOL deal is consummated, and then maybe eventually restart a promotion or pick up programming down the line from a new starter promotion if one surfaces. And that's the thing, you know, the, another thing that surprises me in all this was if that game in game with Brad Siegel and Stu Schneider, you know, was what it was. I mean, why did Brad just shut down WCW altogether before the AOL deal is done? That's a good question. Because clearly they wanted it off the books before the AOL deal was closed, if at all possible. 
I mean, well, no, I mean, we, well, wait, we're not thinking of the two things in, together. It's Vince can't make the deal, or at least with, at this point, the, they still want the shows on the networks. So Vince can't make the deal until that changes. Well, no. When, when, okay, so when is the, the AOL deal consummated? Uh, mid-January. Remember, same, de- same day that the uh, Fusion deal gets announced, so January 13th. Okay, that's what I'm saying. So if they don't have a preliminary deal with Fusion in their minds, or you're thinking that's going to happen, in January, does Brad Siegel shut down WCW and then sell all sell off all the all the IP to WWF? Yes. There you go. And the other thing to remember is Jamie Ke- Kellner's not in play yet. Nope. So no, no that's, so that's the thing. And there's no poison pill in the fusion contract. So there is no reason to think they would have any desire to cancel the TV shows. Yeah. Because it doesn't seem like people there who even who didn't like wrestling ever had any issue with carrying the TV shows is that they were embarrassed to have it as part of the company. Yes. Again, that's another notch in the belt for the Jamie Kellner. I mean, this the, we're here we are talking about this in October as being a possible option that definitely could have happened before he was even involved. You know? But anyway. Uh, WCW workers didn't know who to kiss up to over the last week or two. They went from being worried about their past dealings with Bischoff to worrying about what McMahon thought of them. Not a possibility is this. They'll be sending out resumes and calling around looking for entirely new jobs. Uh, poor Terry Taylor. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> the only one. <laughs> the cable trade journals are covering the status of WCW's major story, but for the most part have been a week behind on the facts and rumors circulating. They reported on sticky points and negotiations, including the WF wanting to assume forthcoming revenues from past reviews, while Turner wanted to keep revenues earned but not yet received. This is something we haven't talked about. You know, if that's true, if that's true, which Dave says might not be true, um, I totally understand where, where uh, Turner's coming from. Why should we give you that money? You weren't involved with WCW at that time. Why should you reap the benefits? I mean, they're right. Yeah, why should you reap the benefits? You you had no dealings with us at this time. After a deal's made, yes, that's different. So, yeah, I totally get where they're coming from on that regard. If that was a, a, a big issue, which we don't know. We've heard different things on that. Right, they're desperately trying to... I mean, well, here's the other thing, too. I just realized it right as I started to say that. Not all the pay-per-view revenue goes to WCW proper anyway. It goes to Turner Home Entertainment. Exactly. <laughs> they want their money. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay. So, let's think about this. It, let's say WF buys WCW and they still want to run pay-per-views. Would that be going through Turner Home Entertainment? That's an interesting question. <laughs> because they're doing the TV through Turner. Mm. Would they would Turner Home Entertainment be supplying the pay per view stuff? That's another thing. How how do you work around that one? Hmm. So I don't know. To hear this entire show, support between the sheets on Patreon for just five dollars per month. Go to patreon.com/slash between the sheets.